and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm uh, doing, uh, <laughs> well, as we talked about on the recent Patreon episode, I should be honest and say, actually, I'm feeling a little bit run down and frustrated with my job today, yeah. but uh, normally I just say, I'm doing great as far as the listeners need to know. But exactly. uh, uh, so, yeah, I'm uh, I'm doing fine, but I'm actually, I'm not actually in the best mood but I'll, uh, I'll set it aside and be a professional and misery loves company, David. People like to, you know, uh, I don't know if you know or not, there's a lot going on in the world and people aren't uh, necessarily feeling upbeat and they like to know that the people that they idolize, which is to say you and I, uh, <laughs> or you and me, pardon me. Uh, they, uh, they like to know that we're, we're people too, just like, just like old Ron Livingston, uh, last minute, uh, buying a Turkey or whatever, uh, you know, they like to know that we are just like them. I mean, yeah. not just like them, obviously we have a book out if, and they don't speaking if, of which, if you're scratching your head at that reference to Ron Livingston, that's, <laughs> that was an off mic conversation. That one's, that one's just for us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, just like regular people, we have in jokes as well. So, uh, yeah. I did want to mention before we really get going, I wanted to mention uh, the new book uh, put out by Battleship Pretension. Battleship Pretension presents. Thank you. The 101 Best Movies of the 2010s. Uh, it is available at Battleship Pretension at battleshippretension.com for $14.99 plus shipping only within the U.S. right now. But I am... Uh, getting much closer to figuring out how to do an international thing. Um, I should have that figured out and probably worked out within the next two weeks. Oh, that's so exciting. yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about that because we do have a number of international listeners and I, I feel bad that they are unable to, to get the book. But in the meantime, if you are a U.S. resident, you are welcome to uh, purchase the book. Uh, we are very proud of it. It's a way to support the show while also getting 324 pages of battleship pretension related movie discussion. Um, David and I write, uh, do a number of write-ups as does Scott and friend of the show, Jason Eakin and Josh Long and all kinds of, uh, all kinds of contributors. Louise, Sarah. So, yeah. Dave, Alexander, Jim. Craig. Craig. Yes. I think Sarah, uh, I said Sarah. okay. So I think that's everyone. Okay. But I might be missing someone, but someone. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's one of the things that I actually really like about the book is that it's at this point, you know, battleship pretension is not, it's not just me and David anymore. It's not even me, David and Scott, like a lot of people contribute to it. And, uh, and so I feel like the book really I has like the flavor family. Like, like, uh, my, like my manager at Best Buy told me when I was a sure. teenager working <laughs> afternoons after work, we're a family. Isn't it always fun? I remember when I was working at Blockbuster in, uh, in Chicago, they had like, there was a little poster and it said like, you know, rules. And one of them, number one was have fun. And I was like, I bet that one gets broken a lot. <laughs> uh, I know for sure I'm breaking it several times a day. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so just the stuff that, they, that, you know, customer service, just a little uh, tip of the hat to like, look, we're going to try and make this sound better, just yeah. even uh, mildly tolerable. But anyway, it's, speaking it's, of mildly people tolerable, should, people should, uh, if you haven't, if you Tyler, I'm sure, you know, what I'm refer referencing the Mr. Show sketch where David Cross plays a Marilyn Manson style, like shock rocker who has his own restaurant yeah. chain and he's doing the, uh, employee training video. Oh yeah. Uh, is the perfect, uh, it's uh, hilarious. exaggeration of that sort of idea. Anyway. So you, yeah. were, you were saying I have an ad 
ad read yes. to do. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I guess that was kind of an ad read in and of itself, but yeah, uh, yeah check We're out the book. Sponsor. I think you'll love it. I also want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day uh, of our lives. Today, uh, Tyler, just now, actually, just walking uh, the dog, I was uh, listening to the new album by Mad Lib. Mad Lib is a... Uh, uh, like a, a hip hop producer DJ uh, that I'm too square to, I like his music, but I'm too square to know that much about it. But here he's collaborated with the guy from Fortet and I'm exactly the kind of uh, white music nerd who likes Fortet. So this is a, uh, a great collaboration. Uh, the album's called sound ancestors sounded great on my tweaked audio.com earbuds. They're available at a low, low price at tweaked audio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price. So please go to tweaked audio and use the offer code pretension. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. Tyler? Yes. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Who's our this, guest? this is a very exciting day for a number of reasons. Uh, one, it's always nice to have uh, today's guest back on the show. I feel like it's been a while uh, since she was here. Um, and then also what we are talking about today is something uh, that we have literally never devoted an episode to. Um as I have talked about in the past, so today we are talking about Westerns, but as I've mentioned in the past, there are a handful of movie related topics that I, that we have, I've never wanted to talk about, or maybe I do really want to talk about them, but I, we, we've not done an episode about them because my way of thinking about it is that like, as long as we always have these four or five topics, we're never out of topics. Uh, and, uh, but our guest today said, Hey, do, would you like to talk about Westerns? And, uh, we thought, yes, that's let's do it. It'll it's, we're going to burn one of these topics, but the good thing about it is there are so many sub genres that we can always return to well, it possibly with our guest. Well, here's before uh, I'll say the re one of the main reasons we've never done Westerns is you and I on our own don't feel quite, uh, well-versed enough. So we were waiting yeah. for an expert. So when she offered, she became the resident battleship retention Western expert. So please welcome to the show, resident battleship retention Western expert, Mariah E. Gates. Hi, everybody. Um, I was thinking the last time I was on was Agnes Varda at now Westerns, yeah. which shows, I guess, that I, I like to call myself a bit of a generalist. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you can get more general than like deep dive Varda and then deep dive Westerns. Yeah. Um, but I, I was happy to see that, that you guys had not done a Western show because I love I love Westerns, which is an interesting thing just in general, because like even like I mean, you're obviously a big movie fan, as I am, as David uh, is. But also uh, 
it's a genre that has has sort of gone you know it used to be huge it's it's a uniquely american genre and over the years like if you get like one one western like every year like like one per every year or two or even three then it's like oh that's exciting but it's just not a thing you hear much about anymore and in fact a lot of movie people that i know don't really seek out Westerns, uh, whether it be modern or older Westerns, I think because for a few reasons, one of them is that like, given the, given sort of the, the modern climate of, of discussion, you know, West, the, the classic Western could be seen as a little bit, I'll just be nice and say passe. Um, and so it's exciting. Cause like, yeah, as you mentioned, like if there's a, mo- if there's a movie, you probably not necessarily like it, but you've at least seen it and you appreciate it. And so the idea that you've seen as many Westerns as you have is very exciting. Uh, because would you, well, I, I don't know if, would you consider yourself an expert? I'm trying to think an uh, Western expert. I'm trying to think of a way to say like a Wexpert or something like that, but yeah, I feel like that's, that doesn't I, I work. I don't know that I can claim an expert in that. I haven't studied genre the genre theory of western okay. but in terms of like sheer number of westerns that i've seen yeah. um going all the way back i think the i mean obviously the earliest one i put on there was the great train robbery because everyone's mm-hmm. seen that but i did put several i think i got through like 20 before i got out of the silent era because i love i love the silent era and i left off a lot i have seen probably 50 or 60 silent westerns because um i go to a silent film festival well i used to go to a silent film festival every year couldn't go last year obviously um and they show a lot of westerns they call it the beginning of western or or something like that and so every festival for the last several years they would show anywhere from 10 to 15 you know either one reelers or i think one was almost was our whole hour long western so um just in terms of being able to talk about it from like the birth of the western all the way through you know, first cow or nomad land, technically a Western I've read. I was concerned about putting that on there, but I read enough to justify, I think calling it a Western that, and is that 2020, 2021? It depends on who you talk to, but you know, that's like, it's like a whole hundred years of films. (laughs) Yeah. One thing you, you mentioned already, like the idea that people wouldn't instinctively think of a movie like Nomadland as a Western. And even looking at your list here, there's a few that once you categorize them as a Western, my first thought is like, well, of course, yeah, absolutely. But you wouldn't initially think of it that way. And I, I'm not going to, I don't want to say where, what I'm thinking about in regards to this, but, uh, but it is one of those genres that, tends to it it can it's very adaptable more so than one would think i would i would say in in my opinion and i feel the same way about noir in that there is an era of film noir but -hmm. there is also a feel to film noir and then you can call a lot of things noir that aren't from the era but they definitely feel like a noir and and i feel like western you know one just set being set in the west is important but like there are plenty of westerns that aren't even set in the west like put tempopo on there because it, it, they call it, it like the guy who, who directed it he was like this is a ramen western and um a girl walks home alone at night she was like this is an iranian vampire oh. western and you're like okay yes great love it <laughs> it's set in tehran sure um actually Did- set in a ghost town but um 
and shot in Taft. Shot yes. in my hometown yeah, of Taft, shot, California. Shot. Hometown. So um, one thing I wanted to mention um, is that I, I literally grew up in, in a town in California that one now is considered half a ghost town because most of it has shut down, um, which is really sad. And two, the motto of my hometown where I lived my entire childhood um, was where the West still lives. And we had cowboys and we had cows and we had all of these things. And um, if you've ever seen Meeks cut off, like that field that they're in looks like the field outside my house. Like they could have just filmed that in my field probably for cheaper than they, wherever they filmed it in Oregon. Um, (laughs) But so I felt like I kind of grew up in the West of some of these later Westerns that are contemporary set, you know, like HUD or Junior Boner, some of those ones that have the feel of a Western because they're set in the West and they're sort of the ramifications of what the old West was still in the contemporary West, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, looking at your list, uh, and I, I realize I, I know we're not looking to necessarily bounce around, but there are there are some when you say that if it, there's a feel to it, like one movie that uh, is not on your list, and uh, and understandably so, and yet it's still so so much it so feels like a western is uh, the Last Picture Show. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely almost put that on there because of who wrote it and the fact that it's a dying town and probably should have been on the list to be honest. And the, and the Um, presence of Ben Johnson, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it has, it has a lot of the, I think I put the names of some of the actors and things so you can Mm -hmm. see those, those connections. And so, yeah, that's definitely one that probably should have been on this list. Did you see, I haven't looked at the whole list yet because uh, I, I just got it before we started <laughs> recording. Um, are all your films, well, no, you said, it, you said Tempopo, so they're not all American No, uh, films, I, I didn't, I didn't include Australian Westerns though, because that okay. is a whole other, like the, the Outback as the Australian West is its yeah. own okay. thing that is so intense that like, and then there's an entire, just coming off of. Um, Tampopo and into China, like there's an entire like Western genre of the Western as it stands in China. Right. And it's like that. So you could like do a whole deep dive on like the West of China and the way that are sort of the equivalent of the West of the Western in Japanese cinema in that it was a small era, but there's 8,000 films (laughs) set during it. And, you know, like the American West quote unquote, um, is roughly, you know, like the beginning of um, the gold rush through like 19, I don't know, 10, right? Um, so like the Great Train Robbery, some of the Westerns are still happening, like the actions in them are still happening when the Great Train Robbery was made. Right, yeah. It's fascinating. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, because when you were, uh, uh, I was going to throw out another one that isn't a period piece, but it, it's uh, The Rover, but that's an Australian yeah, Western, yeah. which is like the, a near future Rover. post-apocalyptic movie, but very much a Western. Yeah, I think that one, I think that one counts. Um, and then if you go into like Western comedies, like Quigley Down Under, totally is very much a Western and um, The Which I've never seen. And... I have seen okay. Lightning Jack, though. Quigley is great. I recommend it if you uh, if you like um, I'm forgetting his name all of a sudden Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck, yeah. If, if you like Tom Selleck, his charm is like turned way up in Quigley. And you got your Alan Rickman and is it is it Laura San Giacomo? I think so. Yeah. Oh, I like her. It's yeah. a good one. It's a good one. But I, I left those off because um, that's just 
it's like I can't I don't know anything about the Australian West right. <laughs> like at all um but uh, yeah. I'm a big uh, uh I love Tom Selleck because so many so many male sex symbols have these like ridiculous bare chests and I like as a, as a yes. pursuit gentleman myself, I like yes. see super hairy dudes can be sex symbols too. Um, they sure can. I had a, a gorilla stuffed animal as a kid. I actually still have it. And I named it Tom after Tom Selleck because <laughs> of how hairy he was. So I, I you know, <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> well, should we um, jump in chronologically? Yeah. I don't think we can get, get through this entire yes, no, list. It, I sent, Dear, dear listeners, I sent a very large list. Yeah. yeah. But um, some sort of background on just me getting into Westerns. Um, my dad was a big fan and, and my mom was a big fan of Clint Eastwood. And so what I later found out is my dad liked all Westerns, as a lot of dads did. And um, but my mom didn't like John Wayne. And so we only watched the Clint Eastwood Westerns. And so for mm -hmm. the longest time, all I knew about Westerns was Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood, and Walker, Texas Ranger, and um, <laughs> which I, they rebooted, and I'm afraid to watch. Um, but I watched uh, like every Clint Eastwood Western, like all the spaghetti Westerns, the ones he directed, the ones in the 80s, you name it. I saw it. I saw Unforgiven, probably way too young, didn't understand it, and rewatched it and was like, oh, shit, this is a lot. Um, but then when I started to go really like movie nutty about, um, 10 years ago, it was the year I watched um, 1100 movies <laughs> in one year, um, partly because I didn't have a job. And so I could do monster numbers like that. And I realized that like, much like when I started watching noir, I was like, oh, I only know the Clint Eastwood Westerns and there's literally thousands. I should fix this. And so I started doing a Sunday morning Western. Um, and I did that every Sunday morning for like. I think I kept it up for almost three years, like every Sunday. And then um, sort of mixed in, sometimes I would just watch Westerns because they were on TCM and it wasn't Sunday and, you know, filled it in, it gaps. Sometimes I just didn't even want to wait till Sunday and <laughs> that's how I've gotten. But I know I, I have some, I have some, still have some gaps as we were kind of discussing before we started. Like I somehow have not seen any Gene Autry singing Cowboys, but I saw some, and I couldn't find it and I couldn't remember the name of it, but there was some like 70 minute series of Westerns that they made in the forties or fifties with this one actor. It used to be on Netflix for some reason they had it on Netflix and I watched all of them. And then I found out that the actor like got drunk and, and like ran into somebody on Hollywood Boulevard and they like threw him out of Hollywood. <laughs> and wow. that's why they stopped making this series. <laughs> and I was like, wow, there used to be consequences. Yeah. Um, I was going to say like, <laughs> Oh, how, how very quaint. <laughs> I know. Um, so that's not included. Cause I couldn't remember the actor's name or what that was, but. Um, oh, that's funny. Yeah. But you know, the Westerns, like I said, with like the great train robbery, like that started in 1903. It was one of the earliest, silent films that was widely seen and um the western was one of the earliest you know popular genres uh i didn't include in here because they are hard to talk about the squawman films there are like sure. four versions of the squawman and they're they're really well-made films but they are really cringy as you mm. can tell from the title yeah um, sure. but there are some really great westerns that aren't as cringy so like 
Um, the Alan Dewan ones um, I have on here, The Good Bad Man, which is one of the early anti-hero movies where he's this shitty guy, but kids like turn him into a heart of gold. And it's Douglas Fairbanks sort of taking his swashbuckler uh, persona and, and being a, a cowboy. And I really wanted to point out 4917, which is by Ruth Ann Baldwin. It's an early film directed by a woman. It's on one, I think it's on the Kino Women Pioneers set. Okay. And, and it's an early ghost town movie. You've got like the sheriff trying to fix things. And it has all of the tropes that you imagine beautifully shot um, from a filmmaker that didn't get to make very many movies. And I, this might be the only one of hers that's still available, but it's, it is available. It is one you can seek out and um, one I highly recommend. Um, and then obviously there was like William S. Hart. He was one of the first sort of movie stars of, of just early Hollywood. And I, I think most of the William S. Hart films were actually filmed in New Jersey because it was before they had moved to uh, California. And you can kind of tell that it's New Jersey. <laughs> um, but that's one I that's one I, I particularly like. And then Is I like wanted big smokestacks in the background. Or yeah, I mean, Fort <laughs> Fort Lee, New, New New Jersey, did a lot of heavy lifting <laughs> in that era. And it was like you wanted to have any outdoor scene you shot in outdoor Fort Lee, New Jersey, and then you just pretend it was whatever it was. Um, so like the sun is setting on the east and you're like, wait a minute or whatever. The sun's in the wrong place. And, um, um, and the movie you pointed out here is called the narrow trail. Yes. Um, yeah, which is that, a Thomas Ince production. And, uh, I always, yeah. because of the cat's meow, I always picture Carrie Ellis when I see the name. Yes. Uh, I, I know it wasn't that that's Carrie Ellis, not Thomas. Ince, yeah, but I think Ince, of <laughs> Ince produced a lot of the William S Hart films and he he uh directed himself which a lot of these silent actors did um mm -hmm. and then i have to point out the arbuckle keaton western because it's one of the early western comedies and yeah. there's a scene with buster keaton making this one's called spaghetti. out west we gotta we got make sure we say the names of the movies oh sorry it's called listeners. out west yeah. and there's a scene where buster keaton's making spaghetti that is some of the funniest funniest things you'll ever see um makes me laugh every time and, and interesting in that it had a co-writer who was a woman because at this, some of the early Westerns had female writers. Frances Marion wrote a lot of them. Um, I also had the covered wagon on here because it's one of the early pioneer Westerns, which is a whole, there's a whole subgenre of that, which I think the, the, you know, peak of that was how the West was won, which is like the greatest, of all of it, like the, how the West is one, we haven't gotten there. It's the sixties, but how the West is one is literally every genre of Western in one It is a covered mm. wagon. Western It is a world war or civil war. Western it is a railroad. Western It is like a trapper. Western like since it's three, it's like four hours long. <laughs> oh, wow. Had, had three directors. It's really good. Um, and then the earliest John Ford Western that I've seen is called Three Bad Men. And it has George O'Brien, who made several films with John Ford in the silent era before John Ford started working, obviously, with John Wayne. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It's about it's about three bad men. Um, <laughs> I wanted to mention the winning of Barbara Worth because it is a, a beautiful romance. And it was written by Francis Marion. Ronald Coleman is at the like height of his like charming kind of devilish silent film self. There's a really cute scene with a pie 
Um, I don't, I don't know if, if listeners know about my cinematic pie, pie blog, cause I can't remember if I've brought it up or not, but I have a whole, whole blog where I, I just catalog pie shots in movies. Um, and, uh, the winning of Robert Worth has a, has a great pie scene in it. Um, <laughs> A great uh, pie scene in a western. I mean, come on, I mean, what? You uh, it. It's you're in heaven here. And I that reminds, say, you know, um, uh, that reminds me of uh, you know uh, uh, the critic uh, Noel Murray has has said on Twitter more than once that he wants he he wants to start a Tumblr that just documents scenes in movies where people order food. Just, that's good. And there's, I, I, there's I, I, a, I want him to do, I like check every six months. Like, has he done it? No, he hasn't done it. I think there's an Instagram. I can't remember what it's called, but there's an Instagram where it's just people like with their mouth open eating in movies. <laughs> um, I don't want, I don't want to go through all of these. It's way too many, but well, um, well, while you're in the, you're in the there's 27, like two, there's like two more silent ones that I really want to bring well, up. There, there, and there's one on here that isn't, or the one that isn't on your list that I know Tyler and I both uh, like as far as silent Westerns. And that's the kid brother with Harold Lloyd. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Harold Lloyd. That's why I left that off. Oh, he's um, my, he's my favorite of the I know, three. I know a lot of people love him. Um, he's, I just can't get into Harold Lloyd. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, but I, I, I like Harold Lloyd because uh, I guess I'm a bit of a, well, I, I guess I'm a softy, which also makes me like Charlie Chaplin. But uh, Harold Lloyd is, uh, um, what, there's so much, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I can't, I can't. Uh, Relatability? Yeah, but I'm, but I'm trying to, there's like a fancier word that I'm trying to think oh, okay. of. Um, but my brain is not working lately. This has been happening in, in recent weeks. I keep dropping words. Uh, I, I feel that. Yes. But, that's yeah. why I sent the, that's why I put this document together. So I wouldn't have to rely on my brain. Pathos. Um, there's pathos to, oh, there it is. To, okay. to Harold Lloyd. Um, but there's also just the, the great, um, uh, Th those uh silent comedy type of uh, uh physical setups with the camera there's a part in kid brother where he's like saying goodbye to his like his his crush you know the the uh, and she's as she's walking away she's like walking away over a hill so he keeps climbing higher on a tree so he can still yeah. see her before she mm. disappears over the hill and the camera like keeps lifting lifting up with him and it's like that's Harold Lloyd really climbing a like probably oh, yeah. 40 foot tree there he liked heights that guy yes yeah. uh yeah. or maybe he really didn't it's it could go either <laughs> way um, well anyway I know Tyler and I are both fans of that so I, I wanted yeah. to make sure we mentioned it and and uh, uh, and you you have here go west which is a a, a Buster yes. Keaton yes. one yeah with with uh, brown eyes the cow, which is I think the exact same cow breed as as the cow from from first cow, so hmm. you know cinematic legacy there. Um, she's so beautiful that cow. <laughs> it's like you, you love to see it. Um, I wanted to mention in old Arizona because it, it was nominated for best picture. It was nominated for best director. It was nominated for a bunch of bunch of Oscars. One of the early westerns i think the first western because it was the first or second oscar um ceremony and warner baxter won he is unfortunately playing mexican and he is not mexican but the reason i bring this up apart from the oscar history is that it has the greatest story about how someone lost their eye that i've ever read um originally it was supposed to be directed by raul walsh who at the time was still an actor he was going to play the lead role but when he was scouting locations a jackrabbit jumped through his windshield and he lost his eye. 
<laughs> and if you look at pictures of Raoul Walsh, he's got an eye patch. Wow. This is why he has the eye patch. And so he had to, you know, he had to stop directing the movie. He didn't star in the movie. He never acted again because he lost his eye. And I guess there wasn't, no. you know, enough parts for <laughs> Did this also happen on Hollywood Boulevard? Is it the same um, as the, this, yeah. <laughs> this actually happened in, they actually did shoot this in the titular old Arizona. Um, but I just think that's a great story. And like to be that jackrabbit, I grew up in a town with a lot of jackrabbits too, and they are wily. So I can imagine them doing that. Jackrabbits um, were built to last back then. They you know? are really large rabbits, you know, and they're feisty. So mm. I could see that happening. And then I wanted to mention The Wind, which was another one written by Frances Marion, because it, it came from a novel by a woman. It is mostly about Lillian Gish. And um, I actually realized there was another film called The Wind that I meant to add that I think was quasi-inspired by this wind. So in this one, she's moved west and um, because her, she's an orphan and she's, you know, stuck with the relatives out in the West, but the wind is driving, literally driving her insane. And then there's like, you know, villainous uh, bandits, which is a big trope in a lot of these, these Westerns. And um, it's very Wait, was, like swoony because it's Victor Seastrom and. Was the other, the wind you were going to mention the, the more recent horror yes, movie? Yes. Yeah. And so the, they're not related in that the stories aren't necessarily the same. It's not a remake, but it's definitely like a spiritual remake in that it's about how the wind of the prairies drives people insane. Um, and I, okay. I liked, yeah. I'd actually seen the, the original wind, the recent wind first and thought it was a remake. And then when I watched the silent one, I was like, wait, it's not, it's just, like inspired oh it's you know carrying on the idea of of um the way that the wind and the loneliness of the prairies were harder on women yeah. especially women who you know are from a certain class where they didn't get to leave their house practically ever you know because they're you're fancy or what have you and then she turns it um emma tamami i think is her name she turns it into like tammy. A tr a tammy she turns it into like a true horror film which yeah. i think is, is fantastic. it's not it's not a bad movie i, yeah. I should i should watch this victor sjostrom uh one um because i liked the new wind especially the the cast caitlin gerard uh who for tv people was on the first season of american crime not american crime story american crime uh and then juliana goldani tillis who was my favorite character on the affair um two two fantastic uh, uh actresses star in the wind it's, the new one yeah, it's a great film. I saw it in, in theaters and has wonderful sound design, which the silent one does as well. It because um, it's a late era silent film. So it has that synchronized uh, sound okay. effects that some of those later era so uh, films have. It's it's lovely. Um, we can skip a couple of these. So, OK, you hit 1930 and you finally see John Wayne, who obviously like dominated the genre for 40 decades. And his first big Western was actually with Raoul Walsh, which is the big trail. It's another one of those um, like covered wagon type movies. And it did have, uh, it is one that has not the greatest depiction of Native Americans. And, and I think you see that in most of oh, the it, silent films. Oh, this films. is the one? This is the one yeah. that doesn't... <laughs> you, you see that in a lot of the silent films, but not all of them. So, for example, and I don't think I listed it on here because I I don't know if it quite counts as a Western or not, but um, I didn't have either version listed because uh, there's debate. But The Last of the Mohicans is like Eastern 
Western in that it deals with Native American and mixing with, you know, colonists, what have you. But the silent version of it is actually a more faithful adaptation of the book and is, I think, a lot more, um, uh, I think it does a lot more with the Native characters than like the main character, the Hawkeye character is actually supposed to be Native. And, or no, Hawkeye's not the main character. What is it? I'm getting this wrong, but the, the Native character was the main character. And so he's the main character in the original adaptation of The Last of the Mohicans. Do you think when- very, very racy for the late teens when it came out. Do you think when John Wayne played Rooster Cogburn, he called up his own old pal, Raul Walsh, and got some eye patch tips? <laughs> may have you know by the way here's how committed i was making that joke i made i looked up to make sure robert walsh was still alive (laughs) when true grit came out john ford also towards the end of his directing days had an eye patch too there were there were a lot of somehow all of these men who made westerns lost their eyes i don't know i haven't read enough about john ford to know how he lost his eye actually it might have just been macular degeneration i'm not really sure or just an affectation. Maybe he just liked it. <laughs> he, he was like, Raul Walsh can't be the only one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I, I'm not, again, I'm not, I, this is why I say I'm not an expert. I'm not really sure why there weren't as many Westerns in the 30s, partly partly to do with the, the Great Depression and people really wanted the razzle-dazzle and that's why you saw the rise in the musical. That's what I'm assuming, but I don't, I don't actually know enough about the history. So I left the 30s. There's not that many on here, but one big one was, was Cimarron. It's not a great film, okay. but it won Best Picture, mm-hmm. which if you've seen every Best Picture, you know that that happened more than once. <laughs> not a great film one. <laughs> and um, Cimarron's kind of rough. And I wish they would, they, they remade it in the 60s, but I wish they would remake it now because Edna Ferber's writing is very feminist. And you can feel it a little bit in the 30s version, but like it, it, it's like hobbled by frankly most of the creative people behind it were men and i I feel like a lot of women who wrote really feminist novels in the 20s and 30s didn't get their stories done justice unless someone like Frances marion was was adapting it because she understood what you know the themes that were the most important um so simran's kind of a mess but if you're like a best picture completist it's one to watch. I put the terror of tiny town on here. It is also a terrible movie, <laughs> but it is the only movie with an all little person cast. I'm not sure the exact right phrase. They, they use an, an outdated word to describe it. And I didn't right. want to use that word, sure. but um, it takes the tropes. It has a great story. It's just, they were sort of playing off of, I think freaks and some of those other things to try to, try to make money and you have some of the same actors from freaks are in it oh so there you know it's got it's got its merits um um before we get to the end of the 30s and some big names there i want to mention a couple yeah. um there's uh 1932's law and order uh, uh which uh walter houston stars in and i uh bring it up because i saw it on 35 oh. millimeter at tcm fest uh i that think 2016 not, that's or one, 17 that's one i'm missing um yeah, yeah it's a uh, directed by edward l Kahn, who mm. did like our gang movies and then later made a name doing like cheesy fifties and sixties, like sci-fi creature mm. feature movies. But in between he made this really cool, uh, little, and by little, I mean, it's like a 75 minute movie, a uh, little Western in which, uh, uh, Walter Houston, uh, 
comes into town and, and tries to, you know, set things straight, tries to uh, impose law and order. There's a, there's a scene and for all like the Western, like, you know, the, the cool, like showed out, you know, standoffs and gunfights, or whatever. The coolest scene in law and order is a scene where he talks a condemned prisoner into feeling positively about the fact that he's going to be hanged in the morning. Mm. Feeling like he's doing, you're doing your duty as a citizen by being, by, by walking up to that gallows uh, in the morning. It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating uh, scene. Well, it's an odd one, strategy uh, one, to get someone uh, to feel better. One film I think we, we skipped, but is also really great. And from that like pre-code era where you could kind of, do wild things like that is hell's heroes which was an early william wyler film i think it might still be on criterion channel that's where i watched it and it's the first of three adaptations of three godfathers and if you're familiar with the story of three godfathers there's some pretty horrific deaths that happen in the film and the way that that hell's heroes from 1929 like shows them it's it's like you, you're you're like what like you, it's one of those movies where you're like I can't believe they sh- they did that. Um, so I re- I recommend that one. It's a little it's a little rough because it's an early sound film and and you know the cameras like to get the sound the camera was always sort of rough in that transition era or often was, but it's it's definitely one where you're like wow pre code cinema love it. Um, but then, uh, so, and then well, oh. one other in the 30s that I want to mention, because you said you hadn't seen any Gene Autry movies. I've seen yes. exactly one. I've seen yes. 1936's The Big Show, um, which is a movie uh, in which it, it has a sort of like a, a mistaken identity, wrong man type of like comedic plot because Gene Autry plays himself and then also mm. his stunt double. And so he's like mistaken oh, for, but it's, it's mostly just an excuse for, to, to put a lot of like songs and then like, uh, lasso tricks and and, and, so, and trick writing and say so it's 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 just a showcase for a lot of uh showmanship and it's a ton of fun what's interesting with like gene autry's um persona is that you you know who he is whether you've seen his movies right like mm. i obviously know that i should have seen gene autry movies and he had a similar persona to william s hart in that like william s hart often appeared as himself but as a cowboy because he was he just was a cowboy like he would do ads and things and and um promos and stuff as him but him was almost indistinguishable from the character that he characters that he would play um and i i find that interesting because you have somebody like john wayne who is not a cowboy and was very much often not a cowboy and yet it's hard to picture him as anything but a cowboy yeah or yeah, Genghis Khan. Yeah, <laughs> those, I mean, are, those are the yeah. two things you think. That's about. it. That's 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 it. Yes. And frankly, <laughs> once he played Genghis Khan, it's like uh, how these cow like I can't see him in a cowboy hat anymore. <laughs> he so embodies that role. Um. So when you hit 1939, which is where we're kind of at now, we sort of skipped through the the 30s here. You have there's three huge westerns in 1939. 1939, as as you probably know, often considered the greatest year for movies. Um, it's debatable, but it's certainly one of the great years mm-hmm. for movies. And and all three of these westerns that um, I love from 1939 are very different st- films. So Destry Rides Again is kind of a like almost a screwball comedy western. Mm-hmm. with uh, Jimmy Stewart and Marlena Dietrich and it's a sheriff and a saloon singer and they don't get along and there's fights and 
you know, there's gamblers and there's, you know, it's sort of one of those like rowdy town Westerns. Um, and Marlena Dietrich is saucy. She sings, <laughs> she wears lingerie. Like she, I think she hits uh, Jimmy Stewart over the head with a guitar at one point, or she, she hits him with something. I can't remember what it is, but um, it's not the James Stewart Westerns that you picture him in when he started making the Anthony Mann Westerns. It's a very different pre you know, he hasn't gone to World War II yet. He still right. kind of, you know, has some bounce to his uh, performances and he's still a little, a little, you know, charming. And it's one that I really love. And uh, Criterion just put it out a couple of months ago on a beautiful Blu-ray. And the version I had seen was like a crappy DVD. So I'm very excited that people who um, come to it for the first time can see this beautiful restoration because it's, it's worth it. Um, Dodge City is one of many films Michael Curtiz made with Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland. It is completely ahistorical. Um, like just, they made several films where um, you just take the history and kind of put it aside and go with the, yeah. the chemistry they had. <laughs> so if you're a big fan of their chemistry, you'll, you'll enjoy this movie. It's one, it's one that's set during um, the civil war ish era. So that, that mid 19th century and um, Olivia gets to be very sassy in it, which is some of my favorite things about her films with Errol Flynn is that you get such sass from her. And part of the reason I think I like Western so much is that there are a lot of sassy women, um, especially in the, some of these later Westerns, like the women sass back. And I, and I think that's really true to the kind of like spirit you had to have to survive you know coming across the country it was it was tough and it toughened you um and so you have these sassy women which again uh, we haven't gotten there yet but how the west was one is probably the greatest movie for mm. sassy sassy women have either of you seen that one i've never seen it i actually oh my god no. okay well we'll get there but it's it's very long and it was shot in um um cinerama yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's insane. I actually saw it at the Cinerama Dome, and they oh used my God. to show it like uh, some somewhat regularly there, right? When like, yeah. I feel like when I first moved yeah. here, it was like an annual thing, it's, or maybe even more. Because well, it's one of the it's one of the few that like was shot that way. It's if they ever do it again and they show it in the dome, like one hundred percent is worth it. I I saw it during one of the TCM fests, and I'd ah. seen it many times. My parents had the like widescreen. VHS, like it was like three cassette tapes, I think, because it's so long. Um, it's worth it. It really is. Um, so when you get into the 40, oh, wait, well, hold on. Stagecoach. Stagecoach. Yeah. Stagecoach. Can't, can't skip Stagecoach. <laughs> Stagecoach, obviously. Can't I feel we? Like, I mean, come on. I feel like everybody <laughs> has seen Stagecoach. Everyone knows that Stagecoach is like what Orson Welles studied to like learn directing. Mm -hmm. um, it is, it holds up. It's like Citizen Kane and that every time you watch it, you're like, holy shit, this is such a perfectly directed movie. The cast is great. Everyone's sassy. But I actually, I've said this before. I have trouble rewatching it because I know how many of those horses like were really hurt like yes. in, the, in the big scene toward the end there. Yes. That's, that's a rough thing with a lot of the Westerns, yeah. especially the silent era ones too, where, you know, they didn't give a shit about the people or the horses. <laughs> You're like, um, at least then it was equal opportunity. Yeah. Like pretty much everyone was. So, you know, I don't know how much we need to talk about stagecoach since I feel like everyone, everyone knows stagecoach. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, 
we also just uh, somewhat recently talked about in the podcast because we did an we did an episode on uh, some of our favorite like character introductions. Mm. And, like, oh, the introduction yeah. I mean, John Wayne is so yes. so yeah. great there. Um, and the reason I bring that up is to get us into the forties. Another movie that we talked about on that same episode was the Oxbow incident. Yes, because Henry yes. Fonda's character introduction, where he walks into a bar with Harry Morgan, drinks and orders three shots in a row gets into a fight, gets punched in the stomach, throws up, and then says, oh, hell, now I got to start over. It's one of my favorite <laughs> character introductions of all time. That's hard to beat. Yeah, Henry, Henry Fonda's an interesting one in that his filmography is so peppered with iconic roles, but he actually made, he made so many different kinds of Westerns on top mm-hmm. of all of the other things that he's, you know, he's not just Tom Joad. Like, he hit that you know the oxbow incident's a great one he was in one of the calvary films with john wayne um he's probably the greatest western villain or at least close to the greatest western villain when it was a sergio leone film mm-hmm. um my dad and i have had many fights over which is better that one or the good the bad and the ugly um <laughs> we've never agreed <laughs> um, I don't think we'll ever agree. We've agreed to disagree on that subject. Um, well, but it's fun that you you always have something to talk about. Well, exactly. One of the movies has Eli Wallach, and the other one doesn't. Okay. So yes, but but the one that doesn't has Jason Robards. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's true. That's so. True. You know, it's tough. These two rascally guys. Um, although I, I, from a villain standpoint, I I do think that probably. Henry Fonda is, I mean, obviously like Lee Van Cleef is just so iconic in his just general evil. Yeah. But I, but I think that there's something, I feel like there's something a little bit more that you can like, for lack of a better term, like sink your teeth into with the Henry Fonda villain. Sorry. We got way ahead of ourselves. Henry Fonda is a, no offense to um, Lee Van Cleef, but Henry Fonda is a better actor. So you're true. You're going to (laughs) get more underneath. (laughs) Um, I wanted to mention Duel in the Sun because it is the horniest movie on this list, <laughs> other than Lust in the Dust, which was, it's an 80s film by Paul, Paul Blartel that is aping Duel in the Sun. And that, so there, that would make a okay. great double feature of like horny films. One that's just horny because it was Howard Hughes, I think. And one that's horny because uh, they, you know, it was divine. Um, just be, I left off the other Howard Hughes one. I don't know how I missed that. Shoot. Um, well, um, yeah, uh, the Duel in the Sun is on uh, my list to talk about, too, only because you mentioned that you had, what was it? Was it Sunday morning or Saturday morning? Sunday uh, morning Western. So I can't yeah. remember if it was Sundays or Saturdays. Maybe Tyler remembers. But when Tyler and I lived together in Chicago, we lived walking a long walk, but walking distance from the Music Box Theater. And they used to do oh, like, yeah. I can't remember if it was Sunday or Saturday. They did I think like it was 11. Saturday. Okay, they did like 11 a.m. screenings, and that's where I saw Duel of the Sun at uh, at 11 a.m. when there was probably a foot and a half of snow on the ground outside, but it was all steamy and melty and yeah. and, and hot inside the theater because of uh, Jennifer Jones. That's a um, hot, it's a hot movie, and it's like, I've watched it many times because I'm always, I'm always in awe of the ending, I don't know if we can spoil. Can we spoil? Yeah, I think you can spoil. It. Okay, yeah. they, they literally destroy each other, but it's like it's they're they're. I don't even. You don't even need to have them take their clothes off to know exactly what is happening. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it is. It is a. It is like a sex scene, but not. And they're in the 
the dirt and oh such a good <laughs> it's just such a good movie and it's so bonkers and every time i watch it i'm like how and and gregory peck is you know he's he's scout's dad and everything but like you know he he can be a real real you know devil because he's so like charming but in that kind of gross bad boy way in that movie where you're like i should not be attracted to this he is an asshole but you're like oh you would also I probably thought was, i thought um, it was equally hot in uh, the boys from brazil <laughs> I thought uh, he really got me going in that one. Um, there's also, I don't know why, just the weirdest things stick in, in your memory. Um, I haven't seen the Woody Allen movie Celebrity since I saw it in theaters. Oh, yeah, I haven't you know, seen that in when like I was 10 in high years. School. But there is a part where two characters talk, uh, like have a brief conversation about, they're talking about old movies and they talk about how hot Jennifer Jones is in Duel in the Sun. And I feel like that was just like lodged in my brain and maybe that's part of why I made sure to get up and go see it at the music box <laughs> on a Saturday morning because it had lodged my brain from, from celebrity. Jennifer Jones is hot in a lot of movies. She made a lot of Joseph Cotton films. So this is one of the ones with Joseph Cotton, but they're not like they're not the romance in it which is you know rare because most of their pairings they're paired with each other and they have pretty good chemistry in a lot of those movies um but in this like she hates him so much but she also like love hates gregory peck it's it's a good movie um and probably the the, the dirtiest just in terms of like dust <laughs> like <laughs> it's dirty on multiple ways um yeah. It was a good, a good movie to see on. These days, it's like where you point out when you go to see a rep movie, you point out like, oh, this is on 35 millimeter. But I'm old enough that if you went to a rep screening, it was on film because that's how movies were shown back then. So I yeah. always forget to say like, oh, yeah, I saw this on film, which is worth pointing out now. But uh, in the year 2002, that was probably the only way you could see it in the theater. Anyway. So, um. My Darling Clementine is one of many takes on on uh, Tombstone, obviously. Mm. I think I think there's... Another Criterion entry. Three, I think there's three I have on here. My Darling Clementine, Gunfight at OK Corral, and then Tombstone. I did not put White Earp on here, but you can watch White Earp if you want to watch White Earp. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not my favorite <laughs> of the group. Um, but I think Henry Fonda has not been hotter in any movie than he was in my darling Clementine. There's a scene where he's like leaning on a chair and his boot is up and it's a good shot. And it's one I've seen on the big screen. <laughs> I, I like how thirsty this episode's getting. I, you know, <laughs> I told, took a turn. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, told, I told a bunch of people the year that that played at TCM film fest to see it spe specifically because of how hot Henry Fonda is in it. Um, <laughs> Cause that's, that's an important you know, it's important factoid. Um, he's in another Western. I feel like I didn't list where he also looks really, really good, but oh, well, um, I'm not, a, I'm not actually a huge, <laughs> I'm not actually a huge fan of my darling Clementine. There's a lot I like mm. about it. And certainly like the, the gunfight at the end and I'm, I'm, and what little exposure I've had to Walter Brennan, I love. Uh, yeah. so there's that, um, if ever there was an actor, Oh, who's just who should only be in westerns he's it's so him. good like um, he's good in everything he's ever done 
And I think maybe part of my issue comes comes from just the age that I am and having seen Tombstone, having seen uh, Wyatt Earp and just the the legendary status given to like Doc Holliday. And then you go and you see Victor, Mat- Victor Mature uh, in this and he's fine, but yeah. I feel like there's just he, he just is not particularly charismatic. Um it yeah, feels like they don't totally know what to do with him. I would agree with that. And and of all of the versions of this, I think undoubtedly Val Kilmer is the best. I do okay. like Dennis Quaid in, in Wyatt Earp. I think he does a really good job and, and brings him kind of down to earth. And uh, I was going to hold off on this until we, I guess, this might, is going to, probably be a pretty long episode i realize um but uh, unless we wanted to split it into into a series which actually now that i think about it sounds fun but anyway um but the uh i don't like tombstone i have tried i have tried to like tombstone so much so many people our age love tombstone and aside from val kilmer i think that it is one of those things where Mm. that performance is so good and so impactful that I think people have, have uh, are thinking of the whole movie as as good. I think Kurt Russell's fine, you know, whatever. Powers Booth is in it's great, but <laughs> what I like I've seen it every few years. I'm like, you know what? I'll give it another try, and we'll see if I like it this time. The answer's always been no, except mm. of course for Val Kilmer. But uh, maybe I'm just being contrarian because obviously I think Wyatt Earp is probably kind of a, a boring movie in some ways, but there are aspects to it that I like a lot more than tombstone mm. um and and i do like dennis quaid as as doc holiday i'm sorry i got you decades know, I mean, ahead of our uh, ahead of us that's, i think that's fair in that they're two very different takes and and they came out around the same time which yeah for me i honestly just reflecting on myself i saw tombstone first and i think that that probably colored my take on Wyatt Earp. Um, but I also didn't see Wyatt Earp in, in theaters. I saw it on TV and it's a long movie. So on TV, it's even longer. So that, you know, that could be a good <laughs> yeah. part of why I remember not liking Wyatt Earp. Isn't, maybe this is apocryphal, but isn't like Kevin Costner was approached for Tombstone to play Wyatt Earp and he wanted to make Wyatt Earp the main stars, like as opposed to making it more of the ensemble piece that it is. Mm. And they wouldn't, they were the whoever was producing or ever was like no and so he basically like took his ball like took his ideas for <laughs> a true Wyatt Earp biopic and made his own Wyatt Earp movie whereas Caruso ended up doing the opposite like he cut he cut the Wyatt Earp character down to make the movie more of an ensemble yeah um, I, don't, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's true but it sounds like what Costner would do so yeah he also yeah. there's also the crazy story about how Kurt Russell like directed tombstone do you know about like yes uh, that i've heard so the credited director um i forget his name uh but um (laughs) he apparently kurt russell like basically made a deal he was like as long as you're alive i'm not gonna i'm I'm not gonna like blow the story like you'll be the credited director and like this guy died and like Within weeks, Kurt Russell did an interview where he was like, "Yeah, I actually directed all of that." Like, <laughs> which truly was worth it. The guy's whole life. As soon as he died, he he stepped up and took credit for directing the movie. That's that's funny. Um, do we want to jump back in the forties? So uh, real, real quick, I, don't even know. Oh, sorry. I, I want to I want to say something that we should probably we're probably going to need to cut out. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, 
talking about how long the episode is going to get that's not a that's not a judgment yeah. that that's not me saying like hey this is shitty or anything like that i'm i'm in it for the long haul it was more just like oh, okay. i enjoy series no uh and it was just like where my mind went and so like we can cut that out and we can cut this out as well uh, mariah it's not at all my intention to say no. like this is taking too long we've done long episodes before i'm fine with it i just feel okay. it, no, immediately i'm like uh, that probably came out wrong well, no, I, I didn't. I wasn't offended at all, but I appreciate okay. that you thought I might have been. So okay. <laughs> I'm um, glad you gave me a chance. You, you did that because it gave me a chance to remind myself who directed Tombstone or whose credit is director. It's George okay. P. Cosmatos, whose son, Panos Cosmatos, has a, a, a made Mandy and like made, oh, yeah. uh, stuff of his own. But George P. Cosmatos also directed or he directed Cobra, which cobra is if my story about wyatt Earp and tombstone is true cobra is the wyatt Earp to beverly hills cop i don't know if you know like <laughs> yeah is gonna play that. beverly hills cop and yeah. they're gonna and but he kept wanting to make it more of the violent action movie right. than a comedy and so eventually he did the same thing that kevin costner did with Wyatt. Earp. he went he was like he was like fuck it all right i'm leaving this movie i'm gonna go make my own movie with all the crazy ridiculous like fascist ideas that i had for beverly hills cop and that became cobra which george oh. because Mato's directed um cobra is uh terrible by the way i don't know if you I, I only know the the cover art or key art on the vh <laughs> Yes, I don't. I have not actually seen the movie. David, the way you phrased that made me think you were going a different way when you said, you know, with Cobra, if my story and it was going to sound like, like if my story were put to film, it would be Cobra. Like that's the David backstory. Um, but anyway, well, I mean, okay, I, I, it's true. Crime is a disease, and I am the cure. <laughs> I had a feeling. Uh, I remember you would come home back when we lived together, and you'd be covered in blood, and I'd be like, uh -huh. "Let me wash your clothes." It's like that scene in The Irishman. Okay. All right. Yeah. Let's uh, get back next? into the I, back I into the forties. Just a brief shout out to my pal Trigger because Roy Rogers and Trigger are such a fundamental sure. part of like boomer childhood. Um, that somehow I have indeed managed to watch Roy Rogers movie, but not Gene Autry. And I think I think it's probably because my dad knew Roy Rogers movies, but hadn't seen the Autry films because they're a bit earlier. That's my only excuse. Um, okay. <laughs> but um, Three Godfathers. So this is the second or third adaptation. There's three of them, and I've only seen two. I've seen Hell's Heroes, Three Godfathers. But this one's interesting in that it's the first John Ford. It's John Ford, John Wayne. But then you also have Harry Carey Jr. kind of hopping in, and you know they all end up making a bunch of movies together. And then Pedro Armandiras. I can never say this right. Pedro Armandiras. Diras. I tried. Um, he was one of the big uh, Latin stars of the era that um, with Dolores Del Rio um, sort of you started to actually see occasionally Latinx people playing Latinx roles, <laughs> which is very rare mm -hmm. and um, wonderful. And and in for all the issues with John Wayne, he had a few co-stars who were Latinx that he kept having cast in those roles. And he's one of the few you know stars who made sure that that happened and there wasn't a lot of brown face in his films so you gotta I hate to be like you don't actually have to give it to him but you kind of this is like the one aspect of you get you know John Wayne, where you give it a little bit yeah give and take where you can i guess yeah. uh, it's nice to know that someone's just not a complete bastard all the yes. time there was some brown face with the native roles yes. so it's yes. like yeah, they did right by the latinx roles and then they did not right by the native roles and the you know, um, and then so one of the like highly 
discussed sort of films from this era is the Calvary Calvary trilogy. And I think a lot of Western fans fight over which of the three films are the best. Um, actually, someone just did, I think for the AV Club, maybe uh, the 100 Greatest Westerns. I can't remember who it was, but it was like two weeks ago. And um, there was debate because she wore a yellow ribbon was listed above the other two. And I don't know that I agree. I, I am a fan of Rio Grande, but there's three of them. It's Ford Apache, 1948. She wore a yellow ribbon, 1949, and Rio Grande, 1950. They're all John Ward, John Ford, John Wayne, films about the cavalry. They're not related in that they're all, those three things are in common. And I've never seen, I've only seen She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, so I feel, uh, I've seen. I feel confident you. saying it's the best of them so, because I love it. <laughs> Rio Grande is my favorite, partly um, because Marino O'Hara is wonderful in it. Um, it also has the best poster. There's like a French version of the poster that is like amazing. Um, Ford Apache, though, not the greatest in terms of its presentation of Native characters, but it inspired a terrible 80s a uh, cop film starring Paul Newman called Fort Apache, the Bronx and Ken Wall from um, um, what was that TV show he was on? Oh God. Uh, wise guy, that. wise guy. Um, <laughs> Fort Apache, the Bronx is terrible, but I would think would make a wonderful double feature with Fort Apache. And then you would just like be very ashamed of how it represents non-white people um <laughs> they're both <laughs> movies that are really terrible about um so fort apache obviously it's like a fort set in apache territory and the natives are attacking and that's the plot um john wayne is uh, the hero henry fonda is the like bloodthirsty one it's interesting shirley temple is shirley temple um rio grande is my favorite of the ones because marina o'hara gets to do a lot in it but in the same era john wayne like he also made Red River, which I love is a Red River. super gay so film. Yeah, yeah, it is like the, the queer subtext there. of Red River. Like, bless Howard Hawks. <laughs> bless Montgomery Clift. Yep. Um, it's a hot, it's a hot movie. It's a, it's, it's such a fascinating film. Uh, it just, you watch it and it just has such a different, as one might expect from Howard Hawks, as opposed to like a John Ford. Um it just, it feels like it has so much more of an edge to it. And I do think that the presence of Montgomery Clift on a number of levels probably contributes to that. Yes. Um, because yes. there was a, there, there was just such a, a present in the moment quality to him as an actor. Uh, and then there's, you know, there's scenes with like him and who is it? John Ireland. Is that the name of the, the actor uh, where they're like, you know, comparing guns and that sort of yes. thing, uh, which, <laughs> which, racy. which works, you know, completely on the, on the Western level, but yes, there you watch and you're like, Hmm, I think there's something going on here. Uh, but it's, it's such a well-made film and well and beautifully written, wonderfully acted. I, one thing I do like about John Wayne, at least as a performer is that he was so often, the hero and it's not like he's the villain of red river but he's yeah. a bastard in red river yes. you know yes, and he, he and he knows is. it and he plays into it which i appreciate yeah that one is one of the early early westerns i saw when i was like diving deep and um mm. just 
the, that's this, the gun scene in particular is something that I will never unsee, you know, yeah. <laughs> like when I, when I recommend um, films to get people into Westerns that that's high on the list because it, it is, it feels like refreshingly modern because it has that queer subtext that mm-hmm. doesn't make it into all, you know, all Westerns. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know if either of you read um, the the biography of Montgomery Cliff written by uh, the late Patricia Bosworth, who died uh, about a year ago. Uh, I have it, but I haven't read it. It's really great. Uh, but uh, uh, apparently it will become, it'll come as a surprise. No love lost between John Wayne and Montgomery Cliff. They, yeah. I, yeah they that doesn't surprise like me. I would imagine. Um, I can imagine Montgomery Cliff like just kind of doing his like, his modern actor thing and John Wayne just narrowing his eyes and be like, what are you doing? We've got shots to get. Let's go. Have you ever read, um, um, why am I forgetting his name? Oh my God. Who was the guy that did all the seventies TV? He was so good. Uh, 70. Oh God. He interviewed everybody. Uh, um, fuck. Uh, Norman Lear. No, no, no. He made all the TV shows. It was the interview guy. Oh, the um, interview guy. I see. Yeah. No, I Dick Cavett? Yes, thank you. Oh, so okay. in one of Dick Cavett's books, he talks about when he interviewed John Wayne and um, John Wayne lamented that he had always wanted to do Noel Coward. But he, at this point, he was John Wayne. Um, and so I can't ever not think like what would a Noel Coward as played by John Wayne, like would, like, could he, yeah. you know, like, I don't know, maybe he could Wouldn't have. Wouldn't it were so simple? Right? I, <laughs> hard, to, <Nice. laughs> hard to say. Um, but at this point, you know, he's John Wayne and so he can't be a Noel Coward. But I also just think that like people, I mean, he's horrible, let's put that out there, but like people are more complicated than we, you know, allow them to be, that he's somebody who would read Noel Coward, mm, shocked yeah. me. You know, yeah. um, so I'm just gonna put that out there. So the Treasure of Sierra Madre is the next one I have on here. Obviously, like this one is set in Mexico. It is a gold mining one. There's you know, a ton of gold rush Westerns, whether they're San Francisco gold rush, the Yukon gold rush or Mexican gold rush. There's tons of gold rush, South American gold rush. There's just, you know, a lot of everyone wants gold. And um, <laughs> this one, obviously, it's got one of the great Humphrey Bogart performances. It's oh, yeah. got Walter Houston, like killing it. He won an Oscar. Hmm. Um, it was recently sort of very clearly an inspiration for the five bloods which yeah. is not a Western, but it had a lot in common in terms of like, you could mm. almost, you could almost argue that Defy Bloods was a Western. Like you could, you could try. Mm. Um, I would love to see someone do that. Um, so that that's one that I think is another one I would, I recommend when people are like, what should I watch to get into Westerns? Because I, I feel like there's such dynamic performances and such like mania in the treasure of Sierra Madre that uh, it's hard to dislike it. It is, it is one of those movies that uh, I I'm a big fan, especially when actors of this era, you know, you mentioned like John Wayne wishing that he could do this other type of thing. Uh, I'm always interested when actors who have such a specific persona are willing to not necessarily dismantle it, but just, do something very different. Like uh, Humphrey Bogart, like there was, while there was obviously like this wounded quality to him in Casablanca and the Maltese Falcon and all these various other movies, 
his willingness in movies like Treasure of the Sierra Madre, The Cane Mutiny, uh, in, a in, a lo- place. in a Lonely Place, like his willingness to go this this other direction where he is, he, he veers from charming but not very likable to just utterly monstrous is something that I always admired uh, about him because he just seems like when you think of Humphrey Bogart, you have such an idea of who he is and it and because of because of who he is which seems like sort of a stubborn guy uh you'd never think that oh yeah he's also an actor and he might want to do different things and i think he's so marvelous in treasure of the sierra madre yes. although i i feel like i read an article somewhat recently in, in which someone said that uh and the article actually might be pretty old now that i think about it it might be like james ag or something that was writing about uh, uh sierra madre and uh, mentioned that like humphrey bogart never he the writer just had a hard time accepting him in that, in that role mm. and feels like Bogart never quite transcends his public persona, his, his, his better known persona. But I think he, he does a wonderful job. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I do think there are certain actors that, and even today that it's hard to see beyond them. I feel that yeah. way about Meryl Streep. I, can see her genius, but I also can't not see Meryl Streep a lot of the Mm. time. And it's like, it's both there at the same time when I watch her. And so I find that a little, like I can see why that could be a criticism. I don't Mm. know that it works on this film because I do think he gets to somewhere different, Yeah, but um, maybe contemporarily they couldn't see it, uh, which is probably if I'm like looking at Meryl Streep 50 years from now, maybe I won't feel the same way. I don't know. Right. I had yellow sky on here for the sole reason that at one point Ann Baxter punches Gregory Peck in the face and it is a very cathartic scene, but also it has some of the greatest black and white cinematography that you will ever hmm. see. I can't remember who shot it, but it's gorgeous. Gorgeous. And it has Richard Widmark. Apparently I it's got it. Richard I Widmark. Like, I, like him a lot. I think I have two movies with him. Did I put warlock on here? Shoot, Warlock's not on here. Warlock should also be on here. Warlock is amazing. He's one of my favorite actors. There's a song. If you go to to YouTube and type in Richard Widmark song, um, just trust me. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, did I not put Warlock on here? Maybe I did. No, I had it open and then I didn't add it to the doc. Point is, um, there's a song that somebody wrote. Oh, it is on here. There's a song somebody wrote about Richard Widmark and it is like a banger song, but also just about him. I don't even know how to explain it. It's, <laughs> it's great. I, I highly recommend it. It's only got like 3000 views or something on the YouTube video. And I watch it a couple times a year. So I think most of the views are just, <laughs> are just me. Um, the next couple of ones I had on here, cause we kind of talked about the Calvary, Calvary, I can't speak, Calvary trilogy. Calvary. I added cause they're a Calvary. little Calvary. Because yeah, Calvary Cal- is from the Bible. Yes, right? different, different Calvary. I've mixed those two words up my whole life. It is difficult. I can't well, here's say how this like is, ours. My, my little device for telling the difference between Calvary and Cavalry, cavalry. is that in cavalry, cavalry, the L comes riding in at the end like the cavalry. Oh, I probably put cal. I probably put the wrong word in the document. Then, wow. Anyways, <laughs> I really like that. I really like that trick 
Um, I'm glad you I'll, like it because Tyler Poopy yeah. hates it. Now I feel embarrassed for having said that for <laughs> most of my life. That's how I remembered the word the difference between the two words. I'm sure we all have little devices like that. It's more just it's so adorable. I just want to I want to hug you like one of my kids. Um, um, Lust for Gold was a film I watched about 10 years ago and tried to convince everybody that there was such a thing as Western noir because it is it is a Western noir. It is flashbacks. It is Ida Lupino as a film fatale or film fatale, all the things. And then last summer, Criterion did a Western noir theme on Criterion Channel. And I was really? like, I've been saying it. <laughs> I've been saying it. And Lust for Gold was on there. I'm so think what else, Red Rock West. Um, well, those are, neo, those are like neo noirs. Oh, they neo, had like, they okay. had like noir era. 40s 50s westerns that are noir and um there were a couple in there that i actually haven't seen like blood on the moon and, and a few others but um lust for gold is like okay. you could take it out of the west and make it a no it was just it's just a noir like ida lupino is unhinged she definitely watched i think uh duel in the sun a few times hmm. <laughs> like um glenn ford is the is the guy you know and glenn ford's in like a million noir films and a million westerns and it's like the mixture of his two personas and it's it's really wonderful and gig young who i think most people probably remember now from um they shoot horses don't they is young and villainous in this and utterly fantastic um and then stars in my crown is this like oh real quick sorry before we because i'd like like to mention the rare ones i've seen that aren't on your list oh sure yeah uh 1949's el paso which is uh, kind of a corny movie, but it's a two strip. It's a cine color, two strip color movie, oh. which means it looks uh, it looks super weird. Kino put out a, a, a Blu-ray a couple of years back that's very cool. Um, but uh, it's sort of the opposite of uh, if Law and Order is Walter, Walter Houston coming in and imposing Law and Order. Uh, El Paso is uh, John Payne from Kansas City Confidential. Oh, I love uh, John Payne. So he he he's the new sheriff, and he tries to uh, do things the Law and Order way. It doesn't work, and so he ends up turning into a vigilante and sterling hayden is the bad guy oh i gotta see that yeah it's kind sterling of fun hayden, john payne it was all yeah. my it's that's probably a noir western too with that cast like <laughs> maybe i don't know i'll also throw in a uh, wagon master uh john oh, ford film so from 1950 I've seen, I've seen wagon master i didn't have it on the on the list but it's a good one it's great i it really a good one I really, I, I'm often astounded at how many movies John Ford made. Um, yes. I mean, we know about his bigger ones, but it's like, yeah, for every big one, he made like three others that are maybe as good, but for some reason we just, we don't think of them. Yeah. That one's, that one's really good. I, I had it, I had it on the bigger list and then didn't, this list yeah. is also big, but um, <laughs> it was one that got cold. Um, Stars in my crown is this like, kind of spiritual Western, I guess it's Jack Turner. So it's sort of that beautiful sort of poetry style mm -hmm. uh, where everything feels a little elevated. Um, it has a really cute performance from Dean Stockwell. I actually have two Joel McRae, Dean Stockwell movies on here. You can kind of do them as a double feature if you want. It's cause they made them back to back stars in my crown with by Jack Turner and then cattle drive and cattle drive is a little more of a, um, a basic. It sounds exactly what it, sounds like it's a cattle drive um and dean stockwell is this like you know kid that needs to learn discipline and so he goes on the cattle drive um but i love the two movies because joel mccray and dean stockwell have such wonderful chemistry together and i grew up watching um um 
quantum leap. And oh, I sure. had no idea that Dean Stockwell was a child star. My mom did like she'd seen all of these movies, but I, I had no idea. And then when I started watching him as a child star, it was like blew my mind. And then obviously like Blue Velvet, he's <laughs> completely yeah. different in Blue Velvet. Um, but he was a really cute little kid and he has good chemistry with Joel McRae. And um, Joel McRae is one of the Western stars that I think people don't talk about as much but there are a lot of sets of like joel mccray west i have an entire set that's just called joel mccray westerns hmm. that i think tcm put out and um he's he's wonderful in the westerns that he did he started out as like a matinee idol in the 30s and then shifted and he actually was kind of a cowboy in that um he had a, a giant farm i think it's out north you know a little north hmm. of la um and he made more money from his land investments and, and stuff than he did in acting. Like he took his acting money and invested it in land. <laughs> and then, and then when, as he was um, towards the end of his life, he donated a lot of it back and now it's like state land. And hmm. he just seemed like a pretty solid dude. Um, Western the women is one I put on here. It's another Wellman. I feel like Wellman is one of the great like directors of women that isn't always talked about as being a great director of women. But if you look at his filmography, he always gives women great roles. And um, this entire film is mostly women. It's literally Robert Taylor and like 40 women because they're all the wives of, of like cowboys and stuff heading back, heading West. And he, he's, like in charge. He, he's in charge of getting the women <laughs> there. And what's great is you think that like he's going to save them all a, a couple of times. And instead they end up saving themselves mostly um, because it shows that like these, these pioneer women were a lot stronger. They weren't just damsels in distress. Like, yes, they needed a guide, but they, you know, it's kind of like Meeks cut off. It'd be a great double feature with Meeks cut off actually, mm. um, because the women were no nonsense and, and, you know, kind of tell him to stop babying them. And it's, it's lovely. And there isn't any of that weird kind of romancy stuff. It's, it's really kind of straightforward women taking care of business. Um, so then I think I have Bend on the River here, which is better Bend of the River, which I think is the first Jimmy Stewart, Anthony Mann Western. And it's definitely, no, I skipped Winchester 73. Sorry. Winchester 73 is the first Jimmy Stewart, Anthony Mann Western. I think they made like maybe five, five or six Westerns together. Something like that. Really long I think, number. I think the only one of theirs that I've seen is the man from Laramie, which mm. I really, really liked. And I've heard nothing but good things about uh, Winchester 73. You're Winchester's, getting ahead of us. With sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, we'll get to Win, man from Win, Winchester 73 is fun because it follows from the point of view of the gun. Hmm. And you kind of, oh. you kind of, there's some interesting, um, ways that it's shot where you kind of see the gun traveling. Um, and it has Shelly Winters, who is one of my all-time favorite actresses. So anytime she gets to be cool in a movie, it makes me happy. Um, and then Bend of the River is another one with not great representation of Native people in that Rock Hudson plays a chief. <laughs> and and um, he very much does not look like a Native American. I think Hudson tries to do his best to not be a caricature so you kind of got to hand it to the movie a little bit oh, in that to his credit <laughs> he, he he definitely and you can see that he's uncomfortable playing this mm. role also so um 
I don't know if it was just because he was shirtless. He's shirtless in a lot of movies. So I think it was really, I, I don't think he was comfortable playing a Native American. And it's kind of unfortunate that you see it. Um, another one I didn't put on here for the same reason is Drumbeat, um, where Charles Bronson plays. Um, I actually should have had it on here because Charles. the film is about my hometown. It's about my hometown. Um, it's about the Modoc Indians and our Modoc tribe. And um, Charles Bronson is very much not a Native American. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that movie. Um, but if you, and it's not shot, it doesn't look like my home at all. It's really bad. Like they re- need to remake that one. Um, so we get to High Noon. Obviously, High Noon is one that a lot of people have talked about. You know, it's got a lot of subtext. Yeah. <laughs> have you guys done a show on High Noon? Uh, no, I mean, I, I talk at length about high noon, uh, when I'm teaching, uh, uh, American film history and I'm talking about, uh, the cold war and talking about, uh, uh, metaphors for McCarthyism and, and all that sort of thing. And so I talk about high noon quite a bit. Um, I love high noon. I think it works. I think it works on the surface. I think it's a perfectly workable movie, but then when you realize how much, is going on, especially in this most American of genres. I, mm. I, I, I think it's a fascinating film. I, I also love that it's one of the early films with Katie Gerardo, who had such a unique screen presence, but was highly underutilized throughout mm. most of her career. Um, I think her two greatest roles are High Noon, and then later um, she's in, uh, what is it, Billy, Billy the Kid, the... Um, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. And she had a whole career that whole time, but there, she, you know, she was Mexican. She didn't really get the opportunities that an actress of her stature should have yeah. gotten. And you really see it in this one where she's given several wonderful complex scenes. And you would think if, if she were a white actress and she nailed it, like she nails it in, in this film, she would have had a huge career. And it's, it's really depressing <laughs> to think about honestly um but i love high noon i remember when i first saw it i um i didn't know it was shot in real time or you know plays out in real time and that like that blew my mind um because i hadn't seen many other than like nick of time nick you know of the time, johnny, yeah. johnny movie it was first maybe the only other. movie i saw in a theater by the way nick of time <laughs> yeah i mean i saw that in theaters too and it blew my mind then i don't know if it holds up but um realizing that that was like something had that had been done before was kind of blew my little baby cinephile's mind when I saw this, this one. And, um, Gary Cooper is sort of one that I am like hit or miss on, you know, like sometimes I love Mm. him and other times I'm like, "Mm." I like, I think I I always like, I think I always like him though. I I don't think I would ever cite him as like one of my favorite actors, but anytime he's in a movie, I usually, it's usually pretty solid. Except Love in the Afternoon. Oh, which he admittedly I didn't see. <laughs> okay. He's terrible in that. That movie's terrible. Um, oh, okay. He's, I like him in Meet John Doe, even though I don't like Meet John Doe. Hmm. Interesting. I think he's, he's good in, um, what's the one with, uh, Barbara Stanwyck, but I think he's actually not good. I think oh, Barbara Stanwyck. Fire? Yeah. I think Barbara oh. Stanwyck just is so good that she uplifts everybody in that movie. That's um, fair enough. But yeah, I love that movie. And I wanted to mention Rancho Notorious just for a hot second because it is another like really bonkers movie that is a lot of different things 
there's a lot happening and Marlena Dietrich gets to be just really nutty in it. It's one of her, I think, weirdest roles. Um, and Fritz Lang, like one of the great American directors where even his misfires are worth watching. Mm -hmm. You know, well, he's not American, obviously, but director American of American film. films. Yes. Yeah, director of American films. Um, and Clamity Jane, I don't like Westerns. I mean, I don't like Westerns. I don't like musicals, but I like this one. It's one of the few that I can straight up say, I enjoy this. I enjoy the musical numbers. I enjoy Doris Day in it. I think Howard Keel is adorable. I've watched it more than once. I like the energy. And that is very rare because I usually hate musicals. Um, unless they're cabaret. So, it, you know. And, and I actually, part of the reason I like this movie is I think Doris Day really like plays Calamity, Calamity Jane really well. Like you could take the music out and her performance would hold up. Um, and there aren't, you know, there aren't that many biopics of sort of the great Western women, like the real women. Um, so it's, you know, you're just grateful that you even have this uh, <laughs> film to begin with, considering how many times they made like Tombstone, right? Um, <laughs> so um, and then Shane, okay, obviously Shane, like, yeah, that's a, I've, I've seen that one though. It's not since high school. And I remember Shane, really, yeah, like Shane it. has the greatest barroom fight in my opinion of all of the Westerns. It is, I think it's like six minutes long or something. It's very long. It's really intricate. Lots of wood shatters. <laughs> they, uh, it's Alan Ladd and Van Heflin like having a ball fighting people. Like you can ha see they're having a ball filming it. It's it's a lovely like sequence. And but also a little. It's like it's 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 really well um, sort of made for uh, choreographed in that you know you watch a lot of sort of fight scenes in contemporary cinema and they're half the time. It's like, did anyone even try to choreograph it, you know, <laughs> which is why people will still write about a great choreographed fight scene because so many of them are so lazily done. And and this is one where I'm like, if you as a filmmaker want to make a fight scene in your movie, like you should watch this scene in Shane because they just they it's so beautifully timed and so much energy. Um, and then and then Shane has like the great one of the great endings. Oh, yeah. Of, of a movie ever um the little kid i forget the kid's name i should have put it on my notes and up for interpretation that's the other thing like i feel yeah. like a lot of westerns are, are in in many ways fairly straightforward but i like that that one you're not quite sure what has happened the the fate of our of our main character it's it's a fun one it's one that will like it has the fun action it has a tough woman in gene arthur it has a cute little kid and it tugs at your heartstrings it doesn't like it doesn't have anything that I can remember anyways that's that makes you want to cringe in terms of its representation <laughs> of people, you know, um, but it, it gets at that like Western mentality of always moving mm -hmm. really well um, and that desire to just keep going, which is what, you know, shows up in a lot of these films. Well, speaking of tough women. Uh, the next one on your list is <laughs> Johnny Guitar. Johnny uh, Guitar. Where Joan Crawford plays one of the toughest of she, Western women. She wears a giant yellow shirt like nobody's <laughs> business in this movie. 
Um, you know, and this is another one like Red River that has large, large queer undertones. Um, oh, we didn't put the director on there. Well, it's Nicholas Ray. Yeah, it's Nicholas um, Ray. Yeah. Uh, and it's, and yeah. Ugh, it's like, and Joan Crawford, she's in her like 50s, like giant lipstick phase. And ugh. I've yeah, seen I mean, Tyler and I were, uh, what's that? Oh, go ahead. No, you go on. Oh, just Tyler and I were recently talking about uh, Rebel Without a Cause on a, one of our recent Patreon episodes, and and um, uh, similarly the 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 uh, the the lush like beauty in the in the uh, overheated melodramatic Technicolor. Uh, it's not. Uh, it, it's uh, um, it feels more li- uh, like a. It feels like Nicholas Ray making like a. I guess Douglas Sirk type melodrama. Yeah. In, in the Western yeah. Uh, yeah. realm. I think at one point Sterling Hayden wears like a bright green shirt. Um, it's the colors are fantastic. And then, so the whole, you know, the queer undertones there for those who haven't watched it is Mercedes McCambridge is very much in love with Joan Crawford, but then mm-hmm. Sterling Hayden shows up and it's like, how are you going to go for Mercedes McCambridge when you have Sterling Hayden? Like, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> not gonna happen um, this one got a, a great big restoration uh, a few years ago which i think i, s- I saw on a 4k dcp uh somewhere. yeah yeah there's a beautiful print of it out I, it's one i have not seen on the big screen and really really would want would like to um because i could i could just imagine the colors what i was gonna say is i've seen 70 joan crawford movies um mm. i'm i'm missing like maybe 10 <laughs> from her entire filmography um i really love joan crawford but i i think I mean, the only you other because uh, i should say i meant to say this earlier the whole reason we're doing this episode i think or the whole germination is we had josh fadem on to do a November episode and i think yeah. i like tagged you because you you, you coined the, the yeah. term um and uh and then you reached out and we're like let's do a western episode anyway but uh we did talk about um uh, Joan Crawford, obviously, in the noir episode, we talked about the "Damn Don't Cry." Yeah, it's uh, a good which one. Is, uh, one of my favorites. Uh, a rare, rare movie that lives up. It has a badass title and then fully lives up to how badass that title is. <laughs> so um, I realized one of the people we skipped in the '30s, and this is totally my fault, is Johnny Mac Brown, um, who is one of my like pre-code boyfriends. Mm-hmm. Um, Johnny Mac Brown made a ton of Westerns in the thirties and he actually did make one with Joan Crawford called Mon- Montana moon, where she is like a runaway heiress who gets on a train and goes West and ends up in Montana with no money and falls in love with this like cowboy played by Johnny Mac Brown. And I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of Johnny Mac Brown, but he is really hot. He's like six foot five, like dark Brown hair, like tall, dark and handsome to a T only at that time, there wasn't really that many like six foot five actors. Like that wasn't um, a thing really yet. And so he was, you know, just head and shoulders above everybody. He made a bunch of these movies with Joan Crawford. He's in our our dancing daughters and a few of these others, but um, they have amazing chemistry and she wears jodhpurs. And that's what you need to know about Montana moon. Um, (laughs) I think actually 1930 and, and Johnny Mac Brown made a ton of Westerns um, into the thirties and forties. And they're, like B Western. So they're not great, but Montana Moon has Joan Crawford. So it's, it is good. Um, I, I only wanted to mention river of no return because I feel like you can't not mention the one Western that Marilyn Monroe made other than the misfits. The misfits is, we will get to that. 
but um, mm-hmm. this is the one like pure Western that Marilyn Monroe made. She sings in it. Robert Mitchum is really hot. There is, you know, a rapids scene where you're unsure if they're going to make it over the rapids. That's always fun. That was very common in the like fifties. There's so many like, Oh my God, we're on rapids and it's about to go over the cliff movies at that era. I feel like they must've made a set somewhere and they had to use it a lot. (laughs) Um, It's, it's weird in that it's technically directed by Otto Preminger, but Gene Nicolesco has an uncredited credit on it. He made some of the most, uh, memorable Marilyn Monroe films, including How to Marry a Millionaire. So I don't know if he was brought on. I didn't actually look this up. I don't know if he's brought on to direct her or where that uncredited credit comes from, but that wouldn't surprise me um, because obviously Marilyn was, um, I don't want to say difficult because I feel like that's a disservice to her, but she, you know, you had to talk to her just right to get what you wanted to get out of her. And Gina Galesco was one that I think did really great work with women more than Preminger, the tyrant. <laughs> Preminger was a jerk. <laughs> I could, I could see that. Yeah, he. Everyone hated him. Um, I have a biography of him, and everyone hated him, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Have you guys seen Veracruz? I've never seen Veracruz. So both Robert Aldrich fans. Yes, it's a good one. It's got a great poster of Gary Cooper and Burt Lancaster, sort of like grimacing at each other. Because uh, that's as kind of the movie is like who can outban the other. It's a very aggro movie <laughs> set uh, again in Mexico, and um, mostly what I remember from it is there's a really uh, like I think not purposefully like I don't know I can't even come up with the right word. There's a scene where they're they're uh, they have their gun fight and the way that it's shot is very um particular let's put it out that way um is there yeah. a flock of birds that's my cat oh okay <laughs> so she's in a giant box of paper oh i see okay <laughs> she that's what she does when i have when i ignore her <laughs> she's mm. just like <laughs> i will i will make noise um i added bad day at black rock because it's de- debated whether it counts as a western or not i think it does it's also debated on whether it's a noir or not and it's like it's everything and all of the things it's kind um, of a nice combination of of the two and it even yeah. has i mean it, i would never classify it as a western uh, sorry as a pardon me as a as a horror movie but it sort of feels that way like this idea of uh this guy coming into town not realizing not realizing what this town was going to be uh and that everybody's against him like they might as well be zombies in some ways it's it is this weird combination of of things and i i kind of love it and it's one of the early times where john sturges is really delving into these these themes about the west and you know he would he made a lot of the really great revisionist Westerns in the sixties where instead of everyone, you know, the West being this place where heroes could thrive and the, and bad people are thwarted. It's like the heroes were actually probably terrible also. And, mm-hmm. and Sturgis really leans into that in some of these later films. Um, and this is kind of the beginning of that. And to your point earlier about, um, the damn don't cry. Um, bad day at black rock is one of those movies with a fucking great title. Yeah. That oh Yeah. 
living you're like oh, it was a bad day at black rock indeed <laughs> <laughs> it was good um and spencer tracy like oh he's so good in it and yeah. he's one that i you always kind of take for granted how good spencer tracy is until you're watching him and you're like dude spencer tracy could do anything i would agree with that yes yeah there is a there is a naturalism to him that uh, that takes this movie, which which has a heightened quality to it and grounds it and, like he plays a guy with one arm. He comes into town like yeah. with a suit like it would be easy to sort of overplay that character. But he does what he always does, which is just crafts a character from the inside out. And I think he was actually nominated for an Oscar for it. I think he um, was, I think which he is was. which is pretty admirable for a movie like that. Um, the next one on here was the one you were really wanted to talk about the man from Laramie. It's not so much that I really want to talk about it. I just, <laughs> I remember, uh, consistently, like when I think of like what I was talking about earlier with, with, uh, with Humphrey Bogart and just actors that uh, are looking to sort of, for lack of a better term, dismantle their image a little bit. Now, obviously Jimmy Stewart, we think about his, his collaborations with Hitchcock, but, um, and Frank Capra. The, and for, but like the only that's true yes uh but like when i watched the man from laramie i remember thinking like oh i feel like this is a, a side of jimmy stewart that i haven't really seen before where there is a certain degree of decency to him but there's also a very specific edge to him as well and i remember uh, i remember it sort of kept me on my toes this movie i would agree with that and i think um if you watch more of the anthony mann collaborations that is that is what they brought out in each other is this not quite anti-hero, but almost anti-hero mm -hmm. sort of feel where um, in all of the films, you're never really sure if Jimmy Stewart's going to do the right thing yeah, ever. And, and that's part of why I love the, the Anthony Mann ones. I think I'm missing two or three of their collaborations, but the ones that I've seen, it's, it's great because you, you really don't, you really don't know if, if Stuart is a good person in any of them or even yeah. or interrogating what a good person is like, um, is a good person good in moments? Is that enough? Like it's, right. it's interesting. And, um, I, I can't remember if it's this one or I think it's the one with Shelly Winters where there's a couple of moments where you're like, I, I, I think he's going to let her die. <laughs> like what is <laughs> happening? Um, and then it has Arthur Kennedy who Arthur Kennedy is one of those like great forgotten, actors he was nominated for like five oscars he originated almost every iconic role in an arthur miller play mm. on broadway um never won an oscar always good um now we're at bud bodicher bodicher yes bud bodicher is, is that like, how you say it i think it's bodicher okay how would you say it bodicher i was th maybe this is completely out of left field bedeker it could be Benneker. You know, it's one of those where the vowels could be anything. I've never yeah. heard it said by somebody who, like, if Scorsese said it, I would, I would right. trust him. Yeah. Like, I, that's how I learned how to say Berzegi correctly was from Scorsese. Um, that's good to know. I'm sure. Yeah, it's Berzegi. And then I found a, a, an article from the 20s where he described how to say his name. So that's probably where Scorsese discovered it. But I've never actually heard anyone with authority say his name, Bud Butcher. So who knows? We'll call him Bud. Um, seven yeah, men from better now. Better figure it out because we're going to need to say it again in oh, a few minutes. He shows up a bunch of times because yeah. he's a fucking badass. His movies are amazing. Seven Weirdly, men from I think now. The only one is, of his movies I've seen is The Bullfighter and the Lady, which is not. No, 
it is seven men from now is so good um it's actually i think uh what's his name paul schrader wants to remake it and i'm like i don't know if you should touch it schrader but um basically randolph scott is trying to avenge his wife and it's he has to get through seven men <laughs> to get to the man who like messed with his wife and it's lee marvin and at the end lee marvin is got so much swagger in this role he like he is so evil he's almost like i almost think that jack nicholson was playing this role a little bit in when he played joker like you feel a bit of it mm-hmm. the, the way that he's maniacally charming in, in um batman is very similar to lee marvin in this movie and um it's one of those ones where you 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 really you're for Randolph Scott and you're you followed him through like the Seven Men and then he gets to Lee Marvin and you're like wait a minute I like Lee Marvin he's so good but he's evil <laughs> do you want him to die um, it's a good one I didn't know anything about this movie when I rented it and I, it like has an energy to it that it is not like a lot of things I've seen so I recommend it this just moves really fast I think if anyone's gonna remake it Schrader will probably do a good job. But I'd rather everyone just watch sure. <laughs> this version and like see Lee, Lee Marvin, because um, this was when Lee Marvin was mostly still doing bit roles. And, and I, you know, I don't know if this is the role that finally people were like, oh, shit, we should cast him more. Um, but like, you know, he did this and then he did the big heat and then he was slowly getting into like bigger roles. And then by the 60s, you, you know, he was Lee Marvin. We all know today. Um, but for me, this was the role, I think, that really if you go chronologically through his career, you're like, oh yeah, mm. this is when he knew he had to like step up if he was going to get bigger roles and he did it. That is my take. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. We should um, uh, maybe move like something like giant. I don't know how much there's to say, but we should maybe move a little faster. Cause we're not yeah. even halfway through this. I know. List. <laughs> I know. Um, well, we can just like, why do you love <laughs> Western so much? <laughs> <laughs> Mariah. I don't like, know. We get it. Hats and horses. God. Um, <laughs> Giant. And hot guys, apparently. I know. Well, yeah. yeah and hot women. And hot, sure, and, like sure. badass women. That's the thing. No. Um, well, I mean, Giant is great because it, it shows like Texas and cows, and then you have James Dean with the oil, and then he plays two versions. He's young James Dean and he's old mm-hmm. James Dean, and you get early Dennis Hopper and Elizabeth Taylor's probably her sauciest. She's great in it. Yes, I really enjoy my, her. One of my favorite of her performances, and Rock Hudson is very good in it. Um, sort of the movie that made him start to get lead roles and stop having to play Native Americans. Um, <laughs> uh, Jubal is a is a um, Criterion Collection one, and uh, Delmer Dave's made up a, a couple of these films with Glenn Ford, and it's one that I particularly like because Ernest Borgnine is a bastard in it, and I always think of him as Marty, and he gets to be this big, giant asshole in it, and that was kind of fun to see. Is he a bigger asshole in this or from here to eternity? I think probably from here to eternity. Okay. More, but like he gets more screen time in this because they're co- kind of the co-leads. Um, or is it Rod Steiger that's the bastard? Now I can't remember. Shit. What if I'm misremembering? I think he, he's the husband. Yeah. No, he's the husband. Okay. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm like doubting my own memory. Um, Love Me Tender, you just have to mention because it's Elvis Presley mm-hmm. in a Western and he sings and... He's actually well, very well, you'd, good. You'd be ripped off if you'd feel ripped off if he didn't. You'd ask for your very, money back. He's very good in it. It's like <laughs> Burn the place I, down. I think I think if you look at the early the early Elvis movies, you could see a star wanting to be an actor 
And unfortunately, they just put him in worse and worse and worse and worse movies as his career went up, went forward. So like Jailhouse Rock, Love Me Tender, good performances and Elvis as Elvis. Right. And then you just started to he just started to just be Elvis towards the end. And and that sucks. That's my take on Love Me Tender. Um, Worth watching, even if you're not an Elvis fan, is kind of what I'm trying to get at. Um, Now we're at the Searchers. (laughs) It took us like two hours to get to the Searchers. Man, it's it's so the wonderful. Is, I love the searchers. Is, the searchers is great. And this is when you hit the movies where they're really starting to like like neo noir, like right. So you had noir in the forties and fifties and then neo noir took two two decades. It it took fifty years, almost sixty years of Westerns to have a filmmaker actually start to like look at the tropes and say, Hey, there's some issues here. Um mm-hmm. And, and the idea that it's, I'm sorry, I interrupted. No, 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 go on. The idea that it's, that there is, there is just something, and certainly I'm going to say this when we get to, to Clint Eastwood, but like whether it be an actor or a director, like when it's somebody who has certainly made their living establishing these tropes. Yeah. And then they themselves, and he would go on to do it a few years later, again with John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart, and just be like, well, hang on a second. Let's, let's rethink this. Yeah. Not to necessarily, let's not, downplay it let's not condemn it but let's at least re re-examine it and i feel like you know when you're when you're a john ford and a john wayne you get to 1956 you're like i think we've got this worked out right like we're we're we've we've figured out the the formula here uh and and that's the problem is they have figured out the formula and they are really interesting interested in in turning it on its head and while also being in its own way a, a wonderful Western, like one yeah. of the best examples of the genre. Yeah. And, and has some of the most beautiful cinematography. And speaking mm-hmm. of like, if, if uh, stagecoach had one of the great um, introductions, the searcher has one of the great exits. Oh yeah. Mm. Right. Yeah. Like beautiful. Um, ugh. I, yeah. I mean, we could talk, do a whole two hours just on the searchers. <laughs> yeah. Um, Everyone watches Searchers. And then, so 310 to Yuma, I could have also put the the remake because the remake's actually quite good. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Ben Foster should have gotten an Oscar nomination. I said it. Um, it's a tough he, year. Tough he year that year. good in that. But yeah. um, this version I particularly love because I love Glenn Ford and I love Van Heflin a lot. And Glenn Ford is such a bastard in this movie. Like he is... <laughs> he is so mean and Van Heflin is like, why are you so mean? And it's just, <laughs> it's really good. And there's a scene like a seduction scene or an attempted seduction scene by Glenn Ford in a bar that like, again, is one of those ones where you're like, okay, he is a jerk. He's established that he's a jerk. You should not be rooting for him to like seduce this nice lady. And at the same time, you're like, I would be seduced. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you love to see it. Um, <laughs> we have so many movies left. 40 yeah. Guns is really great because it's Sam Fuller. It is balls to the wall action like Sam Fuller does. Barbara Stanwyck is a badass. She has the 40 Guns are her, her dudes that she is like, you cannot take my land. I have 40 Guns. Like 40 Guns is like 40 people on horses with guns. It's not actually 40 Guns. But um, I would like, I think I might like it more if it was just her with 40, with 40 Guns. guns. <laughs> it's really, it's really good. And she, she is so fierce in it. And it's one of her last like film roles towards the end of her career. Um, and she did an earlier Western called Arizona that I didn't include on here where she um, seduces William Holden and she's 40 and William Holden is 20. And I, 
you know, I love to see it. So yeah. um, always watch Barbara Stanwyck movies, but it's it's a great Sam Fuller movie too. If you like his style of filmmaking, um, you get everything that you want to see. Gunfight in OK Corral, I think we already kind of talked about a little bit in mm -hmm. that. Okay. Um, it's another take on on Tombstone. Right. Burt Lancaster is really good in it. Or Kirk Douglas. It's one of like five movies they made together with their chins. You know, um, <laughs> uh, the tall T is another just great, but but a film. It's another Randolph Scott. It's um, based on an Elmer Leonard story, you know, mm. he did crime, but he also did Westerns. And yeah. it's a nice mixture kind of of all of it. It's another one where you could make an argument that it is a, a Western noir. Um, the Tin Star is an Anthony Mann that is not talked about that much, which I think should be it's got beautiful cinematography and it has this interesting um kind of wistful performance from henry fonda uh about and anthony, anthony perkins has become a sheriff and henry fonda is retired and it's looking at like what what the symbolism of the tin star is and does it really give you power and what does that mean and it is it mm -hmm. is a revisionist western in that it's exploring what it means to be a sheriff and and regret and you know, it's, it's good. It's good. I don't want to spoil the plot, but um, it's a good one. And I think one of Anthony Perkins, one of his best performances, just mm -hmm. good stuff from him. Um, the big country is another big cow. It's a big cattle movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big cow movie. <laughs> it's a big cow movie. It's William Wyler. It's just a big epic. And Gregory Peck's good in it. Um Cowboys and other Delmer Daves. Delmer Daves is one of those directors I feel like nobody talks about anymore, but he made a bunch of great films in the 50s. And Glenn Ford and Jack Lemmon are gamblers. And at one point, multiple mm. times, actually, they take baths next to each other. And it's really, really weird, um, but in a great way. Because they're, they're like having manly conversations about women, but they're both very naked and in the bath Soapy. and you're like, what is, what is happening here? And, I get it. and, um, Jack Lemon is sort of the like younger, you know, he, he's a little awkward and trying to fight his way through the world. And Glenn Ford is so cool by this point in his career. Um, David, I feel it, like um, this is a movie of the time of, of our lives together back when we lived in <laughs> yeah, Chicago. Sure. Yeah. And our clawfoot <laughs> bathtubs <laughs> next to each other. It, it has uh, a, a beautiful, um, um, who's that? Who's the, I can't remember anybody's names anymore. The guy that did all those great, um, like paper cut, uh, in intro sequences. Bass. Yes. It has a really great Saul Bass, um, nice credit sequence. Um, uh, can I toss out a couple of the 1958 ones that aren't on your list? Yeah. Um, one, I'm assuming you have it in your Joel McRae box set, but Fort massacre. Oh, I almost movie. had that. I had that. And then I took it off like last minute. But that it's just, good. He, yeah, because he's uh, uh, kind of like we were talking about uh, Humphrey Bogart earlier, just willing to just just he's a real piece of shit in that. He's movie. horrible in that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's uh, a real good one. And then another Anthony Mann movie, Man of the West, uh, Anthony Mann, Gary Cooper, which is... Uh, That's one of the few I haven't seen. Okay, but uh, yeah. I think like you were saying with the Tin Star and going back to the Searchers, this is another sort of proto-revisionist -revision uh, Western. You know, it's... it's uh, uh, um, Gary Cooper plays a former outlaw who's now like a uh, school teacher. He's like given up his life of crime, but then he has to resort back to his old tactics to protect, uh, defend off this uh, his, his old band of uh uh cohorts uh mm. um but the violence in it is it's just very bleak and cynical the violence mm. in it is very very brutal 
um uh don't watch the trailer on youtube because it's you th- we, we people complain nowadays about trailers giving away too oh. much but the oh trailer gosh. for man of the yes. west is essentially the climactic shootout like that's just, what they did, what they did. <laughs> there's a movie called Marlowe from the 60s with james garner same thing don't watch the trailer it spoils the whole movie it's preposterous um and also at one point in man of the west gary cooper like you would shove a guy up against the wall shoves a guy up against a horse which is funny <laughs> <laughs> i like that i like that um, so I had Ride Lonesome, which is another but but Butcher movie, um, because a the title is really good. B it's one of the later Randolph Scotts, and and he's starting to sort of you know it's another sort of old man movie where it's an old old cowboy kind of looking at his past and trying to sort of make things right by the end, and it has beautiful cinematography like the the scope of it it's i don't i don't know if it's in cinemascope or not but it's it is very white it's one of the wider widescreens um of of that era and it is gorgeous like just gorgeous to look at and then the title again is lovely um and then the the last 259 ones on here rio bravo obviously i think howard hawks remade this movie three times two times he made a couple different versions of the same movie um, and it was his answer to High Noon. Hmm. Only in High Noon, it is Gary Cooper, the one man who can save the town. And in Rio Bravo and the other two versions, it's it's John Wayne, Dean Martin, and Ricky Nelson have to get together and to some extent, Angie Dickinson. And it's a group of people who it's I think it, I've read a few essays where it's kind of like the lone man lone great man that can save everybody or the fact that we as a society like we're a society we as a society have to come together as a group to to really um affect change so there are sort of political opposites in the way that they look at how to go against something um and i, I don't i don't know i don't know enough i'm not smart enough to know which one is like a more aligned with i just know that they're both fun movies <laughs> Um, and Rio Bravo has um, some great singing by both Ricky Nelson and Dean Martin and probably mm-hmm. Dean Martin's best performance or at least one of his best performances. He's like a, a alcoholic trying to dry out um, and he's he's very good in it. And then Angie Dickinson gets to be a badass because she's Angie Dickinson and she is a badass. So um, Warlock is another great Richard Widmark yeah, performance. It has a beautiful poster. It's one of my favorite posters. Um, you get Anthony Quinn, you get Henry Fonda. It's Edward Dimitrick, so it's it's got some political um, underpinnings. Also, he's the one that did Crossfire and um, Gentleman's Agreement, and he was blacklisted, mm. and or his writers were blacklisted. I think he, he definitely was, like, this is an anti-blacklist movie is, is mm. kind of what I'm saying with Western trappings. Um, and and that, that's brings kind us, of, that brings us to the halfway yeah. point, by the way, of the list. <laughs> <laughs> Which also brings us to the halfway point of cinema because we're in 2021 and this is 60 years. So think about that. I didn't actually mean to right. hit it in the middle yeah, like perfect. that, but it, yeah. it did. So, hey, um, The Magnificent Seven is probably the, one of the first Westerns I ever saw. I feel like most people saw it when they were kids if they had parents who liked movies. <laughs> seems right have you, did you guys see it when you were younger uh i've actually still never seen it to be what? honest i know i, I, see, I saw I the antoine fuqua remake uh, a few okay. years ago you got it you got I, it <laughs> i did like the remake uh, me um, too but yeah I, i'm not gonna lie i i mean i love ethan hawk i should have had that on the list actually whatever this is um, see i i live in a world i feel like the internet 
or at least film internet loves Ethan Hawke now, but because I co-host the show with Tyler and I am married mm-hmm. to who I'm married to, I'm surrounded by people who are Ethan Hawke skeptics. And so, uh, I, so, I like when this show represents for Ethan. Hawke I've, I've for been the, a fan. Uh, I've been a fan of Ethan Hawke my entire life. And I have, yeah. I have like people that I talked way too much about, um, the, the Gwyneth Paltrow movie, you know, the Alfonso Cuaron Great Expectations and then oh, Hamlet right. way too much when I was youth. So people like people can back me up that this has been a lifelong fascination. <laughs> but yeah, the people love him more now, I think, than like he Gen X loved him and then he kind of wait, waned a little bit and now everyone loves him again. But he is quite good in the new Magnificent Seven. He's uh, good. Yeah. Um Vincent D'Onofrio is good as the mountain man. Oh my um, yes. So the Magnificent Seven, this is John Sturge just like coming way out there you got yul brunner c mcqueen charles bronson eli wallach it's like every eli wallach in a bad guy role um and it's a remake of of this of seven samurai so my my mom showed me both movies like in one weekend because that's what my childhood was like and um she was like we're gonna watch seven samurai and then we're gonna watch the magazine seven back to back and i'm like what um i'm probably eight or nine (laughs) when we did this but it's i think it is a a really fun like take on this story not that the seven samurai isn't fun that one's also quite fun but it's it's a, like a western that has a really dramatic point but it's does goes about the drama in a really fun way that doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense but um because <laughs> we've been talking for like two hours but you know it's like we're in the 60s and and i think you started to see sort of a playfulness in like editing and in the kind of ways people were performing and this is why like tarantino riffs mostly off of 60s and 70s movies for a reason you know um so it feels i think when you watch it it will feel more modern than you might expect from 1960 is i guess what i'm saying um which brings us to the last sunset i have to bring up the last sunset contractually because i love joseph cotton um sure but also it was one of the early screenplays where dalton trumbo got screen credit again um, having been blacklisted. Um, and that's partly because obviously Kirk Douglas was a big, like he had a lot of issues, but he did help, you know, break the blacklist. And so this is a, you know, kind of an important one for being a blacklist breaking film. Um, and a great performance from Rock Hudson. It's so fascinating to just like looking at this and you just see the same, names over and over and not not just the directors that's to be expected but like yeah. the same actors like there was a time and maybe it's maybe it's true these days and i just am not really thinking about it but like you look back and you're just like boy you're gonna see a lot of this like there you have your western actors yeah. some of them do other yeah, things and, but yeah and what's, what's, inter- what's interesting is that i think uh passing fans know john wayne and clint eastwood made a lot of westerns but i don't know that most people unless you or like me and you've seen so many knew that rock hudson was in so many or that jimmy stewart mm-hmm. was in so many or that you know john, um joel craig was in so many you know it's mm-hmm. or glenn ford glenn ford most people think of his noir and he has he made as many noir as he made westerns um this brings us to the misfits which is another one it's like is it a western i'm not 100 sure it's definitely set in reno and there are broncos and they are definitely cowboys and it's a bleak look at, at what the West, like the myth of the West is actually just a bunch of broken people. <laughs> so in that sense, it's lovely. I don't know if you've seen it. 
Have you seen it? No. No, actually. It's the last performance from Clark Gable, Montgomery Clift, or um, Clark Gable, Marilyn Monroe, and Montgomery Clift. Oh, wow. Um, everybody dies. It's a curse. It, yes. Oh, yeah. It has a really, really complex production history. Um, it's the beginning of the end of Marilyn Monroe in terms of just her mental health. Mm. Um, you can see Clark Gable, like you can see him creaking. It's, it is a hard one to watch for those reasons, but it's also brilliant in that it is about the death of the West in a way. And then all these people are dying. And so it's, it's a hard one to watch. Um, but I think really important Two road together is a cute one with James Stewart and Richard Woodmark. They are titular too. (laughs) But I'll say this is probably the first, this is probably the first James, James Stewart, Jimmy Stewart Western that I saw at the time that I saw oh. two road together, which is probably like, uh, our, my first year in Chicago, I saw it at the Gene Siskel film center. Um, and I knew Jimmy Stewart from like Frank Catherine movies and romantic comedies and, and stuff. And so, yeah, well, this movie is cute, but also he's like a corrupt cynic yeah. in, in this movie. And that was, a, <laughs> that was definitely a James Stewart. I wasn't, I mean, I guess like there's some cynicism in like the Philadelphia story and his character being kind of bitter, but yeah. like this was a version of Jim, Jimmy Stewart that I had never seen before when I saw, when I saw this movie. Yeah. I say cute because they have really great buddy energy. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't think they'd been in a film together before. And so usually you get good buddy energy, you know, after, appearing in a few movies together or like um, Kirk Douglas and, and um, I'm just forgetting the other chin, Brett Lancaster had good like animosity energy. Somehow I, I, I remember distinctly thinking like, I wonder if Stuart and Widmark had been friends and wanted to make a movie together so they could be pals. Cause they really feel like pals in the film. Um, so neither of you have seen how the West was won. No, no. But uh, before we leave 1961, I want to mention one eyed Jacks. The, Oh uh, yeah. Brando I still movie. haven't seen that. Uh, it's, uh, I, I, it's probably, I don't know uh, enough about what the re- reception was at the time. Probably wasn't great, uh, because it's a, you know, a star turning to directing and making a super indulgent movie. You know, it's a two and a half hour movie that has yeah. like long shots of just like the ocean. And like, it really luxuriates and takes its time. Um, I find it to be very, a very uh, beautiful sort of meditative uh, uh, variation on a, a pretty standard uh, uh, Western type of story. And Carl, uh, Carl Malden's great in it. And the mm, uh, I mentioned K, uh, Katie Gerardo shows up as well. Oh, well now I'm sold. um well how the west was one is one that again my parents had it's actually not four hours it's only three hours long but my parents had this on like a cassette tape and widescreen cassette tape my mom would only buy widescreen cassette tapes and wow it it is in it has yes she yes she was one of the few people who knew about that somehow and um it's directed by john ford henry hathaway and george marshall and I'm not very familiar with the rest of George Marshall's career, but Henry Hathaway is one of the great um, directors of noir. He also made several Westerns, but um, his noir from the forties is like the dark corner is one of my favorite in terms of like its use of sound design. So you should look Henry Hathaway up. But How the West was one is um, three generations and you follow Debbie Reynolds. She's the only one that you follow the whole way through. And it's a family moving 
from the east to the west and it goes through all of the different kinds of westerns that exist so you have a railway you have a civil war section you have a railway section you have a um i think it's there's sections where there's the civil war the rivers the plains the outlaws the railroad um those are the, all the sequences and at, mm-hmm. at one point um gregory peck is like a shitty gambler and you're like debbie reynolds you deserve better and then at another point um her sister like falls in love with jimmy stewart and he's a trapper and he's like he gets trapped he literally gets trapped in a cave at one point because he's like he says something like i will always look for the varmint meaning he will always be looking for something like the excitement and so he's going to be make a terrible husband but she marries him anyways and you're like no he told you he's gonna be terrible um and so you, you debbie reynolds is the only one in my opinion who really gets out great because she goes to san francisco and she makes a lot of money off of gold miners and becomes fabulous and Debbie wins the day, but it's, it's three hours and it, it really does cover the various eras of how the Western United States became what we are now. Um, I like the alternate, the alternate title, Debbie wins the day. I mean, Uh, Debbie always wins the day is the truth (laughs) though. Like, um, which brings us to how the West is one is like showing westward expansion and it doesn't do a great job with the native characters but doesn't show them as as terrible either so you know you get a little bit it's not as revisionist as it could be but then you get to the man who shot liberty valance same year and um is is this the most meta western ever i think so and has probably the greatest line in any western which is print the legend right like Yes. I remember when I, I first saw this movie and it got to that point, I was like, what? what? And then it makes you rethink. It's so it's so meta that it makes you rethink all of the Westerns that have yeah. come before it. Um, like because you took it kind of at his, as, as real history and you realize none of it is probably accurate at all. <laughs> and it's it's the kind of thing where. This OK, this might be a weird sentiment, which is like. The only person that could make this movie with John, was John Ford, and the only person that could star in it was John Wayne. Yeah. If they couldn't get John Wayne, there's no point in making it. No, and then you get Jimmy Stewart, which when I had seen this movie, I hadn't seen the Jimmy Stewart Western, so I didn't mm. realize that he's also sort of breaking down his own career Yeah. over the decade where he made all these Anthony Mann Westerns. And so it's, it's multiple layers of meta on top of each other. Yeah. It's such a wonderful film and such an unexpected film. Uh, we had Stephen Farber on the show, and he recently put out a book about 1962 being the best movie year ever. Mm-hmm. And this film plays heavily into that, and understandably so. It's it is a top tier western, and you wouldn't expect it to be because it's so inward looking. Uh, but even within that it still manages to be a great example of its own genre. Yes. Yes. And again, has a great female character in Vera Miles. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you really, I, I, you know, I can't stress enough just how much this is a genre like noir that really let women shine mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and be complex. So that brings us to a, a pair of Martin, it says Marvin, but it's Martin Ritt, Paul Newman movies. Um, HUD is, is a contemporary set, kind of like the misfits look at, um, this idea of, 
a very macho Western man who's actually just a drunken asshole. Um, <laughs> Paul Newman was really like the king of playing drunken assholes, really. And Patricia Neal won Best Actress for this, and she's only in it for like 22 minutes. Hmm. She, but she won Lead Actress, and hmm. and I think it's because she is so so strong in this character and the, the like moral compass of the film in such a way that even when she's not on screen, her presence is there. Um, so like ordinarily I would argue about category fraud, but I think, I think despite the small amount of screen time, her presence is throughout the whole movie. Um, and Paul Newman is wonderful as the, the kind of the drunken asshole who, who really thinks he's greater than he is. Um, the outrage, not to be confused with Ida Lupino's outrage, which is a different film altogether is, um, a remake of Rashomon. If you mm-hmm. ever knew such a thing existed, I did not. My dad had seen this movie when it was new. He was probably 14 when it came out. And uh, we were watching Rashomon and he was like, oh, have you seen The Outrage? And I'm like, dad, no, of course I have not seen The Outrage. So we rented it and watched it as a family. Um, and Lawrence Harvey is like the, I don't know if you've seen Rashomon, but he's the he's the, yeah. um, the cuckolded husband, if you will, okay. depending on whose version you Hmm. listen to right and Lawrence Harvey is such an asshole in every single movie he made in the 60s pretty much and this is the like pinnacle of his assholeness um the issue I have with it is that Paul Newman is in brown face he is playing a Mexican bandit and it is really uncomfortable it is he is the Mifuni character and it is like why couldn't you have just cast an actual Mexican actor. Like you could have had an Anthony Quinn in the role. He's actually Mexican. It would have been fine, but um, no. So it's, it's good. And and then it's cringy at the same time. Um, and now we're finally at Sergio Leone. Yeah. <laughs> spaghetti Westerns. Oh, so these were the ones that I grew up on where my, my dad rented the dollars trilogy like every couple of months he would just rent all three of them and be like, we're watching them. And I'm like, why don't you buy these? <laughs> like, yeah. Why do you keep renting them? Um, so it's a fiscal like, dollar well, money bags. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe with the money, with your allowance, you can buy them, but I'm a working man. That's, you know, he bought a lot of movies, like ones that he would rewatch. I just, he never bought these ones. Fistful of dollars is a remake of Yojimbo. So much like the outrage, this is, and then seven samurai, you know, you, you, or Magnus at Seven, they were remaking these Akura Kurosawa movies as westerns, um, and it, it it's probably my least favorite of the three. If it's full of dollars for a few dollars more, and uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Cause Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is my favorite, and then I like a few dollars more because I like Levon Cleef, and I like. See, I love him. this one, and I think it's just that I I like. It's the same instinct that makes me like the Terminator more than Terminator Two. I just mm. like that it's I like that it's lean and mean. You know, I mean that's true. That is true. Um, and and you it introduces us to one of the great, you know, one of the great characters of all time, the man with no name. Um, I actually haven't seen Duck You Sucker, which is the like Levon yeah, Cleef right. on his own mm. movie, aka but, Fistful of Dynamite. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that one holds up, but I, the good, the bad and the ugly is not only my favorite Western and my favorite of these Westerns. It is on my like top 10 favorite movies, period. It's I have, pretty hard to beat. I have watched it 
so many times. I've seen it on the big screen three or four times. I have the DVD. I should probably get it on Blu-ray at some point, but I, I have the like great DVD set that came out like 15 years ago, you know, with the white packaging. Um, mm-hmm. I have watched it an immense amount of times. Um, I love Eli Wallach in it, even though I know that he is not Mexican. <laughs> it is the one time where I'm like, you know, He's played a lot of nationalities. He has, and they don't, it's not, it's still like an outrage. They very much tried to darken Paul Newman's skin. They don't do too much with the makeup. They kind of got away with it by making him just dirty all the time. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's hard so to they, tell what color anybody is under that sheen yeah, of sweat. Yeah. And, but it has my all time favorite film sequence, which is the ecstasy of gold sequence where he's yeah. running through the, the, um, the I'm losing the name of everything cemetery. He's running to the cemetery trying to yeah. find the grave. And it's the most perfectly edited sequence I feel like has ever, I mean, yes, everyone talks about the, the, the editing of the, the dual, or the, the dual, it's not really dual when there's three of them, but yeah. um, I think the way what that, would the, you call that, I don't know, I don't, I don't know, three, but I think the way that the, that you the way that they use the editing to f- so you truly feel the ecstasy that he's feeling as he's finding the thing is just ugh, it's perfect so uh obviously in the fight with my dad it's between the good the bad and the ugly and um once upon a time in the west and we actually made him watch them back to back one day and they're long movies so this yeah. is like a, a day yeah. and um i think after that day, he 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 agreed with me for like a second, and then like a couple of days later, he's like, "I've been thinking about it, and no." <laughs> and <I'm> like, oh. <laughs> so we'll we'll just disagree. Um, I wanted to mention Capaloo because we brought up Lee Marvin earlier, and Lee Marvin won an Oscar for this movie that is a Western comedy. He's not, it, it, you know, it's like you think of him as like Point Blank or some of these others yeah. where he's like badass. He's he's a drunken idiot in this movie. And then he also plays his like twin brother, I think. And he's so he's a villain and a drunken hero. And in his acceptance speech, he thanked the horse because he he has like this comic chemistry with his horse that I I don't even want to know how they got it. Like it, you watch it and you're like, they are buddies. He's buddies with this horse. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know. That takes the magic away. Um, and Jane Fonda is very good in it too. I don't want to um, underplay. She's, she's got great comic timing too, but like, he's so good in it. And the horse really like the horse is drunk at one point. And I don't know how they did it. And I, I don't know mm-hmm. if they, <laughs> They like gave them one out. I don't want to know. It's funny. And that's all I want to know, you know? (laughs) Um, So I recommend this, especially for Lee's performance, but in that if you're into genre blending, because it is very much a Western comedy. Um, And then same with a big hand for little lady. It, Oh, can I, sorry, can I, uh, can I shoehorn in another 1965 movie? Yes. Uh, Sam Peckinpah's Major Dundee, which is a, a movie that I think was not well received when it came out. And then I, around 2005, it got restored. Someone tried to sort of like recut it back to what Sam Peckinpah wanted it uh, to be. It's a pretty nasty uh, Calvary movie, mm. but. Um, Who's in it? I don't think uh, I've seen it. It's Charlton Heston. And that's uh, when you were earlier talking about Kirk Douglas, who's like 
problematic, but also was like a champion for certain things. Uh, Charles Heston was similar. Uh, <laughs> I guess uh, Fox tried to fire Sam Peckinpah from the production, and Charlton Heston basically said, "If this isn't a Sam Peckinpah movie, it's not a Charlton Heston movie." Oh and, wow! Uh, and 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 kept him kept him on. So uh, good for Charlton Heston. Oh well, that's uh, good. I'll have to look for that one. I, I that's one I, I missed somehow. Um, a big hand for a little lady is another kind of comedy ish one. I really don't want to spoil it because it has, it is a movie that can easily be spoiled, but um, it's one that all I want to say about it really is that you should watch it, not knowing anything about it other than it's Henry Fonda, John Woodward, Jason Robards. And it is, is delightful. And that's it's gambling and you'll watch it not knowing what's happening. And then you'll be like, Oh shit. That's all I want to say. Like, because it's one I didn't know anything about it when I watched it. It's one of my mom's favorite movies. And when it was over, I was like, we have to watch it again because <laughs> I, I, you know, it's, you have to watch it again immediately after. That's what I'm going to say about that one. Um, the Professionals is another great, like, Burt Lancaster, Burley movie. Um, I feel like Burt Lancaster made a lot of these movies where he's just, like, really big <laughs> and that's the plot i don't know um but it also has it also has a good performance from robert ryan towards the end like robert ryan sort of peaked and then he kind of you know went this way a little bit and then he started to just make these movies where he was like jerk robert ryan because he was kind of charming and then he was like jerk robert ryan and then in the 70s he just played like hippie characters and stuff and he's was one of those actors that i like I like the ebbs and flows of his career. And this was at the height of him being very burly, like Burt Lancaster. Um, and it's an early Jack Palance performance. So you, you see him in this and then you can see sort of shades of curly later, which is, which is mm. good. Um, the shooting is considered the first acid Western. So it's called an acid Western. There's a few of these because they take Western sentimentalities and then sort of that, like acid editing. I don't, I don't know if that's exactly where that, where acid came from, mm -hmm. but you know, that like sixties, you know, there were a lot of those movies where they, they just did weird shit with the editing, like girl on motorcycle or big cube or some of these others. And it's not linear and you're mm -hmm. never really sure <laughs> what you're seeing. Um, he did two movies. I didn't see the other one, so I didn't add it, but um, he has two of these movies, Monty Hellman directed and the shootings one got Jack Nicholson in it. And then the other one I'm forgetting mm. the name of, cause I haven't seen it yet, but they're both available from criterion. Um, and sometimes they're on criterion channel. So I recommend that, but there are the acid Westerns sort of become more popular in the eighties and nineties. And you see a couple of people who filmmakers who clearly saw this and were inspired and, and sort of riffed on it, like film school kids. Um, yeah. Like a lot of, you know, you watch the new wave films and then you had like New Hollywood kind of stuff. Um, we're at Once Upon a Time in the West. So this one, you know, my dad loves this one. I've said that like seven times now. Mm -hmm. I do I do think that it is, those are the two best Sergio Leone films. I will, I, I agree with that. You know, like those are the peak. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly and Once Upon a Time in the West. And Once Upon a Time in the West does have possibly Henry Fonda's best performance. He is so slimy in this. Claudia Cardinelli uh, is great. And it is, we'll admit that um, 
Once Upon a Time in the West actually has a woman in it, whereas The Good and the Bad and the Ugly doesn't really have any women. So I will give it that. And Claudia Carnelli shows up in a couple of different Westerns, um, you know, because she was in uh, a lot of these Westerns that were shot in Italy because she was Italian. I do. And I do also enjoy, I mean, uh, we, we did an episode uh, a while back with uh, West Anthony about, uh, about um, Ennio Morricone mm-hmm. and, uh, and we talked about, you know, music that he did for uh, good, the bad, the ugly and once upon a time in the West, it is pretty great. I mean, I think I, I think I definitely, I definitely prefer the good, the bad and the ugly, but once upon, once upon a time in the West is very watchable. And I think because it's characters. I, you know, I really connect with Charles Bronson. I really connect with um, Jason Robards. And I do think that it has a, a, a better villain. Although the first time yeah. I watched it, I did have a hard time. I, I feel like Henry Fonda has sort of an, a natural decency that comes through uh, just as a, as a person, but it also is just probably that I was more accustomed to seeing him in, in more heroic w- roles. So it took me a while to embrace him as this character but once i did i think he he does a pretty good job yeah and and i think it is that decency in him that makes some of the actions that he takes makes him so shocking yeah um and he has those you know those beautiful blue eyes and it's one of the few movies you know in most of the films that i think of when i think of henry fonda are in black and white so you aren't aren't used to those like piercing blue eyes and and that adds a layer i think to just how shocking the performance is oh man can you imagine if my darling clementine was in color yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to meet you where you're at i here. know i know um because then he would be leaning and have blue eyes exactly um hang him high um well real quick while we're on uh, oh. uh big we, big year for spaghetti westerns in 60 so many, because also so many. um sergio Corbucci's the great silence which mm. is a beautiful movie to look at it's um, also incredibly nihilistic um but uh it's also clearly a enormous influence on the hateful eight to the point where like some stuff just seems like like at the beginning that two like uh bounty hunters pick up the new sheriff who's on the way to the place with like the town they're going to because he's been stranded in the snow like the exact same setup as the beginning of of the hateful eight um and then another one from 1968 another uh, uh spaghetti western uh that i only mentioned for two reasons it has a great an amazing title it's called if you meet sartana pray for your death oh um, that's a cool title i haven't uh, seen that <laughs> um and the lead uh Johnny Jarko, Johnny Garko. I'm not sure who plays Sartana. Um, I don't know if this isn't uh, uh, also an influence on the hateful eight. He wears the co- a coat with bright red lining, mm-hmm. and, and Samuel Jackson wears the coat with the bright yellow lining in Hateful Eight. And I don't know if that if that's an intentional uh, uh, reference. But uh, anyway, I don't. I, 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 it's been a long time since I saw, I, I saw If You Meet Sartana, play, Pray for Your Death once many years ago. I don't really remember much about the movie except cool title, cool coat. Um, that's all you need. One of the acid Westerns that I didn't put on here. Cause I haven't seen it. I can't remember what year it is. Is El Topo. I just remembered. I feel like I, if I don't mention El Topo, people will like throw eggs at me. Um, I actually haven't seen any of the Hodorowski films because I'm afraid. I know. I actually have that. Um, I have the, uh, the box set that came out last fall. Um, and I haven't really, uh, I've, you know, uh, I've seen enough imagery to know that it's going to like give me bad dreams. And 
so I haven't watched them yet. But I feel like because I mentioned acid westerns that I have to at least say that I know that I haven't seen El Topo. Um, Hang 'em High is a movie that I watched way too many times as a kid for what its plot is, which is um, they hang the wrong man and then he doesn't die and he tries to seek vengeance. Um, it's it's a very bleak kind of revenge movie. <laughs> I, I think I watched it like I kept asking my mom to re-rent it and I don't I don't really know why because it's it's really awful plot but i think clint, clint eastwood's really good in it like he's so angry um i think that's why i enjoyed it it's just such an angry performance um i probably did not gleam any good like anything good from it um and it has an early um bruce dern performance and i actually haven't rewatched it since i really knew who bruce dern was so i'm kind of like it's one i feel like i need to revisit because i have my childhood memories from it but i you know i don't know that i've seen it as an adult um the next one I've seen many times, and it's probably the top two threesome movies of all time. Mm. <laughs> the other one being Jules and Jim, um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Raindrops keep falling on my head. <laughs> um, this is another one that was my parents' faves. My mom's a big Redford fan. Um, and we had this one on cassette, and we watched it a lot. And I, I still remember the first time I saw it and uh, this one I will spoil because I feel like most people who listen to the show have probably seen it. Um, but I still remember when it ends, it was maybe one of the first movies I'd seen where I really loved the characters and then they die, like very clearly die. Mm -hmm. Um, unless you've seen Blackburn and or black Blackthorn and then maybe they don't die. Um, I forgot that movie but, existed. I didn't yeah. See Blackthorn it. with Sam Shepard. But, um, like that really upset me as a kid, like, they are so charming, Paul Newman and Redford, that you want them to make it out of there. And and they very much don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a movie that has a line in it that became uh, like a family joke line. Uh, I feel like a lot of movie-centric families tend to have a line that ends up becoming a family joke that is used other ways so in this one um there's a line where he goes you think he used enough dynamite there butch do you know that part yeah yeah okay so anytime someone has put too much of something on something <laughs> it'll be like you think you used enough you know whipped cream there butch or you think you used oh, enough whatever like that it's become family lore um I don't know. There's a lot to say about Butch Cassidy and obviously I know, sometimes, this is what I said before sometimes when you get to on this show because our audience is pretty savvy when it gets to the big name movies. It's like, what do you say? Like, yeah. They, and you know, yeah. obviously like Sundance film festivals because Robert Redford was right. the Sundance kid. And it is like high on the most charming of Paul Newman's performances though. He is like incredibly charming in this movie. It's good um, competition there too. I know he's charming in a lot of these movies and you just, He's one of those guys when, when I growing up, I always used to think Steve McQueen was like a jerk in movies and Paul Newman was charming. And then I realized actually Paul Newman's the jerk in all the movies and Steve McQueen is the charming one. And <laughs> how did I miss mix that up in my head? I don't know. Um, probably because in the real life, Steve McQueen was the motorcycle riding bad boy and Paul Newman was right. the charity giving sweet pot smoking husband man. So who knows? He made salad um, dressing. <laughs> 
Yeah, right. <laughs> he made the he made the best salad dressing. <laughs> um, True Grit. We got Henry Hathaway. It's first in his career. John Wayne wins his Oscar. Glenn Campbell's in it. You know, it's not as good as the remake, in my opinion. Um, okay. It has a great ending, though. It's another one with a good ending, like a little cheesy, but like a good cheesy ending. I feel like everyone's seen True Grit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then yeah, the Wild Bunch. The Wild Bunch. Movie. Yeah. A lot of people have seen that um, one too. I want to shout out Warren Oates because Warren Oates, whenever he shows up in a movie, you know you're in for a good time. Um, Little Big Man is a weird one. I don't know that oh, I like sorry, it. I meant, sorry, real quick. 1969, another um, oh. spaghetti western uh, starring Levi and Cleef, Sabata, which is oh, a movie yeah. that uh, you could you could show to little kids like the, the it's on one hand, it's very violent, but the violence is almost slapsticky to the point where it's almost like a Looney Tunes cartoon version of, of, uh, of a spaghetti Western. Um, it's a, a super fun movie. I don't know that I've seen that one. Um, I gotta, I gotta look that up. So little big man is doing a lot. I don't know that I like it. Dustin Hoffman is on like, a lot of speed or something in this movie um but my mom really likes this movie she brings it up all the time so it's one that i feel like i need to give a second chance um and it is a movie that uh very much is trying to examine past representations of uh the west and specifically native people so it's definitely of that era where native rights were really becoming a thing and you can see it reflected in this movie. Um, and it started to actually cast native people in native roles. Um, so yeah, it's definitely when I feel like I, I need to rewatch cause I don't think I got it the first time I watched it. Uh, and that brings us to a really hot Western, even though the bulk of it is extremely cold. Nice. Um, <laughs> McCabe and Mrs. Miller it's from Robert Altman, Warren Beatty wearing one of the great coats of oh all my the gosh. cinema. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I love this movie so much. It's amazing. Julie Christie is like peak Julie Christie. She's doing what she does best, which is be irresistible to literally everybody. Um, Renee Abergonis is in there, which I was a big fan of, um, Deep Space Nine. So I mostly know him as Odo. Sure. And then like, as I started to get into 70s <laughs> cinema, I was like, wait a minute. He had a whole career, yeah. um, you know, cause I knew Deep Space Nine and I knew he played the skull in, um, the last unicorn. But then it turns out he's in like a million movies in the seventies. Um, One time at a film waiting in line for a film at the LA film fest, I was behind Rene Abergenois and, yes. and Armin Shimmerman. Oh, wow. Like two. And I, I think they must be buds, but two like Star Trek, you know, character his, actors. I always say his last name wrong. <laughs> I'm glad I, you said it right. Abergenois. I don't, I don't know if I'm saying. No, I sure. think that's right. And I say okay. it wrong. Cause I learned how to say it as a kid when I mispronounced everything. Sure. Um, but I saw him once at um, a salute to female filmmakers, short film festival of all things. Um, yeah. at the Egyptian and I tweeted about it. I was like, I think I saw him. And then he tweeted back like you did <laughs> like, way to support the like short filmmakers. Like, That's cool. You love to see it. Yeah. It's, it is a, uh, so I, uh, back in school, I took a class on Robert Altman and, uh, John Cassavetes and we watched McCabe and Mrs. Miller. And one of the things that, one of the most interesting things about 
Robert Altman is his sort of anti-genre movies. And so yes. here you have his Western that takes place up north with a character who is not brave like at at the like he resists any kind of showdown until he absolutely positively cannot avoid it anymore uh and and you have julie christie who is sort of this this tough as nails woman but but at the same time like at the end like when the when the chips are down she just tries to kind of escape uh the situation the only way she knows how and so it is just kind of this thing where it's like there's no real nobility to any character in this like it, it is an anti-western the way he made you know an anti-musical an anti-romantic comedy an anti-whodunit like that's just what he what he does and yet as as i've said before like it still works. It's still, I'm still invested in these characters and I still really enjoy the, the world, even if it is not nearly as romanticized as a lot of the movies that we've been talking about. And it, it probably has the most snow of any Western, unless you count the gold rush as a Western. I, I debated having that on the list. I, well, I mentioned, know. I mentioned the great silence, the great silence. The... Yeah. There, there are few, and then the this, hateful eight, obviously. This but. one has uh, one of the all-time great production photos. If you Google like Robert Altman, McCabe, and Mrs. Miller snow, there's a photo of him literally in the snow, like he's w- waist up in snow, trying to get the sh- <laughs> trying to get the shot. And you're like, yes, this, you is, know, I, uh, this is what I want from my filmmakers. I don't know if this is true or not. Once I was a, uh, I, I used to back when my old employer used to pay for my, my membership. I was a member of the. Uh, um, Association of Moving Image Archivists, and oh, I yeah. went to I went to an EMEA screening of the uh, the new, the same new restoration of McCabe and Mrs. Miller that ended up being on the Criterion disc, like what five years ago, whatever that was. Uh, and the, the person introducing me told a story. I don't know if this is true or not about the final like foot chase in the snow that like Robert Altman. It snowed overnight, and they woke up, and Robert Altman was like, "This is great. This is going to be a great like." backdrop for this this chase but then the uh the other people on set were like it's too warm we're not going to be able all the snow is going to melt before we can get the whole scene down and so what he ended up doing is each shot he he filmed the foot chase scene at the end in reverse chronological chronological order so he was shooting it as the snow was melting but it Mm. looks like because they put an 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 effect of fake snow so it looks like the snow's the, oh, the, the snow great. mountains are building as as that sequence goes on that's i don't know smart. if that's true that's just what they uh that's what i heard at that in, at that introduction that is smart do we uh, i'm getting way ahead uh, of us um do we consider the revenant a western so i would say probably i have not seen it that's why i didn't okay. include it i i've seen it on enough lists from people whose opinions i think are worth agreeing with um that probably it is okay. I, I just haven't seen it um it's very snowy it came out the year <laughs> i didn't watch the the year i first was on your guys' show when i didn't watch any films by men oh, and i just no. haven't caught up with it so well it, it also <laughs> might days. not make you list because you said this is a list of movies that you like and yeah, uh, the revenant hard, is not a, not a movie i'm a fan of hard to say but, i there's only one film from that filmmaker that i like so <laughs> is it no, 21 no, it's, grams it's it's actually birdman i'm i'm oh, well, at I'm least not. when i first saw it i was pro birdman i don't know i haven't revisited i don't want to know the revenant <laughs> is a movie that i don't necessarily i don't like it that much 
but I do admire it a lot. Like there, I just, it's one of those things where it's like, well, it's definitely ambitious and maybe self-consciously so, but, uh, but I admire what he's willing to do and the fact that he accomplishes it for the most part. So like, I do think as like, as a Western fan and somebody who does appreciate just this kind of, uh, forbidding, uh, landscape, I think you would at the very least appreciate it. And yeah. I think, I think it's worth viewing once at, at least at some point. At some point, I'll I'll get to it because I at one point I had seen almost every thing nominated for Best Picture, so I, I think I'm at like 540 or some oh, wow. number. Like I'm missing like 20, and most of those 20 are from the last five years because during a year with women, I stopped catching up, and then I never yeah. caught up with the. And so I'm like many films behind now, but I'm sure starting in 2009, <laughs> you're like, come on, everybody. It's, it, do we really need this many nominees every year? Like this is hard <laughs> enough actually, as it is. No, actually the first two years that they did that, this is a tangent and I apologize, but the first two years that they did that, they actually included more films directed by women. And hmm, then that's right. the year that um, I think it was winner's bone was the film that caused the regents to be like, too many small films are getting in. We have to change the way the math works. And so they they changed it so that it could be up to 10 as opposed to all of 10. And then they went to the weighted ballot. And you you can literally see when they changed the rules that it negatively affected films directed by women. Wow, so I actually was really for it the first two years. I asked and then, why would the regions not want a film like Winner's Bone? Yeah. Because people don't turn into tune into a TV show about a film they haven't heard of. That's the thing. Because it's all it's all about it's all about making the ad dollars. It's dumb. But hmm. this this is but but they're they're they, they need to <laughs> both the academy and ABC or whatever need to like stop holding themselves to the benchmark yeah. of previous years. You're never going to get that viewership again. Yeah, and the I and mean, the Oscars are still like one of the top ten viewed television events of every year. So yeah, look on the bright side, people. It's, I wish you know, yeah. but so I was, I was pro those those years. Um, okay, All right, I was a getting us back yes. on track though. Red Sun, it's. Red Sun's crazy because fascinating it, cast. I must say okay. filmmakers, Terrence Young, you know, he was a cinematographer, I think when he started and then he made like Frankenstein movies and stuff. And then you have Charles Bronson, Toshira Mifune, Alan Delon, Ursula Andres and Capuchin all in this movie. There's a train uh, to uh, Charles Bronson smiles more than once. Mm. More than once in this movie, and unsettling, it's horrifying. I, I I posted about it as soon as it happened because I was like, I've never seen this man smile, but he's he's laughing and smiling in this movie, and um, he has to basically team up with Mifuni to defeat Delon. That's the the plot, and Delon is like such a bastard in this movie. It's it's wonderful, and he, you know he has that kind of smug face, anyways, and so they instead of making him like smugly self-conscious of his own beauty he's just a smug asshole instead and it, it works really well um i don't know if the movie is as good as the cast but it's the cast is so strong that yeah. i i highly recommend this movie okay and uh terrence young we should say in addition to uh the <laughs> the horror movies and stuff um that you're talking about um uh he made like uh James Bond movies. He made oh, like yes, three, yes, three yes. of the first four James Bond movies. I forgot about made, that. I've mostly, seen, I've mostly seen the, the Frankenstein stuff. <laughs> He's got an interesting fil filmography for sure. Um, um, before we leave 1971, though, I do want to mention The Hired Hand, which is a film uh, uh, directed by and starring uh, Peter Fonda and also features mm -hmm. Warren Oates. Uh, oh. Is that always, always yeah. a good time? Yeah. Um, 
I gotta find that one. I, I love Fonda. Yeah, it, uh, it's it's really it's really good. It's um, uh, basically uh, Peter Fonda and Warren Oates are like two buddies who have been out like uh, cowboying and riding the plains or whatever for so long that when he comes back, they come back to Peter Fonda's like house where his wife lives. That they're essentially like getting to know each other for the first time because he's been away from his wife for so long. Um, but uh, it's a really I don't know if it quite uh qualifies for the acid editing thing you were talking about but mm -hmm. it is it a uh it's a um optical printer's nightmare it's all fades <laughs> the, like the entire yeah. movie is just <laughs> one shot fading in into the next and dissolving and uh it's uh it's it's very sort of hypnotic mm. cool movie very cool that movie. sounds good that sounds good i'm gonna i'm gonna look that up what was that? I'm sorry. What was that called again? The hired hand. Hired hand. I got all these notes now. This is great. I don't think they ever. I don't think there's ever been a DVD of it. When it was, it was restored uh, back in the early 2000s, and back when Sundance used to put out DVDs. Do you remember that? Oh, I, I have a few of those. Yeah. Yeah. So Sundance put out the DVD, which I still have. Oh, that's smart. I, I don't yeah. think there's ever been a Blu-ray of it. That's a bummer. Um. The next film I have on here is Bad Company, and it's an early Jeff Bridges. Um, I forgot. It also has David Huddleston in it, a.k.a. Oh, nice. The Big Lebowski, um, which is always fun to see when he was younger. But it's it's interesting in that it's a Civil War set Western, but it has sort of political things to say about the draft. And it's mm. about people trying to avoid the Civil War draft by going West, mm. which obviously in 1972, you had a lot of people against the draft and it was the waning days of Vietnam. And, and, and so, so it's one of those Westerns that takes um, the contemporary politics of the time and sort of infuses them into the past in an interesting way. Um, and Bridges, I think is one of those actors that even in a crappy movie is always engaging. So not that yeah. this is a crappy movie, but it's just like, he's somebody who's always good. Um, so I recommend that one. I'm definitely intrigued by this this next one. Oh, uh, yes. It sounds really interesting. Buck and the Preacher is absolutely fantastic. It is directed by Sidney Poitier. It is Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte. They have to join up um, to, I'm forgetting what they join up to do, but they join up together. And Belafonte is sort of reluctant to, um, ah, yes. So it's a, it's a slave Western. I totally blocked that part out. So Poitier is the wagon master. Um, Harry Belafonte is a con man preacher preacher. will put quote, he's, he's a titular preacher. Um, and they have to team up with Ruby D to save a bunch of runaway slaves, basically moving out West. And it's one of the few early films from Ruby D where she truly gets to be a lead, which mm. if you look at her, the first 10 years of her, or even more of her career, um, she was often relegated to like one or two scenes um, and she gets to really shine. Harry Belafonte is super charming at one point, completely naked inside a river. Um, so very important. And, and Poitier gets to be a little more dangerous than you normally see him. He obviously made a career sort of being like the, the good, like, black actor in order to get white people to stop hating black people. It was like the crux of his career for quite a while. And, or he was overly angry in some of those, you know, message pictures from the early sixties. And instead he gets to be a little more complicated and feels more like a real character rather than, um, a, a 
message, you know, and, and to see so the whole, the bulk of the cast is black actors and to see them really mm. in a genre that very rarely you see. Um, although at the end of this, um, there are two all black cast Westerns coming out this year, mostly black cast Westerns coming out this year. So it's, it's taken a while, but we're, starting to see more of it because there's this, you know, there's this idea that the West and it's perpetuated by a lot of these films that the West was an all white place. And it's very, that was, that's very historical. And it's taken a long time to really um, change that. And, you know, a couple of years later, I think I have it on here. Should be on here. It's not on there. Oh my God. Oh yeah, it is on there. (laughs) A couple of years later, obviously you have Blazing Saddles, which is probably the most famous uh, Western to show non-white people in hmm. a lead role. Um, well, we've got. We'll, uh, well, get, we'll get to that. While we're in um, 1972, I, uh, I might as well bring up another Western that has a uh, black main character in it. Tyler and I are both fans, isn't the right word, but both fascinated by the movie Greaser's Palace. Mm. Robert, yeah. it's a Robert Downey Senior sort of. It's a it's a satirical version of the Christ story set in an old western town except suddenly uh, a person dressed in 20th century clothes uh, a black man dressed in 20th century clothes literally parachutes into town and then just wanders around affecting everyone's lives mm. um it's very uh, it's very uh, strange and uh, often quite garish uh, yes. uh, of of a movie but uh couldn't that let sounds, it go on go unmentioned yeah that sounds very robert downey yeah. senior oh, like yes. um i saw putney swope for the first time last year and was like whoa this is a lot yeah um <laughs> um so junior bonner is is uh sam peck and pa but it's a, one of those contemporary set films and again is sort of about similar to i think we mentioned um the last picture show it's a similar sort of end of a, an era kind of film and would fit nicely i think with like hud junior boner and and the last picture show of all these sort of the waning days of the west and the way that you can't necessarily survive as a cowboy and in this case it's it's the rodeo um and obviously the rodeo is still happening like my hometown has the super bowl bowl every year um took me a a while to figure out that pun when i was a kid um (laughs) but um, you know, and then Garth Brooks has has his song Rodeo, which is like one of the great songs about how you should not let the rodeo ruin, like lead your life. And that's kind of what Junior Bonner is about. And McQueen is gives one of his most soulful, soulful performances. And it's a, a late performance from Ida Lupino. Um, just a really interesting use of old Hollywood actors in an era when a lot of them were making, you know, like exploitation and joseph cotton made a bunch of shitty horror movies during this era and so it's it's nice to see them in a, in a, like a legit good movie um can i toss one more 1972 movie out that uh i wouldn't have even thought of except that my letterboxd categorized it as a western i was like oh yeah mm. i guess it is but uh the new land which is a sequel of part two yeah. to the emigrants which is a swedish film but the entire second part takes place in uh i guess western united states starting in minnesota but then they go there's like a gold rush part and there's so it's it's about uh, yeah I, I would i would say that absolutely counts as a western um those are very long movies but um yeah it really, really is just like one six hour movie it's re, yeah uh, it is it, it, yeah. it shouldn't have been two movies um but it, it's really um 
great performances in that, mm-hmm. in those films. Um, where are we at? Uh, oh, High Plains Drifter. High Plains Drifter. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> these are the Clint Eastwood movies that I watched, like, a lot as a kid. It was like, whenever we couldn't figure out what to watch, my parents would just put on a Clint Eastwood movie. And and I, some, some of them sort of run in my head where I'm like, was he the man with no name in all of them? And this is one where he's not really the man with no name, but he doesn't have a name. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm allowed, I feel like I'm allowed to be confused by the fact that it's not part of the Dollar trilogy. He's not actually playing the man with no name, but he does not have a name. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, this is uh, a film that I had heard about uh, when I was young and watched it in high school, and thought it. Was, and it's a it's a strange movie in many ways. Yes. Um, and yet I still. It it appealed to it appealed to me. I think because I don't think I was a fan of westerns, or I hadn't seen enough of them to really have much expectation. But I certainly wasn't ready for this, and uh, I think because it was just so strange and. Uh, it didn't seem kind of stodgy the way I, when I was young, thought Westerns would be. And, uh, and I really, I really appreciated it. I liked it a lot. It's one I think you could pair nicely with Baccarat, the Brazilian film that, that just came out last year, in that it has that similar, like, small town being, mm. you know, harassed by people mm. that they aren't necessarily prepared to uh, deal with. And they have similar, I think, endings, although... It's been a while since I've seen High Plains Drifter, but I think the ending to Baccarat is a lot bloodier. Um, I've only seen Baccarat, and I would uh, I would imagine that's that's the bloodier one. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's real. It's real bloody. It's real bloody. Um, <laughs> that should also have been on this list. Actually, I feel like that counts as a western, although it's you know in Brazil and vaguely maybe in the future. It's hard to hard to say. Yeah. Um, Pat Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. I think I mentioned a little bit earlier when I was talking about Katie Dorado, and it's it's a great film with a lot of like segments james coburn is uh, and chris christopherson are essentially the ostensibly the leads but there's a lot of um really wonderful supporting performances including uh one of the few on-screen credits for bob dylan um he did a whole album around this uh but my favorite scene in it and this is a bit of a spoiler sorry is um there's a moment with Chill Wills and Katie Dorado that I, I won't spoil too much and say what happens, but it will literally take your heart and like shove it in a blender and then throw the blended heart oh, like into the fire. <laughs> it is, <laughs> it is one of the most emotional moments I've ever seen in a Western. It, it is heartbreaking and lovely and makes you sort of rethink all of the performances from Chill Wills from his earlier films where you you were like you he was never really given a role that got to show the range he clearly had that you see in 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 this moment um and it's just a devastating film altogether it's a very emotional film and and kind of shocking coming from sam peckinpah whose films tend to be very violent but aren't necessarily heavy on the emotion and this Mm -hmm. one is is as violent as you expect it to be but it is heavy on the emotion and and i think you kind of need that with a billy the kid story because if if you believe the billy the kid died um history spoiler there then um he died so young and it it really brings the weight of of that and the weight of this waning era of of the west 
to a really wonderful emotional place. Now, looking at the the next film on the list, I feel like I, I wanted to note it because we're getting into not even so much a section, but like I feel like from here on, certainly not every film, but you start to see a lot more uh, mixtures for lack yes. of a better term, you know, yes. uh, Western mixed with something else. Certainly we, yeah. we've seen comedies at this point, but like certainly this one and then the next one and quite a few from here on, you see a lot of Westerns that are, I won't say diluted, but they definitely are blended with other genres. I, I do think this is when you start to see truly like a Neo place in the same way that you know like you can make to some argument that the 60s is the beginning of like neo-noir but really the 70s is when you start to truly see neo-noir and i think the same thing happens with western where you really see westerns that are um taking the tropes and putting them all over the place in a way that that it wasn't before in westworld which is the film we're we're at Mm -hmm. is a great example of that michael Crichton wrote the i think it was a book originally but he he wrote and directed the film And it is not only is it taking the idea of the Western and putting it into sci-fi, but it is even looking at the film genres in that the big bad in it is played by Yul Brenner. And obviously Yul Brenner had one of the great hero roles in um, the Magnificent Seven. And so it's, it's very much that that casting is very purposefully done to call back on his, his earlier role as a hero. Um, And he's so creepy in this movie. Like, so creepy the whole movie is is creepy and sad but like he is like i think this is maybe his best performance i know he won his oscar for um the king and i and he's very good in the king and i but of all the films of his that i've seen i feel like this is his most like complex well and it's it's such a it's such a committed performance like the the nature of the character means that he can't really wink at you uh and he can't try to imbue the character with more than is there and he just commits fully and he understands what this character is and plays it and i think that's why he seems so so creepy for lack of a better term is that like playing a robot playing something that is not human uh requires tapping into something that i think most of us would find very disturbing Yes. And I think he I would, does great with it. I would agree with that. I, I I think it's just such a, I haven't seen the HBO show, so I can't comment on how they, you know, redid it or any of that, but I, I can't recommend this one highly enough. It is, it is a great film for anyone who loves Westerns or sci-fi or just films in general. Um, it's just a solid, solid film. And it has much like, um, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, it has a few emotional moments in it that when I first saw it, I, because it was, you know, this like hybrid sci-fi, you know, almost B-movie kind of thing, I wasn't prepared for mm. some of the emotional beats in it. And and that made them all the more devastating, um, which oh, you got to hand that to Creighton <laughs> to just be like, I'm going to step on your step on your heart in this, you know, like B-film um, before we move on to 1974, I want to throw out another spaghetti Western from 1973 called My Name is Nobody. Oh, that's a great it's, name. 
it's a great theme. It's not actually a great film, but it has a lot of pedigree. I I only watched it somewhat recently, preparing for the episode that Tyler talked about earlier. We did about Ennio Morricone. Ennio Morricone Mm. did the score. Uh, This one um, is another Henry Fonda uh, movie. Uh, R.G. Armstrong, also a great character actor, uh, shows up. But it's weird. My name is nobody is very interesting to see through a modern day lens of things like hashtag release the Snyder cut, which actually gets the Snyder cut released. Basically the character known as nobody. So Henry Fonda is like a gunslinger and peace. You know, he's a sheriff, you know, he's a Wyatt Earp type and the character, nobody is a big fan of him and basically shows Mm. up and starts manipulating things to get Henry Fonda into bigger and bigger shootouts to like, he's essentially like planning heroics for Henry Fonda's character um, and, and, and forcing them to happen. Uh, interesting movie. Again, it's really uneven. It's like a mix of, like I talked about with Sabata, like really cartoonish slapsticky violence, but then also a lot of, it's also a very misanthropic movie at the same time. It doesn't mm. entirely work, but, uh it's interesting enough to be worth mentioning i think yeah i that sounds actually right up my bag so i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna have to find that one for sure um this brings us to blazing saddles probably most people have seen this movie if they've seen any westerns you know like it's probably the most seen of anything because it's a, a comedy and because it's a classic comedy and because it's mel brooks and it's worth noting that he did blazing saddles and uh, Young Frankenstein in the same year, which is mind yeah. boggling. Um, and I will note on a personal note that um, my parents went to see Young Frankenstein on their very first date. And so I would not exist if it were not for oh, wow. Mel Brooks in 1974, making two of the greatest comedies of all time. So thank you, Mel Brooks. Um, <laughs> yeah, they both laughed. And so they knew they were meant to be. Um, Blazing Saddles is often brought up as a movie that quote unquote cannot be made today. Um, mostly because I think people take a lot of what it's doing out of context and out of context. No, it can't be made today. But I, I think that a lot of the commentary that it was making about race relations could still be made today. You just have to maybe be a little, I don't want to say savvier because it's a very savvy, savvy film, but savvier in that people will take it out of context today. But, but then you know? part of it is just that you, you, you couldn't make it. You wouldn't want to make it this way today because the conversation has kept well, going. Yes, the you conversation I mean? this, has, has so changed. So if you made it in this way, if you made Blazing Saddles the way it, the exact same movie today, you'd be out of step and tone deaf yeah, for doing exa- so. It's, exactly. It's not, it, the the conversation has 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 progressed, but uh, yeah. that doesn't mean that Blazing Saddles isn't but you can a still, great movie. You can still make like Gonzo films. Like a great example um, is uh, um, Sorry to Bother You. Right. Like, yeah, sorry, sorry to bother that, you that uses yeah. the exact same kind of gonzo out there stuff to make commentary on on um, economic inequality and racism and does it quite well. And it, you know, actually, and I, I kind of want to pair those together now. I feel like they'd be a great, yeah. <laughs> weird double feature. Um, but if you haven't, if you're one of the few people who haven't seen Blazing Saddles, essentially, um, Cleavon Little is, is a new sheriff and um Gene Wilder is an ex-alcoholic gunslinger who um, joined forces to like clean up a town. And Gene Wilder is hilarious is the main thing you need to know. Um, And if you ever, if you literally ever tweet at me because I've tweeted Hedy Lamar and make the Hedley Lamar joke, I will block you on Twitter. (laughs) I, it is the most, it is the stupidest joke. 
I hate it. And not only do I hate it because everyone on the on Twitter does it, but my dad has made the Hedley Lamar joke my entire life because I've been a Hedy Lamar fan for a long time and he always makes that joke. And so not only have I heard it on the internet for 20 years, I've heard it from my dad for like 35 <laughs> years and I'm tired of it. Yeah, I guess, yeah. It, yeah. Consider <laughs> your a, audience, you have to it's imagine. A good, it's a good joke in the movie, but it needs to stay in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I have seen Blazing Saddles so many times. It was also a favorite of my dad's. Um, I also, um, <laughs> this doesn't make any sense, but people who have pets know you talk to your pets. Uh, yeah. I have a dog who is very skittish. And so I will... <laughs> So I will often, in an, in an attempt to calm her down, I'll pet her and I will say, there, there, it's just a man and his horse being hanged outside, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is maybe my favorite, one of my favorite jokes uh, of the uh, in the movie. One, one thing that I, I, we have to mention, because we mentioned some of the earlier films that it's kind of aping, is Madeline Kahn plays yeah. uh, the show, show girl, and she does a scene where she's dressed very similar to... Um, um, Marlena Dietrich in Destry Rides Again, only she sings this song that is not sexy. Yeah. Um, she's tired and she's over it and she's just so tired. And it, she's so funny that like, mm -hmm. I can't imagine any of these Mel Brooks movies being as funny as they are without Madeline Kahn because she, she's, everything she does is funny. Like she can't not yeah. be funny. One of the very first, uh, among the first profiles that we did on this show back in 2007 was about Madeline Kahn. We are Ugh. big fans of her over yes. here. And she, that's probably embarrassing to listen to today. Undoubtedly. We are, we are 14 years wiser. She is, she has missed Madeline Kahn. Um, okay. This brings us to a very much not a, not a comedy. Um, the Outlaw Jesse Wales. This is another um, Civil War film, only it is on the side of the confederacy and i actually haven't watched it in a, in a while so i'm i can't remember now how that holds up <laughs> given everything like the union is the bad guys in here because they they kill his family and um frankly i don't remember how it how that holds up in terms of i've never seen it presentation no. okay well i'm gonna have to revisit it because i i had forgotten like i knew it was always the civil war in one of the in one of the um one of the armies had killed his family, but I, when I was looking it up for this, I noticed that it was the union and that he joins the Confederate army. And now I'm like, Hmm, but um, it does have uh, an actual native Americans playing native Americans. And it is the beginning of the partnership with Sandra Locke, which unfortunately kind of when they broke up ruined her career. And I would very much shout out her film impact that is not well known because it was in the middle of their acrimonious breakup and Clint Eastwood basically used his clout in Hollywood to get it like crushed. And so it got no publicity and she never got to make another film. And she's a beautiful director. Her, her um, eye for framing shots is, is stellar and it's a great neo-noir. So, you know, Sandra Locke, she should have been treated better. Um, that brings us to Heaven's Gate. We're out of the 70s. I didn't have any late 70s films. Like, I, I was looking, and it's just, that's where I landed. Do you have any to, there's like four years where I was like, I don't have anything. Well, I did want to mention The Shootist. Okay. Uh, I was going to say, we skipped, when, the we skipped the Apple Dumpling game, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> the yeah. Shootist is one I still haven't seen, so that makes it's, sense. It's really interesting. It's John Wayne's last film. Uh, and he, and it's clear he knows it and he's playing an aging gunslinger. Um, 
And it's a really good performance by him. And I think it's a very vulnerable performance by him. Um, and it's, it's not even so much that it, it plays with his, with his image. It, I mean, it really embraces his image, but it also says like, what does it look like for a character like this to get older and mm. after a certain point just sort of give up and be like i think i i don't think i like this life that i just led and um it's 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 pretty good and he's and he's really good in it i do love an old man movie you know like yeah. irishman <laughs> yeah. and, and some of these others um yeah. where they kind of come and have a reckoning with their their past life so i yeah. that sounds that sounds great and that's the only one I can think of from this think, era that, that we think, didn't mention. I think also what I, I skipped was some of those, because um, I think it was this era, but maybe I'm wrong. The James Gardner support your local sheriff mm, movies. I've never seen they're, they're not my, they're not, they're support your local gunfighter, gunfighter. support your yeah. sheriff. And I think those were in the seventies. They're not my faves. So I skipped them. And I like Gardner usually, but I'm not a fan of those. Um, well, all right. We've teased the listener with Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate is a greatly maligned film. It like, you know, it's, it, everyone has heard, I always heard it was terrible. You know, it, it I watched it. I saw it on the big screen, thankfully, when I first saw oh, wow. it. It was right when that Janice restoration was going around. Yeah. And I could not believe its reputation because it it's it's long. That's it. That's the only the only bad thing I could say about it was yes, it was very long, and I was afraid I might get a ticket on my car. But other than that, <laughs> like I called a couple of friends because it was at the New Bev, and I was like, where can I park where I won't get a ticket during Heaven's Gate? <laughs> um, I didn't get a ticket. So often, this is what what I've what I've realized. So often, movies that have the reputation of being terrible, really, all that means is they were very financially unsuccessful. I mean, yes. like Heaven's Gate is a movie that the you know. Uh, obviously like destroyed United Artists at the time, but like uh, the same thing happened when I only within the last couple of years, finally watched hello Dolly, which is another movie that has this terrible reputation because it cost a bajillion dollars and didn't make any, any money, but hello Dolly is great. Uh, like just because a movie wasn't financially successful, doesn't mean it isn't, it isn't good. So Heaven's Gate had the sin of being incredibly expensive and doing Long. very poorly with the, uh, yeah, very poorly with audiences, yeah. but actually is a cool movie. Although I've only seen the director's cut. I've never, yeah. Yeah. That was the version yeah. that was floating around. So I don't know what the other version looked like, but um, Christopherson is so good. Christopher Walken is great. Isabel Hubert is like the beginning of her career. And she's, she's as complex as she gets to be even later because she was good right out the gate you know and there's a couple of sequences um that are so like euphorically shot that i'm i'm it's a film i'm just really grateful i saw on the big screen because i'm sure they're i'm sure those sequences are great on a small screen as well but they're so enveloping an experience on the big screen that um all right that was that was why i was like how how is this a bad film it's always on the great list of great bad films or whatever and i'm like no <laughs> anything that could get you so swept up in its its moments cannot be a bad film i don't i don't get it um and it's one of the last films with joseph cotton he gives mm -hmm. a great empowered speech at the beginning and you love to see joseph cotton anytime you get to see joseph cotton so i think it's one definitely worth seeking out obviously the the janice restoration is out on disc from criterion so it's not hard to find anymore and you know, to clear your schedule, put away your phone and don't get, you know, distracted during watching it. Cause it's definitely one that requires your attention and you should give it your attention. And that's what Michael Camino does best. Um, now, before, Camino? Oh, I was going to say, oh, yeah. 
Um, I, I said Chimino, I think. Um, okay, I'm not sure. It's another uh, one of those names that I don't have never heard said right, so who knows. Um, did you have one to bring up, Tyler? It's not like you did, because I had one. No, I was I was going to move on to the, the next thing and make well, a joke, so it's fine. Well, I have one. Before we jump ahead four years, I want to put one right in the middle that isn't really a Western in the sense it doesn't take place in the West. It's called The Gray Fox. It's a Canadian movie that takes place sure. in the Pacific Northwest and Western Canada. But... Um, uh, from 1982, uh, the late uh, uh, Richard Farnsworth plays. It's based on a true story of a uh, stagecoach robber who then went to prison in California and came out of prison into an era where stagecoaches were gone. And he's an old man who tries to go straight, but then ends up becoming a train robber <laughs> in <laughs> Canada in, 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 instead. Um, it's a really, really great movie. And it's uh, also the opposite of Heaven's Gate. It's like an 85 minute movie. Oh, you love to see. <laughs> That. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. I, I was going to, because I know that we already talked about Lusts in the Dust, but uh, it, the, the title <laughs> stayed with me because it reminds me of like Thrilla and Manila, like a rumble in the jungle, <laughs> like uh, uh, a, a well publicized but highly unusual boxing match. When, um, when Duel in the Sun came out, they called it in the trades Lust in the Dust because it is, as we said when we covered that film, really horny and really dirty in terms of just dirt movie. Yeah. And so less than the dust is Paul Bartel. You know, he did um, a Mall bunch cop, of these. Right? Yeah. He, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, he got me there for a second. <laughs> no. Yeah, sure. Sense. <laughs> I was like, yes, no, he did eating Raul and a couple of other um, really um, intense sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Satires. Mm -hmm. um eating rolls like a satire on the rich and it, it's a they eat people um <laughs> like the title um less than the dust takes a couple of different things it it um takes on romance novels like the the poster it looks like a bodice ripper um it builds off of the um relationship between tab hunter and divine that john waters started with um um, their smell of vision movie that it, the name is escaping me right now. Polyester? Uh, polyester, yeah. Um, they had made polyester, and so then they made they reunited to make Lust in the Dust. Uh, Lainey Kazan is utterly fantastic in this movie. She is brass, brassy, and brash, and, and just, like, you cannot stop looking at her. And I believe, if I remember correctly, she and Divine are sisters. So that's... <laughs> that's what you need to know about this movie and tap hunter is the like hero and um i don't know that it 100 percent works um but it's it's anyone who's a fan of divine it, any performance from divine is worth watching um and i think this is very much worth watching for laney kazan too she's she's stunning in it um not the best stuff from tap hunter i feel like he got a little stiff towards the end of his career well, he's kind of always stiff to be honest um but it, you know, it's fun. It's a fun movie. Um, and then the next one is the only one I think that I put on here that's not technically filmed in the United States or an American film at all. But I feel as though you must bring it up, which is Tampopo. It is a ramen Western. That is the filmmaker. Um, I'm gonna try to say this Japanese correctly. Uzo Itami called it that came out italian oh i speak italian and french and really bad japanese and and then they all mix when i try to say foreign words um <laughs> they came out very italian sounding but anyways um 
it is a ramen western. It is basically this uh, these two truck drivers, one of whom is played by Ken Watanabe, very young Ken Watanabe. Um, it's an old truck driver and a new truck driver, and they get into like an act, a duel fight in a ramen shop, and then um, they meet a woman who's running the ramen shop, and the ramen shop is basically what a saloon would be in in a United States western, um, and they sort of revive her ramen shop by teaching her the ways of both making good ramen and fighting off a gang who keep taking advantage of the ramen shop. And um, it's, it's delightful. And then it's intercut with some really weird sensual moments of people eating food. (laughs) Um, Definitely one that you don't want to eat. You don't want to go into without having eaten first because you will be very hungry. Um, And if you have any sensitivities towards turtles, you might be upset. Uh, I, I really do, actually. <laughs> so. I, it, it, it kind of upset me. I took one star off of my rating solely for what happens sure. to the turtle in it. Understandable. So, um, but it's it's wonderful. And this whole next two films are all very weird, like 80s. I lessons. do. Before we get to them, I do want to mention a couple sure. uh, from 85 Silverado, which oh, yeah. I think is a really, a really fun uh, Western. Um, that, that has one of the great posters, too. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it's I mean, I guess it is a comedy, but also not like there are moments you're supposed to take seriously and you do. And so uh, I and a great cast. Like, I really recommend Silverado. And then uh, the, the next year is Three Amigos, which the reason that I think of it mm. is because this it's it's a straight up comedy. Um, but it also incorporates a couple things. It incorporates uh, the the same story as Seven Samurai, essentially, um, mixed with some high plains drifter, actually. Uh, and then it's about it's about Western movies as well. Like the characters in the movie are aware of of old westerns. Yeah, I, I uh, forgot about that movie. Yeah, I totally forgot about that movie. I just watched that I don't mean to as sing- a kid. <laughs> I don't mean to sing- Yeah, Oh, I watched it a ton it's as a, a kid. It's a great one when you're a kid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't mean to suggest that it's worth noting in the in the annals <laughs> of Western history, but I wanted to mention it because it is self-referential. And I it's also a very think, funny movie. I think yeah. it's an, I, there's iconic imagery from it, too, of the three of them, you know, dressed as yeah. um, mariachi bands. So. Yeah. Yeah. And doing um, their these, like song and dance number in the yeah. so my little buttercup. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> so the, these next two are, are two Westerns that came out the same year from the same director. They are acid Westerns by Alex Cox. It's, it's right after he did um, repo man and Sid and Nancy. He made these two very strange acid Westerns. First one straight to hell. Obviously the title comes from the clash song straight to hell. And, and it's, it's contemporary set. It's got Joe Strummer and it's got most of the clash, I think, but it, it doesn't have much of a plot. It's, it's really just people end up sort of meshing. And then all I really remember from it is, is Joe Strummer making a lot of puns. That's the bulk of my memory of, of straight to hell. Um, it, it looks like it was shot on like a very shoestring budget. Like they were like, Hey, we have all these people together and this like shack, let's make a movie. It feels like one of those movies. Um, and at one point there's a rumble. That's the main thing I remember and why it, it is a Western in that there is a, a clash of the good people and the bad people at the end. But Walker is a legitimately great, like weird Western in that it starts out as just a straight up 
Western and Ed Harris is a, is a Western hero. And then slowly as the plot progresses, more and more anachronisms pop in until by the end, you're really not sure what year it takes place in. Mm. And, and you're not really sure what's real. And it's definitely not, probably not, it's a film. So none of it's real, you know, and it, it, it plays with the idea uh, that storytelling can shift depending on a myriad of factors. And, and Ed Harris like really commits to just being the, like he doesn't know that things are shifting. He just is, it's just everything around him keeps shifting. And Criterion put out a really wonderful, um, I don't think it ever got a Blu-ray, but they put out a really great DVD set of maybe a decade or so ago. Um, I am not sure if it's in print anymore though. It might mm. be out of one of their ones that's out of print, but they, you know, they brought back um, Sid and Nancy. So maybe a Walker Blu-ray is, is coming in which case I'm very excited. Um, and it's based on a book, so you can read the book and see like how they do that. I I just don't I don't know how you would bring the anachronisms in in a book setting. Mm. I don't know. Um, they're great. I recommend them. Watch them together, and then you'll listen to the Clash like a lot afterwards. That's that 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 happened to me. It's a true story. Um, <laughs> I don't know that we have to talk about Young Guns and Young Guns Two separately. Oh, I feel like you can just yeah. combine them as it, one. Now you're talking. Entry. You're speaking my language. This yeah, is my. This I, is this is like middle school me. Yeah. And speaking I, I of lines them, that I quote a lot. I saw them together. My, uh, oh, yeah. okay. Um, my wife is a vegetarian. Is always trying to convince me to not eat meat, um, including by trying to convince me of how. Uh, smart pigs are and i always remind her pigs that as are, are pigs are very smart right and i this say it true. the way that casey Samasco says it in <laughs> young guns you know pigs is as smart as dogs <laughs> <laughs> yeah so young guns and young guns too like the main the main gist is that you had emilio and charlie sheen together which is very important you know because i remember the day my brother and i discovered not only that they were brothers but that charlie sheen and that Martin Sheen had starred in in Badlands, not Charlie Sheen, because when we saw Badlands, we were convinced that it was Charlie <laughs> Sheen. But then I knew that um, Charlie Sheen was younger than Sissy Spacek, and I was like, this is confusing. And, and IMDb wasn't really a thing yet, so it was really hard for us to figure this out. Um, it took a while. And then we saw Young Guns, and we were like, wait, wait a minute. And, and then my mom was like, you know that Emilio and Charlie are, are brothers, right? And we're like, what <laughs> like it blew it blew our minds um but it's you know it's like a, it's a brat pack western mm -hmm. and some people are more good in it than others like i feel like lou diamond phillips is great in it i feel like he commits to everything and then some of the other performances you're like mm. yeah um as jose chavez e chavez uh, <laughs> Lou phillips character's name i watched these movies so many times as a kid I wish that we were doing video because the 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 v listener slash viewer would have gotten to see David come alive when <laughs> yes. Young Guns uh, showed up. Yes, we're we're in that era. Um, do we have anything uh, else about Young Guns that you want to? I mean the 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 second one is uh, not as good, but I didn't make any as a kid. I didn't make any distinction really, and I liked the second one at the time as a kid because it has Christian Slater in it who's not yeah. in the first one he's that's, a new character in the second that's one that's what I preferred I actually liked when I watched them rewatched them when I was in college I liked Young Guns 2 better because I just it's Christian Slater at like the top of his like slick Christian Slaterness. you yeah. know that's why it's why Buffy in the original Buffy um 
movie wants to die, like marry Christian Slater and move to Europe and die. It's like, uh-huh. that's the era of Christian Slater. And, uh, you know, I, f- I have the same feeling, maybe not contemporary Christian Slater, but like Christian Slater circa 1990. Yes. Yeah. I would marry and go to Europe and die with him. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, nothing else to say, except, you know, Tyler and I back whenever we can get back to doing our, commentary marathons where we watch a bunch of either like a, a franchise or a bunch of similar movies i really want to do find some way to to marathon young guns and young guns too and record I would, a commentary I would track for them <laughs> well I, you could come I be a guest on. yeah that yeah. i mean they have everybody like terrence stamp and jack palance show up in young guns and yeah. ego mortensen terry o'quinn is in young guns too and yeah terry O'Quinn, just, who's also in heaven's gate am i right isn't he i think so i think so it's yeah that sounds right um, which brings us to like completely different era of uh, like, he, so you've got these young guns things happening and then you have Lonesome Dove, Lonesome Dove's TV. It's the only TV I included. There's a lot of Western TV. Obviously there's an entire history of Western TV shows that we didn't even yeah. get into rawhide, all of that. Like that's a whole other, that would take 10 hours to go through the history of television Westerns. But I, I felt that Lonesome Dove needed to be included for a couple of reasons. One, it's from a Larry McMurtry and he did so many other films of his of his books to the cast is so stunning robert duvall and, and and diane lane in particular are fantastic danny glover gets to you know really a meaty role for him um it's i think it's i think it's eight hours long maybe it's four episodes and i think they're two hours each but it's it's incredibly long oh, yeah minus commercials it's, it looks like it's about six and a half hours yeah it was, it was one that on i've never on, seen it but it's one that it, when you get the cassette tapes, it was four cassette tapes. So each episode had its own cassette. Um, I did not own it, but my friend did. And I had to read this book in high school. And I had seen Lonesome Dove when it first came, or probably in reruns because I was three when it first came out. But I'd seen it. And then I had to read the book in high school. And so then I rewatched it. And it's it's a really great adaptation. Like, And it's a sprawling book. Like That book is intense. And there are millions of characters and I, I feel like it's one, like if they're going to redo The Stand, this is another one that they could probably redo and, and actually make it like a 10 hour thing mm-hmm. because there are storylines and characters that don't get um, as much time in, this, in the series as they do in the, in the book. But um, in particular, I think it's one of the great Diane Lane performances. So as uh, I, Robert Duvall is my favorite actor and yet I've not yet seen Lonesome Dove. Oh, it's good. Yeah. It's a commitment. Sure. <laughs> is and maybe I'm wrong. Is Frederick Forrest isn't Native American, is he? I don't in real life cuz he, he he I don't think so. He plays Blue Duck who's the uh yeah. a terror I've read the book and he's a terrifying villain. Um mm-hmm. but it's I guess yeah, weird that it's I, Frederick Forrest. I don't think that he is. Maybe. Okay. I don't know. I would have to look that up. But that that's my point. So you could do a whole um, whole new version and actually cast the Americans. There you go. Right. Um, and then kind of back into, this is with the era where you get, there's Westerns in here that are one kind of Western and Westerns in here that like the tonal shifts of the films that we're talking yeah. about are intense. Um, yeah, there's a lot of interesting back and forth for the next few. Yeah. You go to the nineties here and you have back to the future part three. Like you cannot not talk about back to the future part three. It is a great Western once it becomes a Western, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> and, and referential of a lot of different things because you have, um, you have Christopher Lloyd's character who in his idea, a Western is, the 50s version of Christopher Lloyd's character, his idea of a Western 
is those colorful singing cowboy stuff. And so he puts Michael J. Fox's character in like the most ridiculous Western outfit. Right. But then by the time he's able to dress himself by the end of the film, he's dressed like the man with no name because that's Mm -hmm. what Michael J. Fox's, you know, teen character would have known. And and I, I think that's, what's so lovely is that you get a lot of references to a lot of different things. You also with, um, Mary Steenburgen, like she's clearly, you know, a little bit out of um, Butch Cassidy kind of. She reminds me of of the, the female lead in, in that. And so you get a lot of a lot of different things mixed in there. And one of the great Mad Dog Tannen is just one of the great villains. Yeah. You know, you love you love to see it. Now, here's the thing. The next, uh, you know, there's been a long episode, but like way, way back, I was so excited to see the next film. Uh, no, you know what? I'm sorry. Uh, I, I just realized that we were, oh, you, we, you skipped we, were, one. we skipped one. You, oh, you know so what? They're both the same year. I was like, you were really well, I am, I am about Dances the I kind I'm, of am. It is a movie that I, I will say, like, it's been much maligned because it, has, it, it commits the crime of not being Goodfellas. Um, but it's, <laughs> I will say well, that I've seen the director's cut and it's, it's really good. It's, what? it is a solid. I, ha- I bought the director's cut Blu-ray uh, at Target for $5. It is still sitting in the shrink wrap right. on my Blu-ray show. What, I never watched What is it. really interesting about Dances with Wolves is, or one, for me, from my, my perspective as a film lover, a nerd for the Oscars, despite wishing I didn't care so much is that um it it is the first western to really be taken seriously in terms of being an award worthy film it got um seven it won seven oscars i think it was nominated for 10 it got three acting oscars one for kevin costner one for mary mcdonald one for graham green i believe the first and perhaps still the only native American actor to be nominated for an Oscar. And he most recently um, received an honorary Oscar. Um, Huge step forward in terms of representation in this film. Um, It's not as, as not, I think it's probably, yeah, it's not Goodfellas. And and that is going to make people angry. And then also just two years later, Unforgiven wins and Unforgiven is such a visceral film. And Dances with Wolves is not that I think in comparison to those two factors is probably why a lot of people are, are either haven't seen it or think of it as less than it actually is. Yeah, but it's definitely worth seeing. I, I, I was very, it's, it's just one of those movies that, uh, that comes up that everyone especially movie people, they feel like, I don't want to speak for all of them, but when I talk to people about, about dances with wolves, they tend to take the same tone that they do. And Dave and I have talked about this before when talking about, you know, Rocky, uh, you feel like you've seen it, you know, that it came out, uh, a year that there are probably some better movies, but it won best picture. And in the mean, and, and meantime, it just sort of grows in, in the mind of like film nerds. It's like, well, it's just, it's just not worth seeing. It's like, and certainly there's an earnestness to the way that Kevin Costner makes movies. And I think the director that he would go on to be sort of winds up reflecting poorly on this film, but this film is absolutely worth watching. I think it's, I think it's pretty solid. I also just need to say that Rocky is one of my all time favorite movies. Oh. And that it deserved Mm -hmm. to win and that people dismiss it because they compare it to other boxing movies too. And it is a romance Mm -hmm. about boxing. It is not a boxing movie. 
the boxing is part of the romance. That is, that is what I'm here to say. And it's a nicely awkward romance too. It's so wonderful. I yeah. love everything about that movie. I watch it a couple of times a year. Um, delightful. So this is the one you were really excited yeah, as, about. Right? As much as I love Rocky, as much as I enjoy yeah. dancing with dancing, uh, dances with wolves, pardon me. Um, Tremors from 1990. You can't is, not bring up Tremors. Yeah, yes. it's, it is. I mean, it's a comedy horror, but it does. It takes place in this tiny little town straight out of a classic Western. It has there multiple, are, multiple shootouts. Yeah. It's and just the villain has well. this. The villain just happens to be <laughs> yeah. a giant graboid snake <laughs> yeah. worm thing. Oddly he. enough, still played by Eli Wallach. I don't know how that, <laughs> that how that's possible, but yeah. Um Tremors got no, it has like all the iconography. It it does. It has it also has tight jeans, which is very important. Um, <laughs> Kevin Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward look really good in jeans. Reba McIntyre is good. It has one of my all-time favorite um like airplane cleanup ones. I don't know. I used to oh, sure. find it on, on YouTube, but I, last time I tried to send it to somebody, I couldn't find it, but they change it instead of saying broken to the wrong goddamn rec room. He says broken to the wrong gall darn, gall darn rec room. You big jerk. Yeah. <laughs> <Instead of> you, <laughs> and you're like, that's not what he says. Yeah. It, there's just, a, cause I think he says uh, bastard and yeah, they he say says big, bastard, jerk. big jerk. And it's just it's, like, you know, it's, it's the best. It's the best line in the movie, and they real butcher it on TV. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's just good. It's good. And, and oh, yeah. one thing that um, I think is kind of genius about it is that a lot of these westerns are, depending on on where you, where you land, but quite a few of them are about the sort of horror of the unknown of the West, especially mm -hmm. things like the wind, right? Mm -hmm. And and so you not only is is the graboid like an Eli Wallach villain or something. It's also representative of the unknown, the horror of the unknown that is the West, um, just even more prehistoric. Um, and I will say that Tremors 2 also is amazing. Yeah, I oh, I, I actually like Tremors 2 quite a bit. And a friend of mine really leaned into my enjoyment of Tremors and uh, a few years ago bought me uh, a Blu-ray with all four movies and yes. then also bought me the TV series, which I have um, not yet watched. What is the name of the town? Perfection? Yeah, Perfection Nevada. Yeah, yeah. which is just another perfect uh, uh, choice. It's great. It's really good. This was one of my brother's favorite movies. So we, and I love it too, but it was like meant a lot to him and we watched yeah. it. A ton. It also had a great trailer. Um, if you go look the trailer up, it's got a great teaser trailer. Back when studios did teaser, good teaser trailers instead of yeah. just cut downs of regular trailers. We talked about Young Guns too. So City Slickers has the same director. Yeah. When I was looking this up, I did not realize this. Same director as Tremors. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Ron Underwood. City Slickers is, was one of my favorite movies as a kid. Um, I watched this movie so many times. Uh, I love Billy Crystal. I always did. I, he was his kind of humor really struck, you know, a chord with like six year old me somehow. Um, but the thing that everyone really remembers from it, obviously, is Jack Palance. And this was the end of his career. He'd been in a bajillion Westerns um, and he won a, He won an Oscar for Curly, a very surly ca old cowboy who's stuck taking these yuppies on a basically like the equivalent of a safari, but it's a, you know, it's a cattle yeah. cattle drive for yuppies and which is such a wonderful, like tail end of the eighties kind of 
<laughs> thing. Like, of course, uh, cattle drive for yuppies existed. Um, Palance, I remember as a kid seeing him do the one-armed push-up at the Oscar ceremony right, and yeah. just thinking that was the coolest, coolest thing yeah. anyone ever did. Um, also written by one of the screenwriters with the most unique names of all time, Babalu Mandel. Babalu Mandel, Lil Gans, they like a lot of, I think, millennials, the humor that we grew up with was <laughs> because of these two guys because um, they wrote so many movies. Um but yeah, City Slickers. And then City Slickers 2, Legend of Curly's Gold, not as good. But yeah. much much like Young Guns, you should watch them both um, for sure. So next up is Unforgiven. And my, my uh, exp- I, I adore Unforgiven on so many levels. I do think that uh, it has one of the best, not merely one of the best Western villains, but one of the best movie villains ever, precisely because he just isn't that villainous, but he also is, uh, which is Gene Hackman's character. But, um, but I did want to mention uh, first uh, my, my first interaction with Unforgiven was not watching it. It was my dad and my uncle had rented it on uh, VHS and were watching it. And afterwards, my uncle who loved, uh, you know, loves Westerns and, but also has a very clear idea of what they are. Um, he really didn't like Unforgiven mm. uh, because it made him feel so bad. And yes. he, he thought it was like, he's like, it's just so ugly and dour and all that and it's just like yeah i mean watching it now talking about some of the movies that we have talked about it certainly is unromanticized and if you're somebody who romanticizes westerns you're probably not going to like unforgiven that much and and it's it's interesting to mirror it with like the searchers where john wayne deconstructed his own career and and clint eastwood here is deconstructing his own career and not just his performances, but as a filmmaker, because, yeah. you know, he made all those Westerns, him, like he started as the actor, then he made all those Westerns and then he makes this Western breaking down his own ethos really, or mythos yeah. is the word I'm looking for mythos. And it's definitely, I remember the first time I saw this had a very similar reaction because I had grown up watching um, the, the ones where, you know, you, you kind of have a fun time seeing him be a jerk. And then you get to this and you're like, wait a minute, everything is terrible. Yeah. Um, everything is terrible in it. And Morgan Freeman is fantastic in this film. Yeah. Um, one of his best performances. And, and like we were talking about earlier, it's, it's a, it's an old man movie. It's a one last job movie. It's, it's a lot of things all in I, one. I think it's right up there. Like the, the, the role of Richard Harris and Saul Rubinek, like that plays very much into like the same concepts as, uh, the man who shot Liberty balance. Yes. Um, this idea of, of living in a time when these characters are romanticized themselves and, and it is the characters are actively de-romanticizing it in the actual film, which is something that I love about the Gene Hackman characters that he enjoys that this guy is asking him questions, but he's also, he's sort of being honest about things while also, uh, playing himself up at the same time. So it's a, it's, there's a lot going on at the same, it's a wonderful screenplay on top of everything else. Yeah. It's um, the people's wrote it, right? David. Yeah. It's I think so. Wife. I forget his wife's name. They came and spoke at my film school. 
Um, and they talked a bit about the the how many drafts they wrote the screenplay. It's like it's one of those screenplays that works so effectively that it makes it seem almost easy because it's so mm-hmm. like kind of like Chinatown. Um, but then when you delve deeper, you realize that it was because they've worked on it for like a decade and and it's you know. 300 drafts before you get to what you see yeah. <laughs> um you have to work really hard to make it look like you didn't work at all you know and a, and a cast that just understands what you are doing and yeah. just can play it beautifully which brings us i think we talked a little bit about tombstone yeah. earlier um i'll just shout out one more time that i love val kilmer yeah in this movie um and that of all of the takes on this this one and my darling Clementine are my favorite versions of this story. Um, now uh, let's see here. Well, I next look up at- is one of my favorite films of all time, and maybe my single favorite movie score of all time. Yes, mm-hmm. um, uh, Dead Man. Uh, so- I have sp- I used to spend many uh, hours driving around with the. Uh, the Neil Young score in my car, my old car CD player, just listening to that. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> it's that's it's an I intense, am. it's an intense score. Yeah. Um, it's another one that has great representation in that one of my favorite actors, whenever he shows up in a movie, I get very excited. Gary Farmer. He's um, great in this. Mm. Gary Farmer is an actor who very much shows how racist this industry is in that he had a great, breakout performance in powwow highway and then should have had a career but hollywood's like oh shit we don't know how to put native actors in roles right and so then you just see him pop up every once in a while and he was in first cow and when he showed up i did the like leo point at the screen when he showed up in first cow because i was like it's gary farmer um he's great in this movie um and johnny depp is very johnny depp in this film i feel like he's he's um I don't know how to explain what I'm, what I mean by that. I think if you grew up watching Donnie Depp, I think you know what I mean. <laughs> he's Not, like a, this if you like up watching beautiful. Now Depp, you wouldn't no, know but it, this is like the Gilbert Grape, Edward Scissorhands, Johnny Depp, yes. where he's like yes. beautiful and fragile. Yes, that's you know? what I mean. Thank you. Uh, yeah, those are the yeah. words I was looking for because that that's that era of he's he's like the sensitive, you know, hot guy. That was his role. Yeah, who is, but he's, and that's who he is. But the the movie is also kind of not kind to him, no. <laughs> as a, or mm-hmm. not kind to that version of, of of the character. You've also got speaking of actors being their uh, uh, their essential selves. You've got uh, Chris McGlover shows up to. Uh, yes. they're shooting the buffalo. <laughs> oh, he's good in this. Yeah, um, really good. I think Jarmusch is a filmmaker that you either love or you hate. Um, and this film in particular is very Jarmuschian <laughs> in its pacing and inability to stick to logic. Like, but also, Jar- one of the things I love about Jar- Jarmusch is that his movies could like absolutely unequivocally be described as art films. They're, yes, they're, and, 100%. And, and like, like you're talking about, they're very slowly, often very deterministically paced or whatever. But what I love about them, they're all his movies are also hilarious if you're the yes. kind of person who if is you, on his wavelength. If you get the humor, his yeah. he's one of my favorites. I when I first started buying Criterion because he's a Criterion fave, right? That was one of the first filmmakers that I bought everything they had out by him because he he makes films. I feel 
made for like you know there's always that twitter prompt who who makes films that are just for you and it's like jarmouche for sure yeah. <laughs> makes films that i feel i feel are made for me um i saw q a with him um or it was him and sofia coppola and he made some jokes where i was like you're exactly how i wanted you to be <laughs> you know um he's just a big nerd you love you love to see it um yeah. so this is a beautiful yeah. film and, it, and the uh, it's got some of the great outdoor photography um the cinematography in it is stunning and mm -hmm. makes you kind of want to visit a lot of these places. And again, has a bit of, of different kinds of Westerns mixed in because it's a railroad Western and it's a frontier Western and it's, um, it's, just, it's a bunch of things all mixed together. And it's considered one of the acid Westerns, I think partly because of the editing and partly because of Neil Young's just nutty score, mm -hmm. um, which is one of my favorite things Neil Young has ever done. Like it's such a, unique piece of music yeah and and uh intense um uh the movie is also one of the final uh robert mitchum roles mm -hmm. um and uh, uh there's something else i was going to say about dead man i know i already uh forgot oh yeah the uh billy bob thornton is in it and then was it the same year the next year uh jim jarmusch shows up in sling blade he, he's uh yeah he's I the guy who buys those six Okay. So probably so next this, year. Yeah. yeah. He's the guy that isn't, he's the guy he buys those French fried potatoes from, right? <laughs> the guy who works like the hot dog stand or whatever. I actually haven't. That's one of the movies that's oh. still on my like giant list of you need to have seen it by now. <laughs> yeah, it's been so long I, since I've seen it I, that I don't, I don't actually remember. Well, it's, I mean, a, a lot of times when people have lists like that, I'm like, don't put any pressure on yourself. It's but literally is great. been on my list since my the very first time I made a list, which was mostly Oscar nominated performances list. So like uh, this was probably like 99. It was like a few years after it came out and I still haven't watched it. It's it's one that's been like haunting me on my on my list. And we well, even had it on Filmstruck for a while and I didn't watch it I, because I was I knew I should have watched it. And so then I still didn't watch it. It's one of but those. Not, not only is Jim Jarmusch <laughs> in it. But uh, if if you're into country and, and alt country, quote unquote, uh, obviously oh yeah. Dwight Yoakam is in it. But Vic yes. Chestnut is also. Yes, I love Dwight Yoakam. He also yeah. wears jeans really well. He's <laughs> he probably he may be definitely top five people who can wear a pair of jeans for sure. Um, I skipped two very important mid 90s Westerns because my mom would not let me see them in theaters and I still haven't seen them. So I'm going to say them, but I haven't seen them. So I have nothing to say other than I'm still mad that my mom won't let me see them. And somehow I haven't managed to catch up. And that is The Quick and the Dead and Bad Girls. Um, mm. She wouldn't let me see either of those movies. And The Quick and the Dead, as far as I know, has one of the sexiest um, Sharon Stone performances. And Bad Girls is just like four, you know, bad women. And one of them is Drew Barrymore. And they form a, I don't know what they do. I haven't seen it. Um all my friends went and saw it and my mom was like, no, <laughs> this is the woman who took me to see like uh, R-rated shoot 'em up movies when I was a kid and like um, fire in the sky when I was like seven. She wouldn't let me see, go see bad girls with my friends. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I've never seen either. I feel like I might have caught Quick in the Dead on TV when it's I was Sam, younger. But it's I don't Sam really, Raimi. Yeah. So it's, I would assume it's at least it stylish. Feels, it feels like a Sam Raimi. Does it? Yeah. Um, this bad girls. Sure. It's not just Drew. It's Madeline Stowe, Mary Stewart Masterson, Anna McDowell, and Drew Barrymore. That's yes, fucking it's, great. It's everybody. I'm still mad about it. I was in, I was 10 years old, and my mom wouldn't let me go. Wow. I know, and I and I, I don't know. I haven't seen it because I'm still mad. Does that make? 
it doesn't make any sense, but that's why I still haven't seen it. <laughs> and I'm still mad about not getting get to see it when it was in theaters. My hometown didn't get a lot of movies. We got one movie a week. So when I missed a movie, it was big. Um, but I did see Desperado because my dad, on the other hand, if my mom had been out of town, I would have seen the movie because my dad gave no shits and he used to rent all kinds of crazy things. So we rented Desperado. Um, Robert Rodriguez, Santonio Banderas, it's the kind of one of his big breakout. He was slowly breaking out in the early 90s. You know, this really yeah. made him a, a star in the U.S. And Salma Hayek is very hot in it. Salma Hayek is hot in every movie, but she's very hot in this film for sure. And um, I think it's a continuation of, is it a continuation? El Mariachi? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah he's playing the same. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Rodriguez, obviously he's got like two styles. He's like, he either makes these very R rated movies or he makes kids films. <laughs> like that's yeah. not, that's, yeah. you know, it's how he operates something for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I really love Desperado. It's, like the best use of a guitar case in a movie probably ever. Um, Antonio is really good in it. I don't know what else you can say. It's very stylish. You can see why Robert Rodriguez got a big career after it. People gave him money because he made this movie for, or he made El Marachi for no money and then they gave yeah. him money and he used his money really well and continues to, you know, that's, I think that's why he has a long career is he is somebody who you give him a budget and you know, he'll probably come under, yeah, I, I, I know I, I've said this on the show a couple of times since the Comic-Con at home back in July, but there was a, a panel at the Comic-Con at home that was, uh, it was Colin uh, Trevorrow and uh, Joseph Kaczynski and Robert Rodriguez. And it was like, you know, interviewing the directors. And uh, I don't know, however you feel about Colin Trevorrow and Joseph Kaczynski is fine. The thing is worth watching for Robert Rodriguez and for his just like, tips on how to get away with doing what you want to get away with in this in a yeah. studio uh in a studio workspace i've been in a few meetings with Rob rodriguez and he i have a lot of notes because he he has he's a great storyteller like obviously you can see it in his filmmaking but just as a person he's a great storyteller and um makes everything that he has to say fun like you learn a lot from him because you're having fun while he's telling you what he's telling you um cannot recommend him as a person enough. Uh, so Lone Star is John Sayles. I don't know if you guys have seen many John Sayles films, but I love John Sayles. Yeah. Yeah. And I've definitely seen Lone Star multiple times, including once uh, on a double bill with Brother from Another Planet at the yes. at the Arrow in Santa Monica. Oh, fantastic. Um, yes. Yeah, and this is another, I guess, contemporary Western, or at least the, mm -hmm. the main storyline is but then a lot of it takes place yeah still more contemporary in, in like the 50 it was i can't remember when the the matthew mcconaughey part takes place yeah i, I think, I think it's it's still like late 50s early okay. early 60s and he got an oscar nomination for this this uh screenplay yeah i think his i think his only screenplay oscar nomination even though some of performers and some of his films have been nominated and yeah. it is it is truly a wonderful screenplay and and sort of balances the two stories really well and you you know, it's one of the first films to really take Chris Cooper and let him be as good as we know he can be. Um, along with Elizabeth Pena, I think it's the only like yep. lead she's ever she the, ever the had. Late, and, late great. Yeah, yeah. Rest in peace. And yeah. she's stunning in it. Um and, and and like some of these other contemporary westerns, it it very much shows that like 
in the early Westerns, it was like, go to the West and you'll find, you know, you'll find the gold or you'll find a new life or whatever. It's the frontier. And after people have been in the West for a long time, you realize that actually like there is no El Dorado. There is no, there's nothing. It's just misery everywhere, except that you're full of like dust, (laughs) you know, and, um, and some lust. Yeah. A little lust. And, and so Lone Star, I think gets to that, like the brokenness that comes with being in the West really, really well. And it, and it also does, again break down that idea of like myth making like a character mm-hmm. wanting to deflate the myth of his own father in this instance which i think is interesting yeah it's it's a fun one and rich enough that you, every time you watch it you there's more layers to it um i just love john sales yeah i might have to watch yeah. this one again this weekend yeah um, i have i have a couple left on his filmography because i he's one of those filmmakers that i've yet to not like one of his movies and so the ones that i have left i kind of i'm gonna run out at some point and i don't want to run out so i just sort of like i watched mate i watched mate one for the last year i watched baby it's you for the first time this year i watched mate one for the first time i can't watch another new one until next okay. year i gotta you know <laughs> I haven't seen Baby It's You, but yeah, Mate One is great. <gasps> Baby It's You is really wonderful, especially if you're a Springsteen fan. Um, it's one of the few films that has a lot of Springsteen in it because it's set in New Jersey and you have to have Springsteen. Um, it's a really good film. Well, Man speaking of deflating myths, yeah. let's go and deflate the myth of Manifest Destiny with yes. uh, a, a personal, a Battleship Retention favorite, favorite. of all time, yeah. uh, Ravenous, which I'm imagining is also Mariah favorite because yes. it's the rare snowy California movie, yes. which is you're, I, you're from I, Northern California. Yeah. I'm from the mountains. So like this was my California. I, I love this movie for a few reasons. One, my dad and I watched it together when we first watched it. It was I have a really good memory of like my dad and I have a very similar sense of humor. So whenever there was like a, a weird movie he wanted to watch he would we would like wait until my mom was gone and we watch them together and like we watched um clerks together (laughs) really weird but like we we worked it worked so ravenous like obviously it's got this weird sense of humor one of my favorite things about it was the original director ended up leaving and i can't remember why but they they had to replace them and guy um robert carlisle of all people recommended antonia burt to take over um, and it's very rare because they had made to, priest together. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's a similar kind of heightened horror. And, and it's very rare that you see a woman directing uh, a big film like this at this time, like 1989, you, you, high concept films, like you, and then as a replacement, like that's, you don't see that. So the fact that, um, they trusted Robert Carlyle and clearly were impressed by what she did on priest that, you get this film that's sort of breaking down manifest destiny. It's breaking down masculinity. It's breaking down all kinds of things. Um, it's a little, you know, it's a little um, salacious. It's it's a little naughty in places. Mm-hmm. Um, David Arquette is just bonkers. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely bonkers in this movie. Um, you, you don't have a lot of films about like like Meek's Cutoff is another one that shows the failure of a lot of people. Like you, you get a lot of films about, you know, like how the West was one where they make it there. The truth is a lot of people died. Yeah. And especially the people who tried to do the Oregon trail. Like that's where I grew up. I grew up on the Fandango trail was one of the, um, one of the various trails that people tried to get to Oregon from. And the Fandango trail in particular goes through the Warner mountains. 
and um, a lot of people died because <laughs> it's cold. And they're they're like, oh, California sun, even then. And it's like, no, it's cold, right. and you're up on a mountain. Um, this is a this is a wonderful film. Yeah. Uh, next up is also in 1999, a film that I haven't seen since the theater. Oh it's yeah, got, it's got Jewel in it. Yeah, very rarely do you get to see Jewel in a movie. Yeah. Um, she's the That's cousin what, of Koryanka Kilcher from Pocahontas, not Pocahontas, from uh, The New World. Just I didn't that know out that. there. They're cousins. They have the same last uh, name. This is Ride with the Devil, the Ang Lee film. Yeah. And so what is, what's interesting, I put two different Ang Lee westerns on here because Ride with the Devil is a straight up western. It's a period western. And then a little bit, you know, half a decade later, he does Brokeback Mountain, also a western. But if very different take and kind of what I love about Ang Lee as a filmmaker is no other than his first couple of like Hong Kong films most of his films aren't similar you know he 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 is always trying different genres and different um tones and and Ride with the Devil is a very like serious serious film I think it had ambitions to be kind of like Unforgiven in a way, mm-hmm. it doesn't quite make it. it. I think part of it is the cast. I think that was your point about Unforgiven is like, sometimes you, you really need a, yeah the right cast. I think Skeet Ulrich is good in it. And I think he's good in everything. I don't know that Tobey Maguire quite has the chops to carry the film. I know he car- carried Spider-Man. I don't know that he carried Spider-Man though, to be honest, dropping that bomb. Um, I think the villains <laughs> carried Spider-Man, but um, it doesn't quite work. But it it tried and and in an era where they weren't really making like straight up westerns anymore. Um, yeah. yeah, I uh, I wish I could. I, I want to claim it as a Missouri western the way you can claim Ravenous the California one. But the fact that they're all Confederates makes me not want to yeah. <laughs> get on board with them. But it is yeah. a, it is a, it is a Missouri Missouri Kansas western. Which you know to that point like. I think we think of the West as the West, you know, like Arizona, mm-hmm. but for the longest time, the West started the Mississippi. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't, yeah, you don't actually see all that many in that area. Yeah. That hit the tropes. Now, that's a good point. I'm sorry. Uh, I think I, as I was looking over uh, the, the the movies that are that are coming up, I guess I missed this one, this next okay. one, the first okay. time around. I, uh, <laughs> I will go so hard for this movie. Okay. I, oh, I love this movie. I saw it in theaters a few times. I had it on widescreen VHS tape. I had the CD. I was 13 is the main thing you need to know. And this um, is the movie we're talking about is Wild Wild West. Wild Wild West. I was 13 and at 13 years old, this movie had everything I wanted and I have rewatched it since and I still love it. So I don't know that tells you about like me 20 plus years later, but it, okay. Okay. It's a few things. It's steampunk before steampunk, be- steampunk became more mainstream, right? Mm-hmm. Part of why people probably hated it is steampunk, you know, was for people you know, cool people and, you know, it was underground or whatever. And I'm sure they got really angry. Sure. But like, you've got the steampunk, you've got like a bonkers Kenneth Branagh performance. And I normally don't like him, but I like him in this because he's so nutty. You got Salma Hayek, probably other than maybe, um, what's that one that she made with Tarantino where Tarantino acts in it, where she's the devil. Um, Um, 
Oh my God. Anyways, other than that, this is probably the hottest she's ever been. Um, Will Smith is charming. What he is used the, to wear I'm trying sunglasses. to think what the movie is you're talking about now. Yeah, with George Clooney. You know where she dances? The snake dance? Oh, oh. Uh, oh, from Death Till Dawn. Till Dawn. Thank yes. you. Yes. Okay, those are the two the two most hot that she's ever been okay. in these two movies, in my humble opinion. Um, she's charming. Kevin Klein is charming. He's an inventor. He has this, like, steam-powered bicycle, and I still, to this day, want a steam-powered bicycle. You've got trains. <laughs> you've got, like... I think he's also playing Ulysses S. Grant or is it Brana that's playing Grant? Someone's playing Grant I don't in remember. like heavy makeup. At one point there's a giant spider robot thing. What else do you need in a movie? I don't know. Oh, and then that Walsh is in it. I remember <laughs> distinctly Ebert used to have the M.M. Mm. at Walsh rule that any movie with him can't be wholly bad and that this broke the rule. And I was like, <laughs> that is sacrilege. <laughs> that is sacrilege. So uh, the yeah, I saw, I've also saw it, I saw it once in the theater and I tried to forget. It has this sense. amazing, it. it has this amazing late nineties hip hop soundtrack. <laughs> like everybody's in on, on it. Cisco's on it. Like you name it. Um, it was a great soundtrack. I love this movie. So that's, it's good. The best thing right. that I can, that I can personally say about the movie is that it provided me cover. Uh, it's the movie I told my parents I was going to see when, in fact, I was seeing Eyes Wide Shut in the theater. Oh, well, so, that's that's smart. Okay, wait. There's one more. There's one more scene I have to mention because it is still to this day one of the funniest things I've ever seen. They fall into like a cavern of mud, and Will Smith is looking so angry. No, um, Kevin Klein is looking so angry, and Will Smith is making like, cause you know, he's really good, a good face actor. Like uh -huh. he, when he's doing comedy, he can, he does his manipulates his face. So he, he like sneezes, but somehow the sneeze is really funny. And then Kevin Klein's face never shows any emotion. And he just ends up getting covered in like mud snot. <laughs> That yeah, sounds pretty funny. It's maybe really funny. You know, it's maybe really watch funny. It There's the the performances are really good, and and I don't know what people want. I mean, I guess people wanted it to be the original Wild Wild West, but they decided to make a steampunk Wild Wild West, and I was here for it. At so, the um, <laughs> it is very interesting to me that on your list you left in Wild Wild West, but skipped Shanghai Noon as far as Western oh, comedies. You know, I shouldn't have skipped Shanghai noon. That's actually a great, great film. I don't it know. How that, really good. Yeah. I don't know how that one fell off the list. That's a miss site. It's site okay. oversight. Good. Miss, good. Yeah. I'm glad we, that was an oversight. Cause that's actually a great film. Yeah. It is really good. Yeah. Uh, all the pretty horses. I uh, saw once I would love to see the, like the, the cut that Billy Bob Thornton never got to make. That's like three plus hours. Yes. Long or whatever. I would agree with that. It, it definitely feels like a film that, was truncated in the editing and wanted to breathe a lot more than it gets to. It's also, I think unfairly, I think Penelope Cruz's performance was unfairly mocked in this. It was right around when she was also doing like Captain Coraline's mandolin. Mm -hmm. She had a couple of movies in a row where she was beginning to act in English. And I think unfairly dismissed because her, she wasn't as natural as she was in her Spanish language films, but she's still quite good and has a lot of chemistry with Matt Damon. Um, and I, you know, it's one that I, I feel like needs people need to look at it outside of the like era from which it came. Because I think if you look back at Penelope Cruz's early career, you know, people are shocked when she started getting Oscar nominations and things, but you look at the, 
for the English language stuff. You look at her early English English career and it's actually much better than I think she was given credit for. And part of it was also the cruise cruise thing was an issue. And, you know, I think she was always a great actress is, is what I'm saying. Um, now also <laughs> I'm going to highlight some of the things you skipped on our way to yeah. you. So you skipped uh, Michael Winterbottom's the claim, uh, more of a gold seen, rush. It's I not seen that one. So uh, great cast though. You got West Bentley, Natasha, uh, Kinski and Mia Jovovich and Peter Mullen. It's good cast. Okay. Uh, you skipped Shanghai nights. You skipped rightfully. You skipped the missing the Ron Howard, uh, Kate Blanchett, Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure that slog. I saw, I don't yeah, know that I saw yeah, that one. It's a slog, okay. but you may, you did leave on, on here. Joe Johnston's Hidalgo. Okay, the that reason, I had mostly forgotten okay, about until okay, the reason I, saw I have list. to mention Hidalgo is so I grew up in the middle of literal nowhere in a town whose motto was where the West still lives. Right. Mm. Two movies in my entire movie going career in this town, which spanned the year 1988 through 2004 regularly. Those were when I was a, a youth and, a, and then I went to college and I stopped going, but I went almost every week for those entire span. And only twice did I see all three nights completely sold out so much so that people brought their horses and left them parked because I don't know why they brought their horses, but there were horses waiting outside. And it was for two movies one of which was The Passion of the Christ, and mm -hmm. one of which was Hidalgo. Those are the two most popular Boy. movies that ever played in my hometown, if that one tells you a lot about where I grew up. Um, I, I remember, I mean, it's a Joe Johnson <laughs> movie that has a lot, it has a lot of his sort of like throwback style to yes. it, but I don't remember it being that, I, I, I it's not that memorable a movie, but. Uh, the the it's, horse, it's ego. the, the, um, relationship he has with the horse is quite good they have chemistry you can tell that that vigo is a horse person he probably has his own horses i think he ended up buying this horse like adopting this horse when it was all over because they became attached and you can really see the chemistry with the horse i i think some of the stuff in the middle east is not great but it's one of the last performances from omar sharif which is notable um because he's he's still mm. charming and he still has those like sparkly eyes um and it has some good race moments. Like the one thing Joe Johnson con continually does in all of his films is is shoot action in a really interesting way. Um, I think he's one of the successful directors of of, of action sequences. And, and in this case, it's it's a lot of horses. But um, I think it's worth watching again. All right. So next up is Brokeback Mountain, the other Ang Lee movie you mentioned. Yeah. So this one. Um, is it's a Western in sort of a weird way in that it harkens back to some 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 of the 50s ones that I mentioned um, and one that I didn't mention called The Sheep Man, where there was a whole bunch of films about like sheep and and the, the like herders. They were herder movies. It was a whole thing. Mm at one point and then you you mostly see movies about the cows and, and horses and you very rarely got the sheep films but there were quite a few of them um and probably larry McMur Mc mcmurtry would be someone who would be well aware of like he's someone who wrote about every facet of mm. the west and so to take this very emotional story and put it there is is really interesting just in and of itself in terms of the history of what is remembered about westerns um and then Obviously, it has some great rodeo sequences. Okay. <laughs> it has some great rodeo sequences. But the main thing I remember when I first saw it was the voices that Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal use. Heath Ledger, in particular, sounded just like my friend Mo. Like, 
it was like he followed Mo around. Mo was a radio rodeo guy um, that I grew up with my whole life. And he did the exact voice. It was eerie, eerie. Um, so I, you know, I, and obviously it's considered one of the great like films that should have won best picture and didn't in a very contentious Oscar year. Um, well, uh, before we move on, I want to highlight a movie that everyone forgot existed from 2006 called Seraphim Falls. I was going to mention it. Yeah. I only saw it because I worked at the Arclight when I came out and I saw it for free, just like who's my, in that on one. I feel off. like I remember so that trailer. It's, it, it's, it's a Pierce Brosnan and Liam Neeson Western. Mm, and also yes. Angelica Houston shows up uh, at the end. It's a, it's not very, it doesn't have a great reputation, but it's a very, pretentious art western that i really like it's very slow i remember the i remember the trailer but yeah, let I remember me the trailer so i mentioned liam neeson pierce Brosnan, and angelica houston that's already that should be reason enough but let me read this list of character actors that show up in this movie michael wincott xander berkeley ed lauder kevin j o'connor angie Harmon, tom noonan jimmy simpson and wes studi all show Whoa. up in this movie Okay. It's, it's worth seeing. I, it, it it came and went, and everyone forgot about it. But West uh, West Duty's an actor we didn't talk about earlier who did show up in a lot of westerns. Um, he's fantastic. I actually think I misspoke. Is it West Duty that got the the honorable Oscar, not Graham Greene? Oh, maybe I don't know. I Tyler's think I might more have, of a. I think I, I might mean, have I, misremembered I, that. I think um, it might have been West Duty. Uh, yeah. I mean, Graham Greene was nominated for for uh, Dances with Wolves. Yeah, I but, think I, uh, I think I miss I miss confused those two in my head when I mentioned that earlier. So whoops, um, <laughs> that's not a good thing to mess up. Um, West Judy is another one who did a lot of television Westerns, like every single Western TV show that TNT made in the nineties and two thousands, West Judy was in. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in Geronimo. He, he, he played yeah, Geronimo. He was in it. Everything. Yeah. For a while. Um, great actor. I, I, that makes I never saw Geronimo. I, I never saw Geronimo, but at the Gene Autry Museum, I don't know if you guys have been. There's uh, oh, I'm a member. I love yeah. the Gene Autry. So there's a whole like movie section, the movie like costumes and stuff, and they have a whole like glass case of stuff from Geronimo. Hmm. Back when uh, you could leave your house every Saturday, they show a Western. That's they have a Western screening series, and if you're a member, you can go for free. And if you're not a member, I think it's like ten bucks. Um, they also having it. this has nothing to do with the Autry itself, except as the location, but uh, they do. Um, again when things are open they do outdoor screenings and like everyone loves the cemetery and i get it but it's like a fucking hassle to go to hollywood forever to see a movie yeah the the ones at the autry uh that's that's the that's the life hack there they're super easy there's always parking there's plenty of food it's a great it's a great museum Mm -hmm. period and and just you know i love that i love it that's the, the other reason i feel bad about never having seen any autry gene autry westerns it's like i'm a member of the museum and i still haven't seen like i would probably just go there and buy i'm sure they sell like every single one of his movies on dvd right. there i'm just messing up um all right so 2007 we've got a big year we have a big yeah. year three huge oscar nominated two one contemporary ish set i'm gonna say ish because it's not really contemporary but it's not as period as the other two um contentious fighting over which of these three movies is the best, <laughs> you know, a lot of brackets. Yeah. Um, so we'll I, start we, with no country. Talk, yeah. I mean, I put them in alphabetical, except actually not really because assassination should probably be first, but we can talk in whatever order. Cause it doesn't like all three. Of yeah, these let's just fantastic. talk about no country for old men. 
that's the one that's more contemporary because it takes yeah. place in the 80s is that right i think it's the 80s okay yeah yeah one of the great terrible haircuts of all time <laughs> like you you know you can't trust javier bardem just because of yeah. his haircut <laughs> you know he's so good in that like ugh, what a good performance and um tommy lee jones doing one of the great old man meaning <laughs> old man looking on his life old man yeah. performances um kelly mcdonald stunning josh brolin losing his mind he's he's you know it's one of those films um i'm sure every literally everyone has seen it but what i well, one thing i really like about josh brolin is it is it, everything goes wrong yeah. <laughs> like everything goes <laughs> wrong and you can't you, you keep thinking that nothing else can go wrong and something else does every time it's really wonderful script yeah, if you just twist it, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's pretty funny as it is, but if you just twist it, it's almost a farce. Yeah, yeah, and that's, I think, part of what, um, why I, yeah, this is me a little contentious maybe, but part of why I think it was taken more seriously than some of the other Coens, and, you know, like the last time that they had a big film at the Oscars was Fargo, which was another one that was just, just dark enough to not be straight up comedy, right? Yeah. It, you know, when they do that, when they just go past comedy to dark again, like same with um, Miller's Crossing and some of those, those are the ones that tend to be the most acclaimed and lauded with awards because they dance the line and people like to reward serious and, and, you know, Big Lebowski is just too funny. Like you can't, you can't give a movie that's that funny a ton of awards. Um, although it's their best movie. And I'll say that till I die. Um, but No Country is a very good film and it deserves all of the acclaim that it got. Great performances. I also think, tell, this is a, a hypothesis I just come up with, that I think No Country for All Men is the movie that solidified Woody Harrelson's transition yes. from 90s movie star to serious character actor who can yes. still carry a movie sometimes, but not in like a movie star. I would, or, I would agree with that. This was his first real, like, I am a character because he, he was in a scanner darkly in like north country but like this was a great performance and a great movie and like it looks like, like from there on out people i think sort of sort of realigned what they expect when woody Harrelson is in a movie yeah they don't expect him to be woody anymore right and and um but he can still be zany like you see in like the zombie film right where right. he gets to <laughs> yeah. be a little of both there um the zombie film you know what i mean um this is a good <laughs> film it's a great cast it's yeah. it's freaky um which brings us to the assassination assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford very long movie title um beautifully shot film yeah this, this is, is one that just from the title to the look of it to the performances and i'd say especially to the narration it is its own little ode to the Western and yeah. all of the things that you know about Westerns and it's, it's, it's haunting. And, and, and it, it, yeah. it began Brad Pitt's big transition to, to also really being taken a lot more seriously as a, mm. a dramatic actor than he had been, even though, you know, in the early nineties, I almost put this on there. It's a very contentious movie in my family. Um, um, the legends of the fall could could con hmm. could be considered a Western. It's a little weepy war thing. And it's a little bit later in the era to really be a Western. Um, my parents hate that movie and I made them watch it all the time because I love it. <laughs> he tried to do a lot more serious and wasn't, you know, wasn't really regarded and, and then did, you know, matinee kind of stuff. And then he comes out with this very broken 
person in this film. And I think that's when people really, really let him do a lot more. Um, and you see, I mean, his whole career is kind of interesting, but I, I think you really got to see him pick and choose character roles or character lead, like leads that are more of a character starting here. Um, I'm not a fan of Casey Affleck, but this is the film that really launched him Got an Oscar nomination. Um, Sam Rockwell's in this. He's very good. Sam Shepard, who is my favorite human being, maybe of all time, is very good as the old old father in this. And um, I think Sam Shepard, we don't really talk about him, but Sam Shepard is the like poet laureate of the West in terms of contemporary set tales of the like ache that has le been left behind when Manifest Destiny, you know, shriveled. Mm. And um, I highly recommend reading literally anything Sam Shepard has ever written. I love him as an actor, but his writing, is, he's the great writer of the West in terms of the last 40 years, in my humble opinion. Um, yeah. You should read them all. Not just the I, plays, um, like his short stories are also quite wonderful. To go back to what you said, I... I know, I, I know how you feel about Casey Affleck. It's a very difficult, uh, he's a very difficult person. Um, I personally, I can't deny that I find him very effective as an actor, an actor. Um, but, uh, I, I certainly understand why he would be too much of a, uh, too, too poisonous, um, to, to embrace. But, uh, I do think he's good in, in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, also a shout out to a friend of the show, Pat Healy. Uh, That's right. Oh yeah. One of the, he's one of the Ford brothers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which brings us to There Will Be Blood. So this also played in my hometown and I, I, I knew better, but I evilly told my parents to go see it knowing <laughs> that they would hate it. I knew they would hate it because they didn't like The Departed either. Um, they didn't like The Departed because they of all the F-bombs and my mom swears like a sailor, so I don't quite get that. But you know, so I, this was another one where I knew that if I told them to go see it, that they would go see it and then they would hate it. And when it was over, oh, my God, they hated it so much. <laughs> it should not have come to my hometown. The only reason it came to my hometown is because it was maybe a Western, right? Because my hometown only gets Westerns, kids movies and Marvel. And because it was, quote unquote, a Western, it played. It's right. probably the only Paul Thomas Anderson movie to ever play in my hometown. They will probably never get another one. Um, but they got this one. My parents hated it so much that they called me as soon as it was over to tell me how mad they were that I told them to go see it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you're welcome. Um, yeah, I think this <laughs> it's, it's, it's splitting hairs. But I think of the three 2007 Westerns, this is probably my favorite. It's my favorite of the three as well. It's yeah. the one I've watched the most. Um, but also I'm a huge Paul Thomas Anderson person. So there's that. Yeah. Um, and like Daniel Day Lewis is I think about his performance in this a lot and just, he's so like, is he a terrible person? I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm a terrible person because I really relate to a lot of what he goes through in this movie in terms of the way he just hates everything so much. I yeah. don't know. I actually have the book. Um, I got the, the movie tie-in cover of the book a couple of years ago. I haven't read it yet because it's like 800 pages, but... Right, uh, um, the book Oil. oil. Yeah, I've yeah, never read it's that the either. Movie, it's the movie. I found the movie tie-in edition. That's very, very exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um, Paul Dano, like this was right after he was so good in Little Miss Sunshine. Um, and then he's 
stunning in this, like really should, I think have gotten a nomination his, cause you don't get a lot of the, of the greatness in some of Daniel Day Lewis's parts without um, the scene partners. And Paul Dano has some of the best scenes with him. And I'm forgetting who plays the brother, but he's also so good. What is his name? Uh, Kevin J. O'Connor. Yes. Yeah. He like the, the, those three, like you, you get what you get from Daniel Day Lewis because he's, he's surrounded by so many good scene partners. And those two in particular, stick with me like a lot um before we jump ahead i do want to uh mention uh, uh another forgotten western that i go to bat for and that's appaloosa yeah i saw that uh, one i saw that one i i didn't enjoy it that's why i didn't have it on here but um it's ed harris right ed harris uh directed it uh and co-stars in it with vigo mortensen i think yeah. it's a um you know we talked earlier about westerns that have uh, like, uh, uh, what's the one I'm looking for? Homoerotic undertones. What I like about Appaloosa is it's just, it's, it's just a portrait of male friendship. It's a, yeah. it's a male friendship movie. Uh, Renee Zelliger is also really good in it. Jeremy Irons is the, the, the bad guy. And, and yeah. uh, that's, a, that's always, that's always good. I, I really liked this movie. It's, it's a very stripped down film. And, uh, and I like that. It feels, it feels very, uh, appropriate for, for the genre. All right. So, 2010 yes we're at meek's meek's cutoff this movie i think i said this earlier but this movie looks like it was filmed in my backyard like anytime anyone's like where did you grow up i'm like did you see meek's cutoff because <laughs> i played in a field that looks just like that um i love this movie for a myriad of reasons i think bruce greenwood in particular is stunning in this he is such an asshole but he's like like I don't even I don't even know how to describe how good he is in this because he's su he's got such bravado and he's just so sure of himself, but he doesn't know what he's doing at all. He's and these women see right through him. And um, you love to see that. And Michelle Williams is, you know, she's she and Kelly Reichardt have made, I think, three films together and clearly have a great rapport. Um, some of her, her richest performances are in Kelly Reichardt's films. Another great Paul Dano. Um, that's where her, he and Zoe Kazan, I think this is where they met. And obviously they have a very, oh. uh, fruitful creative partnership on top of, um, uh, actual partnership. Um, it's just, it's just a great film. And then in particular, I saw it at a double feature with John Sayles limbo, which is not quite a Western, but it's a front. It could, you could argue it's a frontier Western set in Alaska and both Meeks got off and limbo have endings that aren't really endings, but they are. And I remember when I saw them, it completely changed my mind on how you can end a movie. You, you know, when you see a movie that does something in a way that you've never really seen before and you're like, oh shit, you can do that. Like those two movies do that. And um, nothing you have to watch them together, feature. but it was at the Castro, the greatest movie theater in the world. Um, I lived in the Castro, like not at the, okay. not in the, in the thing, but I literally went to the Castro three to four times a week when I was oh. in grad school. Cause they did double features for 10 bucks. And, you know, instead of eating, I just went and watched movies whenever I wasn't in class. It was, that sounds great. It was good. I saw a lot of movies. Um, uh, also 2010 is true grit, which you said earlier is better than the 1969. I think, I think it is. Um, I think Haley Steinfeld is a much better actor than the um 
woman who was cast in the earlier version. Um, Jeff Bridges is quite good. Matt Damon is good. I did. I think I put it on there. Um, yeah, Josh Brolin is another complex like villain role from him. There's someone else in it. Um, Barry Pepper. Yeah, is surprisingly good in it. Like I remember at the time thinking why don't I remember Barry Pepper in anything else before, you know, cause he's so good that you're like, has he been in a bunch of movies? And I just didn't notice. Turns out. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's a movie where he, he really gets a lot to do in his, his small role, similar to, um, um, in 310 to Yuma, um, which we, we didn't mention, but, um, we, we mentioned, it, we mentioned yeah. it during the other 310 to Yuma, but similar to, um, what's his name in that where he really gets to shine. Why did I ben Foster? Ben Foster. Similar sort of small but mighty performance where you really think like it stays with you. So the film was nominated for 10 Oscars. And I remember when that happened, the Coen brothers, their statement was, that that seems like an awful lot. (laughs) That's what they said. (laughs) It didn't win any. Uh, Completely shut out. 20, you know, 2010 was the year of the social network versus uh what's it king's speech terrible movie and 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 black swan like those three movies just overtook everything um but i think i don't even think you need to think of it as an oscar film like probably what the colons were saying like what we don't even need this fuck that it's it's just a great gritty (laughs) western um jeff ridges is a bastard in it and you know I think he got nominated for best actor and everyone's like, Ooh, yeah. John Wayne won. And it's like John Wayne won, not for his performance. He won for his career and Jeff Bridges, you know, didn't need to win for this role. It's right. fine. Uh, you've got Rango on here, which I've never I, seen. I, oh, I do great. have Rango on there. So Rango is a pastiche of like every Western. Um, there is a snake that is, designed to look just like Eli or not Eli, well, like uh, Levon Cleef, yeah. same, same face, same little hat. Um, Rango, obviously a, a play on Django. We didn't talk about the Django movies. I haven't seen them. That's why I didn't include them. Um, the earlier yeah, Django movies. Yeah. Um, it is, there's the spirit of the West and I don't want to spoil who plays the spirit of the West or who it's an essence of, because it's a great like moment when you see it and so you haven't seen it, but um, that's fun. Timothy Oliphant gets to be in it for a bit. And Timothy Oliphant obviously did one of the great modern, two of the great modern TV Westerns in uh, Deadwood yeah. and uh, um, Justified. Justified. Yeah. They're both fantastic contemporary Western. Well, one's a period Western, but contemporary television Westerns. It's just really good and fun and silly and Rango is a lizard. And the, the thing that's wonderful about that is that like the desert is so full of lizards. And yet you, when you think about it, there actually aren't many lizards in any of the Westerns, but there always should be you usually get snakes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there is a snake, but like, you don't get it. You don't see li- lizards. <laughs> and that's an aspect of the West that you should see more of, you know, what movie this is another, someone needs to start, a, start another Tumblr of, Lizards and Westerns. You know what movie we didn't talk about? We're going to talk about it right now is Fifel Goes West. How did yeah. I forget Fifel Goes I've West? never seen that. I've Featuring seen a vocal that. performance by Jimmy Stewart. Okay. It is so good. I can't believe I forgot it. He, he is playing like, he's playing his characters from the previous movies. Uh, what is his name? He has a, the lazy eye. Oh my God. It's so good. Fifel Goes West is a great Western and you compare it really nicely with Rango They're They both understand the genre and then make boil it down for children. 
but parents who are fans of Westerns will also enjoy them. Mm. And there's a saloon and the girl sings and it's delightful and there's mice and is it the lazy eye? Is that what he does? Yes. Yeah. Ugh. Good stuff. More Westerns for kids. <laughs> Not a Western for kids. Django Unchained. <laughs> um, yeah. I didn't put Hateful Eight on here. You, we can talk about that. I actually haven't seen Hateful Eight. So that's why I didn't. But obviously both Django Unchained and Hateful Eight are Tarantino's take on Westerns. Yeah. Although I, he has referred to Django Unchained as a Southern. As a Southern, which sure um <laughs> there's because the i mean it, the entire third act takes place in what mississippi is that right yeah right? but i mean to our point earlier like that was kind of the west depending right. on the era and there are several slave westerns where they're you know like runaway slave westerns so you know, southern western that's it's just marketing whatever yeah, yeah. i mean jamie fox like wears a gun belt so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and chaps. So it's fine. Yeah. Um, Kerry um, Washington gets to ride a horse. So yeah. I feel like it's a Western. And Jimmy Fox gets to do, he gets to do some like dressage at the end there with his horse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, um, I'm not the biggest, I'm not the biggest fan of Django Unchained. That's why I, frankly, why I didn't see Hateful Eight. Um, but I liked what, when Carrie Washington was talking about the film, I liked what she had to say about getting to play this role. I didn't like her role as a viewer, but as an artist and the way that she talked about getting to, to embody um, like as a black woman, getting to embody a kind of a, a damsel in distress in a way that black actresses often don't get to be. They have to be a lot tougher. That made me rethink a lot about it. Um, now, is any of that intentional from Tarantino's point of view? I don't know, but I liked I liked what she had to say about why she wanted to play the role. That's very so, yeah. Uh, before we leave 2012, I can't not mention one of my top ten films of 2012, Casa de mi Padre. Which oh, I is, missed uh, I missed that one. That's Will Ferrell. <laughs> the Will Ferrell yeah. uh, uh, Western sort of parody. I would probably like it. I actually really love funny. I really love Will Ferrell. Um, that was when I was still in film school. So it was all of my money went to the Castro. So if the Castro didn't play it, it was, you know, and I didn't feel like getting up to go to the $5, 10 AM screenings at the AMC. I probably didn't see it. Um, it's another one. that's technically, um, uh, contemporary, but okay. like when you meet other kids, like Nick Offerman's character who plays like a, border patrol agent or a DEA agent or something. He's clearly like modern day, but Will Ferrell like dresses like a, like a, like a fifties or sixties, like Technicolor cowboy, um, which <laughs> okay. reminds me of a movie we didn't talk about from the year 2000, a Thai movie called tears of the black tiger. Oh yeah. So that's uh, one um, that is on is another one that's on my list of like ones that have been recommended a lot. And I think owes a bit to Tampopo in in sort of there's a whole genre of or subgenre of like westerns from asian countries that take the american western style and then me meld them with mm -hmm. their contemporary culture or their past culture and that's a whole thing i have not delved into and know that i need to um because there's several films on there but that one in particular has come up multiple times and i still haven't seen it yeah it's really cool no. I saw it at the new art. Is that yeah, right? that, that seems like a new art kind of film. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, actually, I think I saw a girl walks home alone at night at the new art. So there you go. And that's the next one here. Another um, contemporary movie. This is this was called an Iranian vampire Western. It is in black and white. It was shot not in Iran, but it is set in Iran. Um, it was shot Mir- in Taft, California. Taft, Tyler's California. Hometown. Yes. Um, it looks really empty. Is it a very empty town? Like. Uh, I mean, it has a it has a a a population of about nine thousand, but it did its population used to be a lot higher uh, when there was more oil around. And uh, you know, I I was visiting there somewhat recently, and there are sections that, yeah, especially at night, uh, are are pretty desolate. Yeah, my my hometown has maybe twenty eight hundred people left. I'd mm. be interested to see what the census says because they we just did the census, um, and it had double that when my parents moved there, and then the railroad left, like yeah, <laughs> like in a movie. Um, it's like a ghost town now. I could probably film a western there if I wanted to, mm. and everything would look right. Um, well, but we're, uh, we're oh, go ahead. I was gonna talk about a girl. Walks home. Oh yeah, yeah. Please do, please do. Yeah. So, a girl walks home alone at night. It's it's a feminist like vampire movie where this this female vampire stalks jerks who prey on women at night and and eats them. And then she meets a nice guy and is conflicted because her mission in life is to strike down shitty men. And then she meets one that she ha- is attracted to, and it like throws everything for a loop um and that that's the plot like that's the basic plot um it has it's a great vampire movie it's a great western movie because you know she's she's like the the um man with no name going around doing right. justice right in a in a um a ghost town kind of place it's supposed to be like a ghost town in iran meaning there's not a lot of people left and it's very lawless um beautiful black and white cinematography one of the great cat movies of the last few years beautiful white cat featured prominently throughout the film um it's good sheila vand has shown up in a handful of films but um the the male leader ash Morandi has not made a lot of films since and it it's really stupid because he's charming and attractive and it's like that isn't that what you need in an actor you know but i don't know I'm not making movies, so I would cast him if I were making a movie. I feel like he could probably do a lot of things. He has to do a lot because you have to believe that this um, vigilante vampire wouldn't eat him. Right. And you buy it. (laughs) So that's my take on that. It's beautiful. It used to be on Criterion Channel. I think it's on DVD from um, Kino, maybe. So Blu-ray, so you you can track it down. Um. Before we move on to the next one here, I want to throw out three in a row that okay. uh, weren't didn't make your list. Uh, two, 2014's The Homesman. Uh, I think I missed that one. Tommy it's, Lee pr- it's pretty great. It's great. Hillary Swank rules uh, in general and rules in this. Um, 2015's Slow oh, West. Oh, yeah. I really wanted to see The Homesman. I remember when that came out now. Um, and I don't know why I missed it. I don't know if it came, didn't come to Atlanta, probably. Um, okay. Um, it reminded me that I really wanted to see that and didn't. Uh, 2015 slow rest slow west is a very sort of like offbeat i guess you'd call it a western comedy but it's you'd have to have a certain sense of humor but it's directed by john that's, mcleon from the that's beta the Bay. one that's the one where the guy has a big coat right ben mendelson wears a, yeah, a, yeah. a coat yeah ben, ben um, mendelson took the coat with him yeah 
Good so he has that coat still. It's a good coat. I definitely need to catch up on that one. And then I don't know if you didn't counter, didn't see it as another contemporary one. Hell or High Water, I think, counts that as That one a, I still haven't Western. seen. Okay. Yeah. That Twitter account follows me on Twitter, and I feel really bad. I'm sure no one is monitoring it anymore, but I remember when they followed me, and I hadn't seen the movie, and I still haven't seen the movie, and I'm always like, but the account follows me. <laughs> but I'm sure no one monitors it anymore, so it's fine. Um, I would also mention uh, Bone Tomahawk from 2015, which I love. Yeah, that's one I, I like actively didn't see. Mm. It felt like not my jam, but I, I still heard haven't seen people it. who like it really like it. So yeah, it's, I, it's, yeah. it surprised both, me. I've seen both of Craig Zeller's subsequent films and didn't like either one of them. Mm. So I don't yeah. think I don't feel. Is, is he the dragged across back. concrete guy? Yeah, and before yeah. that, he did Brawl and Cell Block Ninety Nine. I don't yeah. like either one of those movies. Okay. Um, well, the next one, I, you kind of talk about both her films, um, songs, my brother taught me the writer and Nomadland, like all three of her films are, are very much Westerns. This is Chloe Zhao. She is from China, but she, I was just, there's a beautiful profile in her in Vulture that came out last week, um, talking about how she got into making these Westerns. And essentially when she was in film school, um, she was working on her, her thesis film. You have to do like a, a thesis short, I guess. And she um, read about a town called Devil's something. I'm forgetting the, the whole name. It was Devil's something. And she loved the name of the town so much that she decided to craft her, to go there and make her film there. And then she, while doing research, discovered the Pine, is it Pine Ridge um, re Reservation, where she made these first two films, uh, Songs My Brother Tommy and The Writer. And um, they're in South Dakota, I believe, or North Dakota, one of the Dakotas. And those first two films are mostly non-professional actors. Specifically, Songs My Brother Taught Me is, is um, about life on a reservation. And then um, the writer is about uh, a, a man who is bucked from a rodeo, from a bull riding, and mm -hmm. can't do it anymore. And it is his entire uh, being and the actor is actually it's quasi based on what really happened to him in his real life and it's it's um, so songs my brother taught me is a little more of a more of a drama than a western it's just sort of a western in that it's set in this reservation the writer is very much a western is about a person who has a a way of life that is completely thrown for a loop and and he he doesn't know how to get back into living because his one reason for living is gone. Um, and it, it features a few um, performances from other rodeo people who, in particular, there's one who is now paraplegic from a really bad throw and would pair, I think, nicely with Junior Boner in that um, mm -hmm. it shows just how vicious the rodeo life can be and and um, how it it's a passion. It's not a money. Like, you know, there are rodeo stars and some people make money from it, but for the most part, you don't make money and you're, you completely destroy your body, but you can't, you can't say no to it. And, um, that's the whole song, the Garth Brooks song rodeo. I recommend listening to it. Um, it's just to that song, but it's, it's a beautiful film and just a beautiful look at, at the West and at the ravages of the West and at the sirens call of the West and just all of those things that all of the Westerns that kind of come before it. And from an outsider's point of view, because obviously Chloe Zhao is from um, China and she lived in you know the U S for a little bit before she made this, maybe five or so years okay. prior to making this film, maybe 10 years. Um, but obviously did not live in the West. And I think she captures 
the, the beauty of and the and the melancholy of the West better than a lot of a lot of contemporary filmmakers. Uh, a lot of them can capture the beauty. I think um, No Country and mm. Assassination and There Will Be Blood are beautiful, but they aren't quite as melancholic. The sunsets aren't quite as melancholic as what she's manages to capture. And having grown up sort of in the wilderness yeah. with those kind of sunsets, she, she really. Um, and I think Kelly Reichert is another one. The two of them really capture what it's like to li- literally live there. Not just capture it as a film, but like it, you, they feel like they've lived there. And Chloe Zhao in particular freaks me out because she like knew nothing and then somehow managed to just capture it perfectly in her films. Uh, it's kind of makes me sad that she's going to go make a Marvel movie because I'm like, <laughs> what are you, what yeah, are you doing? Gonna, yeah. But, you know, you make the Marvel movie, you take all of that money and then you keep making small things. You know, it's Hopefully, fine. Yeah. That's what Ava DuVernay did. She took the Disney money and then right. kept making small pictures. So hopefully. Um, let me, I'm going to rattle off a few before you get to your last ones from this past year. But um, The Ballad of Lefty Brown from 2017, not a great movie, but a great Bill Pullman performance. Yeah, it's like, it's that's another old my, man Western. That's on my cue. Yeah, because Bill so, Pullman. Uh, yeah, the, like, the, 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 the sort of pre- meta premise in terms of like Western movies is imagine like the comic relief sidekick of a, of a group of like, uh, uh, you know, a, like a tombstone type of group of peacekeepers or whatever. And then flash forward decades and the rest of them have either all died off or gone corrupt. And now he's the one who has to like ride into town and save everybody. It's a great mm. concept and Bill Pullman's really great in, in the movie. It's it's just an okay movie. Uh, another, uh, I guess, contemporary Asian Western, Marlena the Murderer in Four Acts. Is oh, I Indo- haven't even heard of that. Uh, That's Indonesian, a great title. Indonesian movie, female director. Okay. Um, but it's a, uh, I mean, it's a, uh, it's essentially a, a part of the rape revenge uh, uh, subgenre of of movies. But it's an Indonesian contemporary uh, Western. Really, um, really cool title. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, Damsel is a movie that I know Tyler loves the Zelda brothers, uh, film Damsel. I do love it. I, I think it's great. And it's, I'd say it just as much a comedy as yeah. anything else. That's the Pattinson. Mia yeah. Mia yeah. 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 The Robert Pattinson is the sort of, uh, I do love Pattinson. Dandy. I'll watch him uh, anything. Yeah. Him, uh, sipping at a shot of whiskey while everyone else is downing their whiskeys is a great uh, bit of physical uh, comedic acting. Uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs is uh, Yeah, I missed great. that one. I know it's on Netflix, oh. so I should have seen it by now, and I just haven't. Oh, it's, it's really good. <laughs> I just, yeah. just haven't. It's like the endless queue. And then the Sisters Brothers is another one that yes, everybody, that's one on my list. everybody yeah. loves, and I somehow, I think that one and um damsel came to the theater in atlanta for literally a week and it was probably like a week when i was out of town this happened a lot where something i really wanted to see they only get it for a week sometimes Mm -hmm. and it was almost always when i was like if it's a really like niche film it would always be when i was out of town and i'm like i'm like the one person who would have seen this movie so i think that's what happened with those two and then I guess the most recent one on here that isn't on your list would be Paul Greengrass's News of the World, which is just yeah. I haven't seen that yet. Um, yeah, I really just good. I really well, I don't like Paul Greengrass, so I didn't want to pay for it, but I got a screener. <laughs> okay. And so I'm I'm probably gonna watch it this weekend. Um, I would I say if you don't like Paul Greengrass, link. this might be the movie. The Paul Greengrass That's movie for heard. you. It's not. That's really what I've his... heard. That's yeah. what I've heard. It's and I've heard the 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 girl is really good, and so I mm-hmm. want to watch it for mm-hmm. her. Um, but I just don't I don't like him, so I was gonna wait until it was streaming. Um, and then I, I got a link, so I'm gonna okay. st- I'm gonna screen it. 
Um, cause I will, I will give Paul Greengrass two hours if I don't have to give him money. Let's put it that way. Okay. <laughs> now really, these... I've, I gave him two films. I give every filmmaker two films. And if you can't get me hooked after two films, I usually just say, no, I'm there, done. There's too much to watch. Yeah. Now, uh, I will say these last two I have not yet seen. Uh, so I want to try to avoid okay, anything like a spoiler. To, I'll try not to spoil. There's not much to spoil in either of them, okay. to be honest. I, di- I didn't think so, but. First you know. Cow is literally about the first cow to come to this. Um, this settlement in Oregon, it's it's this is a Western that almost isn't a Western in that it is set pre gold rush pre anything. It's like 18, I don't know, 1830s or something, 1820s is almost a pioneer. Well, pioneer is not even right either. I don't know what you would call it. It's hmm. it's almost too early to be a Western, but it's it's set in Oregon territory. Um, and this this guy named Cookie runs into this Chinese immigrant whose name is escaping me, played by Orion Lee. Um, and they kind of become friends um, because one of them saves the other one's life. And then they go into business together because Cookie knows how to make biscuits. And it's kind of about, so they, they um, I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, but basically they, they start stealing milk from the first cow. I don't want to tell you what goes past that, but basically it is kind of a, um, a look at the early, the ways that capitalism creeps into this nation and destroys everything even very early on. Let's put it that way. And the uh, quest for the American dream and to the betterment of there's always something better, there's always something better, there's always something better kind of can destroy things that are already quite good. That's the film. And but it's done Nomad. in a very but it's done in a very Kelly Reichardt, like very slow, meditative way. It's lovely. And, and the then, cow's beautiful. Uh, Nomadland couldn't be more contemporary of a of a western. Yeah, right? N- Nomadland set in 2011. It's set during the Great Recession. Oh, I guess it could be more contemporary. Yeah, it technology. could be, but it's set during the Great Recession, <laughs> and um, it's another one that's sort of about the restlessness of the West, and um, again about the, kind of the evils of capitalism and the way that we're all we're all kind of stuck in it. And one thing that I didn't see in a lot of the reviews about the film is that, um, and I hope this isn't too spoilery, I'm sorry, but um, she she's she's retired, but she can't retire. She doesn't have the money to retire. Her husband has died. She's lost their home because the the town that they lived in in, in Nevada was a, a company town and they shut the whole town down because that, you know, they owned all the land, they owned everything. So they just completely, the town doesn't exist anymore. So she starts living in her van and working these regional jobs. And she discovers that it's a whole thing where um, a lot of people of this retired age, they become these nomads that move around um, to these seasonal jobs. And what I found that's melancholic about the film, and I am a big fan of melancholy, is that it's ostensibly about her finding freedom through this, but it isn't really because she's still stuck in this cycle of capitalism and she can't, ever stop even though it's at one point there is perhaps a chance for her to stop and she doesn't pick it because she picks her freedom but the freedom isn't actually freedom because she's stuck in this this capitalistic loop and it's a really sad film in my opinion um and beautiful and um really just shows how shitty our country is <laughs> in a lovely way um but beautiful. It is a beautiful movie. like yeah, beautiful. our country is beautiful and and yet 
so destroyed by capitalism. I actually think First Cow and Nomadland make beautiful bookends in terms of the way that capitalism can come in and really just fuck everything up. Um, also oh. co-stars uh, John Sayles' mainstay, yes. David Strathairn? Strathairn? I don't know. Uh, I, don't I think it's Strathairn. When he Strathairn. showed up, I lost my mind. I did not know he was in the movie. He's so good. And the actor who plays um, his son in the movie is actually his son. Oh. In real life. I didn't know that. That's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> you love to see that. Um, I saw him on Broadway a couple years ago, a couple years ago, almost 10 years ago. He was good, really good on Broadway. Um, so then I wanted to shout out two films that are coming. They're also, they're both coming to Netflix. I don't know that they have dates set yet, but um, they're both. So one's, I think, a contemporary Western called Concrete Cowboy. Uh, and one is a period piece called The Harder They Fall. They both star Idris Elba. Um, they're both almost all all black casts from black writer directors kind of trying to take their own, you know, point of view on, on these tropes. And I'm very excited for both of them. I don't, I don't know. I haven't seen them yet. I have no idea if they're any good, but just the idea that um, we're having filmmakers of color get to really play in this sandbox in a way that they prior there's few uh, like the only one we really talked about was Buck and the Preacher. And that was like almost 50 years ago. Kind of, kind of shitty. You know so. what? You're reminding me we didn't talk about because it, it doesn't really count as a Western, but it's a remake of a Western. And that's John Singleton's Four Brothers. Oh, mm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is a remake. And I can't remember the name of the movie that it's a remake of. I've never seen it. Um, well, John Singleton also did the remake of, um, we kind of mentioned it, The Magnificent Seven. No. Was that no, John that's Anton Fuqua. Sorry. Yeah. Those are two good films. Um, yeah. I recommend them both. Um yeah, Four Brothers and, is awesome. I can't remember the name. I cannot find the name of the movie that it's based on. Oh well, that's the, <laughs> like the the, bro, the the sons of Katie Elder. Is that that sounds right? Yes, I think that's right. it. Yeah, um, I haven't seen that one, but I love Four Brothers. Yeah, good films. Yeah. So I think um, I think the westerns is there. They, they're, we're still going to see more. We're just going to keep seeing them. Yeah, you yeah. know, we'll do we, another like, four-hour episode. And like we didn't even cover. <laughs> you know, the fact that like Star Wars is technically a Western and all of that, sure, like that's yeah, a yeah. whole other, yeah. the whole taking of the, all the tropes and making them yeah. into other genres is a whole We didn't talk whole about thing. Serenity probably because of we don't need to go down that, that path or with like um, some of the Star Trek movies are kind of Western. Like they're all kind of Westerns. Mm. Yeah. Star Trek is the, the final frontier, right? It's, sure. Yeah. That makes sense. You know? And and the the my favorite of the Star Trek Deep Space Nine is basically a cavalry movie because it's stationary in space station. So, let you, you go on that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and, well, there's you. and there's a saloon. And there's a saloon. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank I you really love, so much. I really love Deep Space s- Nine. So. I'm going to sleep well tonight. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is this is super I'm fun. Exhausted. I'm glad we we waited 14 years to talk about westerns and then we talked for 14 years about westerns. Yeah. So yeah. If we, <laughs> and, and I will I do I do want to point out for for listeners if there's like gaps or things. I I had told you guys I've seen 250 or so westerns. So this was only about half. And if anyone wants to yeah. talk about no, the I'm other sure half, that's, I'm sure that's what people are going to be know? complaining about when they listen to this episode is the stuff yeah. we didn't talk we about. We didn't talk about. There <laughs> were a, a lot. little incomplete. There, yeah. There's a lot. You know, we there there were a to... couple. There were a couple that I wanted to bring up, but then I was like, I don't dare. We, I, why? We, why we would I do such a thing? We didn't even get to grim fairy tales. 
No, Grim Prairie Tales. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, it's a 90s horror <laughs> Western. It's not great. <laughs> uh shout out right. to grim prairie tales okay well, uh okay you yes. can find us at battleship i'm trying to think this week uh i reviewed uh andre kochilovsky's sin which is a michelangelo biopic biopic not the mm. turtle the sculptor and painter um that's at battleship you can email us at david at battleship or tyler at battleship you can follow me david on twitter at davy pretension follow tyler at tyler pretension tyler do you have anything you want to plug right now I do not. Mariah, where can people find you on the internet should you um, want them to? Oh, man. So I'm for movie related stuff, old films flicker, one word. Um, I would love to promote my podcast. It doesn't exist quite yet, but it will be existing. If you are a fan of Prog Rock, Bob Dylan, or Bruce Springsteen, I am launching a podcast called Prog Save America at Prog Save America. Um, and it, it will be weird and fun. And um, I already have some really cool guests that like Alan Arkish, he's a movie guy. So you guys might know him. He's talking about Bob Dylan for like an hour and a half with me. So if that sounds interesting, you should follow that. Hopefully March, launching in March. And then most recently, I've been writing a column for Movie Phone about female directors um, recommending one new release and one older release directed by women every week. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for talking Westerns with us. You know, Absolutely. anytime I get to go long on Westerns and people don't run away, <laughs> it's a good day. So, uh, Well, thank you for being here. Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.